Welcome to the Grand Theft World podcast hosted and sponsored by GrandTheftWorld.com. This is episode 63. It's titled The United States of Fear. The United States of Fear. We'll get into that and why in a little bit. Uh, this is January 16th, 2022. We're going to be coming at you tonight with uh, a lot of news stories, but a couple we want to highlight up front, uh, let you know that they're going to be in the show. It's going to be a long show card tonight, as always. We've got... Um, Project Veritas. There were some documents that we covered September 27th, 2021, in an episode uh, where we talked about Project Preempt, DARPA, EcoHealth Alliance, Peter Dazak, their uh, grant submission to DARPA, DARPA's letter rejecting that grant. Now, a whistleblower from DARPA has taken documents to James O'Keefe at Project Veritas, and those were dropped in this past week. In addition to that, we're going to listen to, like, remember when Clubber Lang and Rocky Balboa went to, like, round 13 or something? Well, Rand Paul and Dr. Fauci have been going at it now for probably a year, 12 uh, to 16 months, somewhere in that range. So this is, you know, like round 13 for them. New evidence has come to light regarding Dr. Fauci. And, you know, it's not new to us. We covered it almost a year ago when the FOIA request and these sort of things started trickling out. But now the establishment, Rand Paul, Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, he's starting to figure out that they had an early hit piece campaign against any stories that would lead you to the logical conclusions that everyone else has made, given the substantial mountain of evidence over here right near the BSL-4 lab, as opposed to the evidence over here at this wet market, which was a racist idea up front. Last but not least, we're going to be covering clips from people like, uh, well, there's this guy, J.P. Sears, and he's going to help us maintain this narrative because the narrative is falling apart. And uh, he's a Democratic consultant, strategist type person who has come forth with a, a plan to be able to, to hold that all together. And uh, we'll be able to cover that in depth more tonight but first kicking off as always we got luke radowski on the kicking team and uh he's going to be kicking the new world order well first off he's going to tell you about how the new world order is kind of kicking some people around the world but then we're also going to get to how do we actually get on top of this narrative how do we show people the facts and get them to come to reasonable conclusions when in fact they didn't use reason to formulate their opinions or positions in the first place. So there's a struggle ahead of us. We'll kick off with Luke, and then we'll continue through the show card all night long. With honor we serve. That's my personal opinion. Nice doesn't cut it. I don't think you're very nice standing here hustling a business owner trying to support his family. Okay? So we'll, we'll agree to disagree on what you think is nice. Nice. 
Not very nice what you guys are doing to this owner, mate. Where's the love? Where's the compassion? Where's the honor? That right there is some non-violent, peaceful resistance as, of course, activists were protecting a business from police officers who wanted to arbitrarily punish it for, of course, existing and not fully obeying the state. Welcome back, beautiful and amazing human being. This is Okudowski here of WeAreChange.org. And we have a lot of crazy news to get into, as, of course, Dr. Fauci's millions of dollars become publicly disclosed, with now some people calling him Dr. Wall Street instead of Dr. Science, as Germany is setting its eyes on shutting down Telegram as they strictly impose their six-foot social distancing rules with actual rulers following suit with 48% of Democrats here in the United States that, according to Rasmussen, have absolutely lost their minds. What about specifically? Well, we're going to be talking about that, plus a lot more all in this video. So much important news that we are going to get right into it, as, of course, grocery store shelves are looking more Venezuelan by the day, as, of course, an impending snowstorm in the Northeast, along with labor shortages, surging prices, inflation and the disruption of the global supply chain are some factors that of course are contributing to the lack of food in some areas especially urban areas where more people are dependent on food being transported in but hey don't worry about the rising cost of food if you could still find some as of course walmart has a solution to all of this and that of course is the store shelves don't have to be empty if they're in virtual reality as of course you could just have some graphics pretending that they're full as according to cnbc walmart is making its move fully into the metaverse as the retail giant is going to be launching nfts a cryptocurrency and according to many sources joining the metaverse the online digital virtual reality space where of course reality is controlled by a few tech billionaires and you know you could always trust tech billionaires because they have very reputable friends like of course mr epstein who are connected to a lot of powerful individuals including creepy people like this man good old billy boy mr trump himself and of course the non-sweating son of the queen that somehow magically lost his pituitary gland who by the way is in major hot water as virginia roberts who is suing him in civil court and the court proceeding looks like it will actually happen surprisingly is vowing to quote destroy the duke of york officially stating that he should be in jail for his actions against underaged individuals the duke of york also very interestingly was allegedly left in tears according to some news sources after his military titles were stripped away from him leaving him as an ordinary citizen to face the charges in front of him as of course we all hope that there will be more and information coming to light that would allow the general public to understand what was happening here as of course many people believe the previous court case around this with the glenn maxwell hearing was obviously a larger cover-up operation that hid and sealed many important documents away from the general public this as we're also finding out from the daily mail today that it was mr epstein that brought eight young women with him on a trip to see bill clinton at the white house in one of his many visits between 1993 and 1995 with the current president of the United States. Why, of course, Mr. Epstein was running an international extortion and trafficking operation that, of course, involved children. What was Billy Boy up to here? Well, obviously, probably no good. As, of course, there's also the possibility of eight high-profile men 
being disclosed in this possible civil suit, which of course a lot of people are hoping won't be another cover-up operation. What's going to happen from here? We of course will be following the story very closely and hopefully still have a voice on this platform when new news develops and won't be suspended or kicked off like Dan Bongino was just kicked off from the Portner program here on YouTube for making some arguments about the sickness. This is Now, I, I think it's fair to say that from the very beginning of this global sickness, almost two years ago, that there was always two kind of different prevailing thoughts. One was allegedly from the experts and authorities that told you, just comply and life will go back to normal if you do X. And then X turned to Y, then it turned to Z, then it started all the way back and it started again with A. And we were told, just do this one thing, and then a second thing, and a third thing. All in the disguise of saying that life will go back to normal if we do these things. And it just seems like more things are being added. And on the other hand, you had people questioning the authorities that said that this would never end if we keep complying. And whatever your prevailing thought process was, I think it's fair to say that now, extensively, that a lot of people... People by and large trust those people who question the authorities rather than the authorities. Showing that public trust in the government's official version of events is extremely low as new polls are highlighting how only 31% of Americans trust Dr. Fauci and only 10% trust the corporate media when it comes to their advice on this sickness, which is an extremely low number. Now, who are these individuals? Well, I think it's fair to assume that there's some of these individuals who, according to a new Rasmussen report, want people to be put into camps and be forced to take procedures in them yes according to a new rasmussen report 45 percent of democrats which lines up with the amount of americans that actually still trust dr fauci are in favor of government relocating citizens to quote temporarily live in designated government facilities and locations if they refused to take a product imprisoning individuals who of course also committed a thought crime against this product want you punished and uh, again i i've been very critical of poll numbers but we have to understand that this is not just the wishes of of half of these democratic voters that were polled here this is the vision of policies that have already been implemented in the western world where people like in canada are being arrested and hauled off to jail for not wearing a mask in austria the government is going to be taking nearly $4,000 from citizens if they didn't take this product and imprisoning those who can't pay those extensively heavy fines. And there's also, of course, Germany that wants to implement also very similar ridiculous measures as they have already implemented silly initiatives like the one that you're seeing in front of your eyes right now with police officers literally walking around with six foot sticks 
making sure that people are social distancing away from each other. But that's not the most absurd German proposal, as of course we're also finding out that the German government is considering shutting down Telegram, an instant messaging service that allows people to talk to each other with their mobile phone numbers, which the German government sees as a threat because too many people are talking on that messaging service and not agreeing with the federal government, with the German government accusing this service of helping people organize, protest, and conduct other peaceful matters in expressing their grievances against the federal government. That federal government sees this as a crime, and they extensively want to ban individuals from even being able to talk to each other or to even peacefully assemble. Who are some of these lunatics that are trying to implement some of these policies here in the United States? Well, they're probably individuals like Barry Melher, who went on a profanity-laden rant against his students for demanding to have in class in-person sessions as of course students are paying tens of thousands of dollars to be on overpriced zoom calls and according to this professor students wanting to be in real classes is something that this professor is absolutely mad about and not only cursed at students but called them vectors of disease as he previously also decided to wear a space helmet and a mask specifically for a Zoom online video call. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, when you have individuals that are absolutely deranged, nonsensical, clearly have anger issues, clearly are misinformed, clearly are going through trauma-based mind control, shaping the minds of young children, what do you think? the future of this country is going to look like when these are the people raising your children that they're paying tens of thousands of dollars that they're being indebted just to be lectured by. That's an important question that a lot of people should be asking as of course a lot of people are living in fear while the politicians that institutionalize it don't even follow their own protocols and rules that they implement on everyone else. Remember Fear is a choice. What's your reality? What's your experience on this world? What will be the result of your life? Well, that is dependent on you. And I hope it will be something filled with love, fulfillment, joy, hard work, and a lot of accomplishments. And not a low vibrational state where you're listening to politicians obeying their every law with a makeshift space helmet and mask on for Zoom meeting. The choice is yours, America. Which way will you go? That is up to you. You have your own divine individual choice to make for your own uh, your own existence. I hope. That was, of course, Luke Radowski of WeAreChange.org and the BestPoliticalShirts.com, and he was doing a review of uh, the sequel to the to the Stanford Prison Experiment, where it's gone global, and uh, it looks like an interesting movie. Uh, I don't know if I want to sit through the whole thing uh, with the, you know, you saw the people using the sticks to measure, like totally nonsensical. But if you follow the Stanford Prison Experiment, Philip Zimbardo's Stanford Prison Experiment, which they also made a film out of with like uh, Adrian Brody and, uh, right? So there was a recent film. Yeah, Forrest Whitaker. Excellent portrayal Mm -hmm. of what happens when they take some students and they're like, you guys are the authorities, you guys are the inmates and how humanity diverges from that situation, artificially created situations. So it's not like they don't know about these phenomenon that can be conducted and carried out on human beings. The other angle is maybe what we're watching 
is a real life experiment in identifying authoritarian sociopathy. Because in the past two years, they have come out, taken off their masks, so to speak, pun intended, and they have said, we are the ones who want to rule over you. And here's exactly what we would do if we had all the power. And they've written books and articles and done interviews about what they would do if they had the right to say what to do with you. So I, I think that's a good, that's a silver lining of the situation. We don't have to like say who they are. They are out there exclaiming it uh, like tenors from the top of the Empire State Building. We also have that World Economic Forum behind the scenes documentary. We'll dig into that later. I wanted to stay on track. Let's check in with Christy Lee in the past week of media malfeasance. And uh, we're going to see how the narrative is crumbling as they are kind of like the empire grasping at the universes, slipping through their fingers. So let's, uh, let's check it out and see the encouragement of the narrative in its state of non-solidness. Despite this Supreme Court justice actually spreading misinformation, outright lies, the Supreme Court blocks Biden COVID vaccine mandates for businesses. But the ruling falls short of protecting healthcare workers' rights. In dissent, Justice Samuel Alito writes, I do not think that the federal government is likely to be able to show that Congress has authorized the unprecedented step of compelling over 10 million healthcare workers to be vaccinated on pain of being fired. Bringing you what's ignored, sensationalized, unbalanced, misleading, or just plain false, here's your media malfeasance for the second week of January. COVID conspiracies come true. The narrative is crumbling. Here's something censored docs have been warning about since the beginning, the potential for repeated jabs to hurt the immune system. From Bloomberg, Repeat booster doses every four months could eventually weaken the immune response and tire out people, according to the European Medicines Agency. And as if we haven't heard it enough, the WHO Europe posted most people, a very scientific number, have mild or no side effects after the jab. But it was met with tens of thousands of personal stories of people experiencing severe reactions or losing loved ones after they were given the shot. Something apparent in the vaccine adverse event reporting system that Dr. Fauci and CDC Director Walensky refused to acknowledge or attempt to downplay. When confronted with the over 20,000 deaths reported, they have this to say. So if you get hit by a car tragically after getting vaccinated, that gets reported in the vaccine adverse avoiding system, the, the VAR system. So the vaccines are incredibly safe. Wait a minute, then why was it okay to count those kinds of deaths as COVID deaths? Never mind, this comment is extremely misleading. VAERS doesn't have a symptom that is called road traffic accident. But here's an example of how a traffic accident could be the result of COVID vax complications. From VAERS, she was released on 127.21 and was driving on 128.21 around 4.15 p.m. and appears to have had heart failure and had a wreck. She passed away that day. Is it any coincidence that heart problems have been listed as possible side effects of the jab? Or how about that VAERS describes itself as early warning system to detect possible safety problems? VAERS is reporting more than 21,000 deaths following the emergency use authorized COVID-19 vaccines for the first year, which is more deaths than following all FDA approved vaccines for the past 31 years combined since VAERS started recording deaths following vaccines in 1990. 
Should this at minimum be a safety signal, a huge red flag? And websites went wild when this clip of Walensky on GMA made its rounds. The overwhelming number of deaths, over 75%, occurred in people who had at least four comorbidities. So really these are people who were unwell to begin with. A point many have been making that could be skewing the numbers. But then damage control, MSM says she was taken out of context. The 75% who had four comorbidities or more were out of those who were vaccinated that died. In that case, we'll acknowledge comorbidities because science. So where is the data that acknowledges this factor overall? According to the dispatch, the latest provisional data from the CDC shows that 95% of individuals with COVID listed on their death certificate had at least one underlying risk factor. Walensky's spokesperson did not respond to a request for information on what percent of the general and unvaccinated population who passed away had four or more comorbidities. Speaking of Walensky twisting the truth with next to nil accountability, the CDC director continues to repeat a flawed mask study in support of requiring masks in schools. This study came under fire by The Atlantic, who criticized several flaws within the methodology, which among other things included 40 virtual learning academies. The CDC has also come under fire for shifting its recommendations regarding testing and quarantining. And as for clarification on the accuracy of the death numbers. Do you know how many of the 836,000 deaths in the U.S. linked to COVID are from COVID or how many are with COVID, but they had other comorbidities? Do you have that breakdown? Um, yes, of course, with Omicron, we're following that very carefully. Our death registry, of course, um, takes a few weeks to and is, uh, takes a few weeks to collect. Um, and of course, Omicron has just been with us for a few weeks, but those data will be forthcoming. Never mind deaths that might have been prevented with early intervention. The Project Veritas bombshell this week exposed leaked military documents showing ivermectin works throughout all phases of COVID. So why has the medical establishment suppressed it for two years and the legacy media following in lockstep? Oh, and another one of those crazy conspiracy theories that the COVID-19 jab can affect menstruation. Except, oh wait, now a study shows that it can. Is it really such a leap then that if it affects menstruation, it can affect reproduction? And while the study and articles downplay the effects, again, just take a look at the comments, real women sharing their personal stories. But even as we've all witnessed the flip-flopping and the things that some doctors told us was misinformation, now confirmed true by studies months later, some doctors are demanding no dissent allowed. 270 doctors signed an open letter calling for Spotify to drop their most lucrative contributor for daring to let other doctors and experts share their theories and data. Meanwhile, more than 13,000 doctors from across the globe have signed a declaration against mandates, lockdowns, and injecting healthy children. And did you happen to miss the mass formation meltdown? AP, Reuters, and others all acting in unison to try to fact check a theory that has been studied for over 200 years. Matthias Desmet, a professor of clinical psychology, says there are four conditions that are needed for large scale mass formation. Conditions we've seen play out before our own eyes. So we're ready. Take a cue from Germany's top newspaper apologizing for the outlet's fear-driven COVID coverage, or a Danish newspaper that's publicly apologized for reporting government narratives surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic without questioning them. We're ready for our apology, or just admit what's really happening. 
He's been asking for it. I make a special appeal to social media companies and media outlets. Please deal with the misinformation and disinformation that's on your shows. It has to stop. Just admit your state controlled media. Holding them accountable, I'm Christy Lee. That's a fantastic report. I think there's a lot of nuance in there because there were people who jumped to conclusions based on Rochelle Walensky's CDC statements. 75% have four or more comorbidities, I think was the, the headline. A lot of people attributed that to the entire population when it only applies to those who were among those who were vaccinated, right? That's where those numbers were coming from. Right. They're slow on releasing the numbers for everything else, but they got, they got the numbers to justify the arguments that they want to make. All right. That that's, that's fair enough. We call I, it I see changing that. the cofactor and statistics. You just take the sample size and you make it smaller and smaller. Yeah. You Don't give away Pfizer's research secrets. They want. Yeah. They've never been caught for bribing doctors or rigging studies in the past oh, i'm sorry i think that's the first inaccurate statement i've made in the last 63 episodes all right so uh, i gotta show you this there's an oh, interesting real quick browser um, there we go. Uh, yeah, go for it. bacterial pneumonia caused most deaths in 1918 influenza pandemic so they call it a flu pandemic but it was really bacterial pneumonia causing the most deaths now this is published on a little known conspiracy theory site called the national institutes of health it was published in 2008, and that is under the direction of Dr. Fauci at the National Institute. I'm oh, sorry, I can't click that one. I have to click this screen to get that. National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. You see? Now, if you search the word mask in this article, as I've done, it makes no connection between dirty masks and people touching them all the time and bacteria buildup that got into people and cause the most deaths, right? But they do point out bacterial, bacterial pneumonia caused most deaths. It wasn't an influenza. It wasn't a virus that caused that, that whole havoc that started on a U.S. military base in Kansas, Kansas, by the way. Now, now if you look at, the, look at these types of possibly things- Possibly following you're also, a, a vaccine. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. They just got vaccinated, and then mm -hmm. this thing broke out. Uh, There's a book check. about that. Well, Fauci did not attribute 1918 Spanish flu deaths to bacterial pneumonia caused by masks, right? So at some point, no, he just did a literal paper on it, right? He did. He, he, well, but not caused by masks. There was no causal connection. So this is actually it's very sophisticated no, clever, wording. It doesn't talk about the etiology. Right? Yeah. There's no etiology. There's no where did it originate, right? Okay. So. Uh, so, you know, there's also another distinction here. I wonder in that 2008 Fauci article and yeah. his other colleagues that were part of it, he mentioned it uh, before and we played it on Grand Theft Auto a couple of weeks ago. Supposedly, this it was the second wave, I believe, of that pandemic that was by far the worst, which they portended would apply to the COVID-19 situation, which is interesting. And we do know the second wave, arguably with Delta, was much worse. So what's interesting there is, is it because of the response? You know, because the second wave, and again, I'm just speculating here, of the 1918 flu pandemic, that's when they were all using masks. That's when they were utilizing the various protocols that whatever health agencies existed at the time were recommending that go right in line with this whole bacterial, or the, yeah, bacterial pneumonia supposedly being a situation caused by masks.
And it's no surprise that then those that utilized sunshine, UV radiation, really, in that capacity, had a better Not the type of sunshine John Denver was singing about. So, but the fact they, they took their operations outdoors, many of them. So any of the bacteria and whatnot would have been sterilized as a function of, uh, and then the other thing I wanted to put on the record, cause we keep hearing these people and you're going to hear them all night in the show card, talk about vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. All right. Uh, control room. I put the, uh, the sec filing link in there. And if Tony could read, if you do, uh, that search for gene therapy, just yeah. read that one paragraph that I've kind of got on my browser right there, but I can't see it from here to read it. Uh, where do you put it in the show card? I didn't put it in the show car. I put it in the, the uh, control room chat in the control room for the podcast. I right, gotcha. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, bring it up here. So if, if so, people were yeah. to search SEC Moderna mRNA, you so come up with what do you want me to file. search here? All right. So uh, go to the top, read the title off, and then do the search for gene therapy and read what they're telling people in their stock market Wall Street statement. Yeah. SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission. It's how. Uh, the companies are licensed to trade on the market. This is an official document. Correct. Cannot be questioned because it is the foundation of them doing business for you to have the vaccine in your arm in the first place. So I just wanted to put it on the record yep. what it is. And they don't call it a vaccine. They call it a gene therapy. So I'm just using their language. I'm not anti-vax. I think that uh, vaccines were some of the most brilliant inventions. We could talk about Joseph Lister and all the people, you know, and then the, the people that Jonas brought Salk you, and Jonas Salk and Pasteur. Uh, Louis Pasteur and all the people in between from germ theory all the way up through. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I see that this is not that. This is an experimental gene therapy. It's not a vaccine. Really and I'm smart enough technology. to know the difference because yeah. I read, I read, despite what Alan Dulles said, Satan rest his soul. <laughs> Same rest. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, United States Securities and Exchange Commission. This is the Moderna filing. Moderna Incorporated, exact name of registrant as specified in its charter. Moderna Incorporated. And you want me to what gene therapy? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so go. we get uh, one of twenty-three matches according to the search. Currently, mRNA is considered a gene therapy product by the FDA. Unlike certain gene therapies that irreversibly alter cell DNA and could act as a source of side effects. MRNA-based medicines are designed to not irreversibly change cell DNA, although there's some evidence that might be the case now. However, right. side effects observed in gene therapy could negatively impact the perception. <laughs> They're talking about perception in this. Are you kidding me? Of mRNA medicines, despite the differences in mechanism. In addition, because no product in which mRNA is the primary active ingredient has been approved, the regulatory pathway for approval is uncertain. Well, we know how that went. The number and design in the clinical trials and preclinical studies required for the approval of these types of medicines have not been established, may be different from those required for gene therapy products, or may require safety testing like gene therapy products. Moreover, the length of time necessary to complete clinical trials and submit, yeah, okay, yada, yada. So we could just continue onwards. Did they call the vaccine anywhere in there, Tony? Did, uh, did no. I miss something? Do I not know how to read? Yeah, here's uh, what they are supposed to do. So this is what the technology is supposed to do. Yeah. No vaccine, by the way, you're absolutely right. They're using the term gene therapy very specifically. Gene therapies and mRNA-based medicines may activate one or more immune responses against any and all components of the drug product. For example, the mRNA or the delivery vehicle, such as the LNP, as well as against the encoded protein, giving rise to potential immune reaction-related adverse events. Listening an immune response against the encoded protein so it's like acting against, it's acting like a protease inhibitor. Go ahead. 
That's a loose analogy, but I get what you're saying. And <laughs> eliciting an immune response against the encoded protein may impede our ability to achieve a pharmacologic effect upon repeat administration or side effect. These risks yeah, may apply to all our programs, including our systemic yeah. secreted therapeutics and systemic intracellular therapeutics modalities. All right. So anyone in there hear vaccine? No. So my ears work, right? My ears work, my eyes work. All right. Is there any other, uh, can you search the word vaccine in the document? I haven't done this yet. Let's do it. Uh, yes. There's one 159 of 177 matches. Hmm. So let me go back here. So at some point they must, cause they don't have any other products, Moderna. They've never brought a product to market prior to this gene therapy. So where in the context are they using the word vaccine and how do they differentiate and avoid the ambiguity that the public has now considered to be the same thing? So the need in the case of our personalized cancer vaccine to wait for the manuf. So they talk about it in the context of cancer, the manufacturing of oh, vaccines and therapeutics. It's the name for- of a product. It's not the thing in the product. Right. Jeez, we're we're being so silly. We well, were talking about the ingredients. They're talking about the name of their products. They have a gene therapy that they call a cancer vaccine. They have a gene therapy that they call a COVID vaccine. Correct. Yeah, they broadened the definition of vaccine because originally, and Rich, you know this. The original definition of a vaccine had to do with an attenuated virus, meaning but a partially. They don't have the power to change definitions, Tony. It's got to be bigger than just Moderna, right? And if it's bigger than Moderna, that would mean there's a lot of people pop, like there's a lot of people involved in that, and they are keeping it secret. I don't know. I'm circling around the point. Well, let's let's see go back in context here. 2019, Trump signs among us. a vaccine modernization act. So they had to change the definition because they had to modernize right. vaccines, right? Isn't that what, what happened? And then there's the Milken Institute in what 2017 talking about if only they had worse pandemics, they could have gotten these types of vaccines, quote, air yeah. quotes for people who can't see the video. That's just for the YouTube closed captions. Yeah. His- He's yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, that's right. We're on YouTube. Uh, the boop boops. I like that. I like Jason Burmes's. Now we're on Rockfin. There. YouTube gets a little stream. You know, yeah, they get if it, they yeah. can hold it over there, fine. If not, we're on, we are on Rockfin and Odyssey and Rumble and all the other good places. But yeah, there's a there's a little stream going out with Felix Rodriguez. So this is interesting. So that we are subject to significant regulatory oversight with respect to manufacturing mRNA investigational medicines, investigational medicines, mm. our manufacturing facilities or the manufacturing facilities of our third party manufacturers or suppliers may not meet regulatory requirements. Failure that's to meet not CGM. a problem for known criminals who have paid billions of dollars. No, I'm sorry. That's Pfizer. That's their competition. That's not Moderna. My bad. Retract that from the record. Please continue. The manufacturing of vaccines and therapeutics for clinical trials or commercial sales subject to extensive regulation, blah, blah, blah. So let's see where else vaccines are used. The ability to define a consistent pre-safety profile to give a dose with each participant requires a unique vaccine, uh, incorporate and personalized vaccines. So we have built and installed custom manufacturing equipment, blah, blah, blah. So they're talking about vaccine very loosely. As the field of mRNA therapeutics and vaccines, here we go. As the field of mRNA therapeutics and vaccines is maturing, notice had, they call them different things right there. Yeah, mRNA can, therapeutics or gene therapies, and also vaccines. In logic, we call this petitio principi, which is begging the question. It's a form of begging the question, was arbitrary redefinition. So they're arbitrarily redefining it based on the context they want to present. And Who has so, the in power this, to change definitions and dictionaries. 
across the board, man. It's yeah. interesting, right? Because before, seemed- before, before COVID, yes, they changed definitions. They changed definitions of uh, herd herd immunity of pandemic. They changed the definition of pandemic around 2009, right? So I have a whole bunch of different shots from like the World Health Organization and CDC. And it's like before and after. But for them to like change the definition of vaccine as they're pushing an experimental gene therapy, I don't think that's accidental. I can't see it as coincidental. I can't respect someone who wants me to see that as coincidental. We know they've changed the definition in the past. Um, a production that we did together um, with John Taylor Gatto, the ultimate history lesson, a weekend with John Taylor Gatto. He mentioned this in like the third or fourth hour. Uh, they change definitions and everyone becomes confused. And it's the purpose of changing definitions is to cause cognitive dissonance to support one's narrative and also sort of gaslight the public so they don't know what to believe. And that creates a situation of free-floating anxiety. You don't know what truth is anymore. And all of a sudden you are just looking for someone to ground that truth in whatever, whatever possible. And that's where you turn to a despot or a tyrannical leader to lead the charge. And so in this capacity, when we go back to the document here, as the field of mRNA therapeutics and vaccines is maturing, patent applications are being processed, blah, blah, blah. Let's see. Um, well, I'm concerned for example, because third party requests for reexamination, blah, blah, blah. So it just goes in. They're, what they're doing is there's like this arbitrary redefinition of what a vaccine is, a therapeutic, and our mRNA technology. And there's like a, this false equivalence between all three of them due to this arbitrary redefinition. So there's a couple of fallacies going on here that are playing upon one another. But this idea that there's this equivalency between what an original vaccine was, which is an attenuated virus. Uh, a, a where you had inoculation and immune response for, and you had those antibodies for the rest of your life. Correct. For the most part. I mean, some, some, you wear off after for, 10, some 15 don't. years. Yeah. yeah. Some of them, sure. So because, because we've always known epidemiologists have always known in virologists that, uh, natural immunity is always superior. The only problem is, for example, if you get measles as a young child, you're pretty much safe and you're safe for the rest of your life, like chicken pox. But if you get it much later in life, like measles or chicken pox, it's much more deadly. It's much but neither more one of those things came out of a BSL four lab in Wuhan. Mm. So this is, this is different maybe. No, but unfortunately no. polio is, uh, still because of strange vaccination programs in India and elsewhere are creating as RFK pointed out variants, just like Garrett Warren. Uh, more variants are being produced and just like we're seeing with this pandemic now. Tony Bill Gates loves virus. those little children of Africa. I'm sure he does. When he and Melinda and their foundation goes over and jabs them. Like they were jabbing people a long time before they tried to jab everybody at once. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm pointing out. They had a decade oh, yeah. of the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. When all you have is a hammer, everything and- looks like a nail. And now the what the Bushnell document that Jason Burmis loves to reference, uh, PowerPoint talks about 2020 being what a sort of nanotech era by something with either transhumanism or bio or na- bio nanotech. I think is the age that we have entered into, according to that document. So, and uh, Jay Dyer, I don't know if we'll get to it later. He did a very good presentation about um, this UK document talking about microchipping the world. And uh, it was very fascinating. And so I have that on the show card. We'll see if we got there. Crazy but conspiracy the, theories. The point they don't to your put chips in people. Wait, you'll see later tonight. They're putting COVID chips in people's but, hands, but don't worry the, about it. That's that's the conspiracy theory. You don't need to, to sort of wrap up. Worry the, about your freedom. You're all set. Go back to watching football. <laughs> Yeah, it is the playoffs right now. Wild card weekend. I don't know um, what you're talking about. You're 
And you know what's fascinating, Rich, though? Like at the very beginning of this SEC document, they're talking about gene therapies, right? So let me see if I can bring this up here. Gene therapy. So there's one of 23 matches, but this is actually it's not in the beginning. It's like three quarters through. Ah, clever. Very clever, you sons of bitches. Wow, that's hilarious. In other words, they're already conflating the idea of a gene therapy, a therapeutic and vaccine way before. In fact, they're first conflating the two, the vaccine and therapeutic way before. And then they bring in later on about three quarters through, it's a gene therapy. So it's a different type of technology that's used in this now broadened definition of what a vaccine is, uh, which is really fascinating. So, okay. So given the that, research gene therapy with 23 matches versus mm -hmm. vaccine, 177 matches. So you can see how they're this bringing it all together. Arbitrary redefinition is happening. Yeah. So this past crazy. week, the Pfizer CEO, Albert Borla, mm -hmm. who's also uh, like Klaus Schwab-esque in his uh, Bond villainness, uh, he said that they had just acquired all these other companies that like do eugenics on your dna and other things with gene therapy type splicing and dicing of your self with their products without your informed consent which i thought was really interesting because they're, they're not staying outside of your dna with this mrna stuff right like in that document we just read it clearly said it's like oh this is like not a permanent thing it's not really going to mess with your dna the people that are bringing that to you they got more plans for you and these are just like the first steps of getting products into you that's yeah that's correct and earlier uh we have a video of albert borla this week stating that the mrna technology two shots of it basically is useless of course he's trying to push the booster narrative but at the same time he's pushing the booster narrative for uh, while diminishing but, the efficacy of the the, uh, the two shot regimen they had before which is just so, so contradictory because they said two shots and you'd be done help me understand yeah because this dude said at the beginning Nothing to see here. Two shots are done. And now he's like, ah, the two shots don't even work. It, it doesn't work till you get like your, you know, up, up the boosters, fourth, fifth, sixth. They don't know. They don't know. They're just making it up. And they're making it up and they're, they don't it's know. Push product. And people's health is being sacrificed at the altar of that ignorance, not right. just at the beginning, but continuing now because he gets airtime in front of everybody in the world. Cause he's part of that world economic forum crew. Right. That's right. That's like, exactly right. In James Bond, did Spectre have a top, top thousand companies and arms dealers of the world get together? No, they had like 10 rickety people around the, the table, you know, yeah. Klaus, he's got a thousand of the biggest companies in the world meeting every year, getting stuff done. President things like stakeholder. Hopping to step. Right. Yeah, dude. Stakeholder capitalism. Communism. It's a euphemism for communism, by the way, or socialism to be more exact. Oh, it's, it's a euphemism, it's a, it's for, a euphemism for not your stuff anymore. That's yes, all. That's basically, yeah. It's <laughs> colloquialize it. Yeah. To make up a term. I just want to get this on the record yeah. real quick. This is kind of interesting. So they talked about 270 scientists signing some sort of petition against. Germany. Oh yeah. I saw some of those. So Senna podiatrists. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, you know. She just took a, a picture of this. They yeah. have like postdoctor, a fellow of the university of Queensland, director of research, grasshopper farms, dentist, physician assistant, professor, 
adult gerontology, primary nurse care, nurse practitioner, epidemiological researcher. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it, so this is very, and they can similar. only round up 300 of those that were willing to sign their name that to... were willing to sign a name that aren't even associated with that specialized field. Right. What's interesting is this is the same charge when the IPCC came out in like what under, uh, under, um, Obama's administration, like 2012, right. 2008, 2012, somewhere in there. This it was is a good opportunity. It was the same issue. It's a good opportunity because oh, like, it's even deeper I'm not that. swayed with how many doctors are on your list, but crazy me, I might look at something like, Oh, uh, your treatments over here. How are people doing? Oh, everyone dies with your treatments. What about over here? I don't know anyone. And I know a lot of people who've taken treatment over here, kitchen sink. They're all living and fine. And none of them have long COVID, but these people over here who listen to the people on TV, Ooh, doggies problems be stacking up and medical and healthcare. They fired all the people that could actually function. And now in California, they're calling doctors and nurses who have active COVID inside them yeah. back to the hospital. I know it's, it's, it's completely irrational on so many Stanford levels. prison experiment. And, you know, level. I, I, I like act three the, Stanford prison experiment level yeah. at this point. Uh, it's a, it's sort of a level and degree that transcends the Stanford prison experiment now, to be honest. Um, you know, I attribute effective therapeutics as the reason why I got better so quickly. And we had fam, we had friends of ours that, you know, struggled quite, uh, quite dearly with this disease and they were able to utilize uh, therapeutics to their benefit, um, even short of breath and having low oxygen and so forth and so on. So, you know, I thank the Richard Bart Bartlett's and Peter McCullough's and Zelenko's and, you know, just so many different, um, uh, and the whole FLC, Pierre Corey and the whole FLCCC Alliance are talking about effective therapeutics. I was able to take that information, analyze it and utilize it in my own life effectively. And so I was able to showcase that my deductions about these therapeutics matched up with reality, which is what we call the correspondence theory of truth. Thanks to Aristotle, that our ideas correspond with the reality. And then once we have more of that cause and effect, we can be, have more confidence and assurance of what we are understanding about our world. And so there seems to be a direct correlation with those that seem to, and my, my parents who got nailed pretty hard, especially my father, effective was able to utilize effective therapeutics, um, early as an early treatment protocol. So again, you know, there's people demonizing that. And then there's so many people, at least anecdotally, you can notice a pattern of utilize that in their life. Not, not even talking about the studies that are available to showcase that's possible. Of course, now coming out of the military itself, so stating the same thing about things like ivermectin. And, you know, you can sort of see who's, you can sort of weigh the evidence right now. And we see, okay, Albert Borla coming out and talking about dropping vaccine efficacy. And after two shots, after, you know, so many weeks, 10 weeks or so, it's pretty much useless. You need to go get your boosters. Of course, he's just acting as a marketing agent now, right? Because these governments have bought up and they have stockpiles of a booster that later on will show Cold Springs Harbor Laboratory talking about, no, it's only 37% effective after seven days for Omicron at best, which means it wanes even more. So the boosters are not effective against this new variant. And it just they're just marketing. There's no sort of the, the correspondence of reality between like what the Peter McCullough's are talking about, juxtaposed to like the Albert Borla's quite a difference, quite a contrast. And it's the same sort of juxtaposition to scientists like that signed the Great Barrington Declaration, for example, and these 270 or so scientists that signed this little petition to try to go after Spotify to get Joe Rogan deplatformed, which is pretty funny. The $100 million man that is Joe Rogan who signed 100 million, well, the $100 million They're just trying to make Spotify. that dude president. That's all they're trying to do. <laughs> At this point. I mean, it's so absurd. It's not going to be orange man bad, definitely. You know, because he's still like sucking at the Pfizer tip, big time. You know, he has like, to to run again. 
Like the only reason he That's pushed right. warp speed is because he doesn't know any better. He's not that smart. He's and he signed smart, right? funding contracts for him. It's like from Pfizer 100%. and Merck and all these other companies to run in the first place. That's so right. if he wants to run again at his level, he's not using his own money. That's not what politicians <laughs> do, or you, you know? So he's never used the- his own money to build his whole real estate empire. He used, uh, you know, essentially debt to finance and, his entire and let me just say this he's a joke he's not an unknown person to the british royals because his uncle john g trump was knighted by the king i'm pretty sure it was the king or maybe it was queen elizabeth back then and he was the custodian over tesla's uh experimental gadgets and files mm. that were uh taken from his lab and from his room what was it 3303 or 3103 at hotel new yorker he had a safe there and they jacked all his stuff. And then John G. Trump got to be like, we keep this, we keep this secret, we keep this, we tell people about this, you know. So there's a whole lot going on behind the scenes that he's coming from a trusted family that got bailed out by the Rothschilds. He did yeah, in the early right. 90s. So, and then worked in covering up um, the work of, you know, Nikola Tesla. And oh, I thought you were going to say Jeffrey Epstein because he well, could have been right. Maybe, I mean, maybe both, both might be right there, actually, to be honest, which is pretty funny. Uh, there's this video. We don't have to play it now. I just wanted to get this on because I thought this was funny. Video, Trump gets upset when crowd boos him for taking COVID booster. Shouts, don't, don't, don't at the audience. So he got pretty upset that his base is not too happy about these uh, little jabby jabs. So little boop, boop, boops. So, yeah, yeah. that's uh, that's something that maybe he later could, on. He could definitely run section. as a Democrat, though. Maybe that's what he should do. Well, he was a New York Democrat for all those years until he ran as a Republican in 2016. So, to say, I don't think it changes the foreign policy or the domestic policy, regardless of who's in office. So. It it never has, and for the longest time, like that, Seven Up, never has and never will. <laughs> there you go. So, all right. So let's move on to what was the video you wanted to play? Uh, well, like that was. Uh, there's no video in specific. I was just, we can move on to the. All right, well, let's go to the next section because we're going to play that Jurassic Park clip. Yeah. Is that what we're up yeah, to? Yeah. So right this now? was uh, I was talking to uh, son of this week, and I this clip came into my mind for some reason. And I was thinking about it, and uh, I hadn't seen this for years, and since I was a little kid, and I hadn't paid attention to this scene, which is actually very telling. So Michael Crichton, uh, he was a, a genius in his own right, and the screenwriters that adapted his his novel about this. So, without further ado, let's go into the Jurassic Park, talking about genetic research and the ethics behind it. Our adventurous guests, of course, can opt for our jungle river cruise or for a close-up look at our majestic. None of these attractions are ready yet, of course, but the park will open with the basic tour you're about to take. And then other rides will come online six or 12 months after that. Absolutely spectacular design, spared no expense. And we can charge anything we want, 2,000 a day, 10,000 a day, and people will pay it. And then there's the merchandise. Donald, Donald. This park was not built to cater only for the super rich. Everyone in the world has the right to enjoy these animals. Sure, they will. What, we'll have a, a coupon day or something. <laughs> the lack of humility before nature that's being displayed here um, staggers me. Well, thank you, Dr. Malcolm, but I think things are a little bit different than you and I had feared. Yeah, I know. They're a lot worse. Now, wait a second. Now, we haven't even seen the part no, no, where no, 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 no
There's no reason. No, no, I want to hear every viewpoint. I really do. Yeah, don't you see the danger, uh, John, inherent uh, in what you're doing here? Genetic power is the most awesome force the planet's ever seen, but you wield it like a, a kid that's found his dad's gun. It's hardly appropriate to start hurling generalizations. If I may, um, I'll tell you the problem with the scientific power that you're, that you're using here. Uh, it didn't require any discipline to attain it. You know, you read what others had done, and you, and you took the next step. You didn't earn the knowledge for yourselves, so you don't take any responsibility for it. You stood on the shoulders of geniuses uh, to accomplish something as fast as you could, and before you even knew what you had, you, you patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're selling it. You want to sell it. Well, I, I don't think you're giving us our due credit. Our scientists have done things which nobody's ever done before. Yeah, yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. Condors. Condors are on the verge of extinction. And if oh, I wish no. to no, no, if I wish to create a flock of condors on this island, you wouldn't have anything to say. No, hold on. This isn't this isn't some species that was obliterated by deforestation or or the building of a dam. Dinosaurs. Uh, uh, had their shot, and nature selected them for extinction. I simply don't understand this Luddite attitude, especially from a scientist. I mean, how can we stand in the light of discovery and, and not act? Oh, what's so great about discovery? It's a violent, penetrative act that scars what explores what you call discovery. I call the rape of the natural world. Well, the question is, how can you know anything about an extinct ecosystem? And therefore, how could you ever assume that you can control it? And you have plants in this building that are poisonous. You pick them because they look good. But these are aggressive living things that have no idea what century they're in, and they'll defend themselves violently if necessary. Dr. Grant, if there's one person here who could appreciate what I'm trying to do, the world has just changed so radically, and we're all running to catch up. And I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but look. Dinosaurs and man, two species separated by 65 million years of evolution, have just been suddenly thrown back into the mix together. How can we possibly have the slightest idea of what to expect? I don't believe it. <laughs> I don't believe it. You're meant to come down here and defend me against these characters, and the only one I've got on my side is the blood-sucking lawyer. <laughs> Thank you. They're here. Once again, that part at the end reminds me of when Andrew Card leans into George. W. Bush while they're reading My Pet Goat at that elementary school on 9-11. Like, <laughs> like, he yeah, he leaned in there. and said, your dad just gave you the world, dude. Don't mess it up. Yeah, something like that. I think that was a quote. All right, so uh, Jurassic Park, Michael Crichton. He can't be credited with those exact lines, but he wrote no, the original no, the story. But... Yeah, so there's a screenwriter who correctly and accurately interpreted the yeah. message that Crichton was trying to get through. And uh, that's fascinating. I'm glad they don't do anything like that today. They don't go to Antarctica and dig up viruses from 5,000 years ago right, and try to bring yeah. them back to the lab or go to the deepest, darkest bat holes in the world and let's bring it back to civilization so we can prevent a pandemic. 
if the Joker and Batman did what he did and he's like, I'm trying to prevent the pandemic and people would just let him go. Oh, okay. He's, he's the Joker. It's fine. He's doing it to help the people and for public safety. He said, okay, maybe we should compare the words public to the, safety to, the, to the reality. Can we tie yeah. words to reality again? Didn't it get untethered back when New York times said we live in a post-truth world all cause they're like, they're angry at orange man, bad. Yeah. So they untethered their reality from reality. And they told us, they're like, Hey, we're going to change definitions on words. We're going to live in a post fact era, right? These are their claims. And then they right, wrote a yeah. time magazine article saying, ha ha, we did it. Yeah, we did it. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly right. That's, they're like I the mean, army of the yeah. 12 monkeys. Right. And we did it. <laughs> yeah, you know, well, the post truth world is a euphemism for, Oh, we just lie and you believe our lies. That's all it is. It's just a euphemism for lying. And so when they sit there and try to justify it, so it's some like scientifically established idea, which would be contradictory to begin with, um, that we live in some sort of post-truth world. It's basically saying that people believe lies. Tony, it's time to move beyond facts because facts are racist. So you need to live in a post-truth reality. And uh, just, you know. Facts are racist. You own nothing and like it, like Klaus says. Yeah, you can rent everything. You can rent your drill. You can rent your house. You can rent your car. Oh, did you get the, the jabby job? Well, no running for you. Sorry. Yeah, see how that yeah. works. All right. So uh, let's dip into this. Fauci, the military documents, and the email release theory. <laughs> yeah, this is yeah, wild. All right. So the first video up is Fauci yearned for a pandemic before COVID. Hmm. We've seen clips where he said Trump would face an unprecedented pandemic. Only four pandemics per century, kind of, you know, no guarantee Trump would face one unless you're working with the guys who have it on their schedule books for that year. And you just say that in a meeting and you hope no one heard you. All right. So let's go to <laughs> the comedian in his garage, Jimmy Dore. He's going to expose a little Fauci's uh, yearns. And we can get our learns on. <laughs> We're coming to you with some breaking news. Break it. So I found this video, and it might be upsetting to some people because we've proven to you that Dr. Fauci is a pathological liar. If you saw that movie, The Dallas Buyers Club, about AIDS patients being screwed over by the government, Dr. Fauci is the guy who was screwing them over. He's the bad guy in that movie. The Dallas Buyers Club with Matthew McConaughey. Dr. Fauci is the bad guy. Dr. Fauci is a criminal, and he lied to Congress. He's lied to you. We've pointed out three huge lies. The guy's nefarious, and you can't trust him. And uh, here's what he said uh, right before the pandemic. This is what he said about a year before. Malaria, tuberculosis, HIV. These are things that are there. Mm -hmm. Then the other thing that I aspirationally hope to be able to encounter is the ability to rapidly respond to something brand new, whether it's a brand new pandemic or as you He's mentioned, a brand new attack upon us. So I don't know if you heard what he said, uh, but he was hoping to, he, 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 he aspired to work on a pandemic. He was, Oh, I really hope I get to do that. <laughs> and then it's weird. He was funding the gain of function. In Wuhan, and he lied about it to Congress twice, and then it turns out he was funding the gain of function at the Wuhan research, and now they're saying that they think this virus was man-made. So I just think that's weird. That's weird that there he is admitting, boy, I really would like to work on a pandemic, huh? 
because we fucked up AIDS so bad. <laughs> Is that it? Because you haven't been able to do anything about anything? Well, I think he was having trouble selling Fauci merch, and he was hoping for a good, good pandemic yes. to get those candles out. Uh, so, uh, that's it. That's the, these, uh, we got to figure out a way to bump up these clips before we put them in a keynote. So Malcolm, look into that, look into how to bump up the audio on a, on a video clip and let's get a process in place. Cause this we seems to happen all the time now. So <laughs> let's fix this. Let's make sure our videos are at, that's at least two videos in one day. Right. So, okay, let's, let's, let's get on this. All right, everybody. Um, that's uh, so. Uh, does that scare you, Kurt? That uh, he had aspirations to work on a pandemic, and then he's no. <laughs> I had no faith in the system to begin with. So okay, I'm not dropping from a fall. You know that far. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I agree with Kurt. Yeah, I'm with Kurt yeah. too. Yeah, uh, yeah. it's one of the rare times I might agree with Kurt. All right, so. Uh, Project Veritas, they got some new documents. Now we knew, like I said, DAZAC, EcoHealth, they went to DARPA and they said, we have some bats and these bats have a coronavirus and we would like to play with that with a little gain of function. And then DARPA, EcoHealth would like to release that into the population of people out there and then see what happens with it because they would like to prevent the next pandemic. DARPA, what do you say? DARPA said no. Can you believe it? Now, there's a DARPA whistleblower. James O'Keefe has some more lengthy kind of Department of Defense uh, headed documents. I have not seen the actual like document dump. Uh, I have only seen one of the reports. So let's listen and learn together. And I would like to get a copy of the document that's being shown because I've seen clips and people highlighting and stuff like that. I'd like to read the whole thing and compare it to the preempt project diffuse yeah, uh, say grant diffuse, request yeah. that we've known about and we covered last September 27th yeah. in the death of innocence episode, I believe. I do believe. And then, uh, yeah, so let's, uh, let's go to James O'Keefe. He was important enough that the New York Times doxed him and released his phone data and confidential conversations with lawyers. So, you know, I take note of people that the New York Times goes after like that. Let's consider and weigh all because the of the diary that he didn't think was even legitimate even until that. But happened. they squashed Hunter Biden's laptop story like that before the election. There would sure be did. no situation today with what's going on and N95 it up or die or whatever their latest offer is without burying Hunter Biden's laptop. So let's go to O'Keefe and learn more. Senator, with all due respect, I disagree with so many of the things that you've said. You're still unwilling to admit that they gained in function, they gained in lethality. According to the definition that is currently operable, we're not going to get anywhere close to trying to prevent another lab leak of this dangerous sort of experiment. You won't admit that it's dangerous, and for that lack of judgment, I think it's time that you resign. Project Veritas has obtained never-before-seen military documents regarding the origins of COVID-19, gain-of-function research, vaccines, potential treatments which have been suppressed, and the government's effort to conceal all of this. 
Dr. Anthony Fauci has testified many times before Congress stating that the U.S. government was never involved in gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Will you today finally take some responsibility for funding? Hang on. I need to restart this. I uh, apologize. The, the audio for the stream got glitchy, so I just need to change something and restart this clip. We get it right. Yeah. That's the problem. They got through last week. They'll be able to get through this week. So, uh, one second here. This is intrepid. They'll have no problem with little snafu like that. You guys hear me all right? Was it on? Yeah, it sounds good on Zoom. So it's, yeah. it's on. It was, must have been on like the Rockton side or something. Yeah, it's it's Eli it's my audio Twitch. processor. Um, Let's uh let's restart. Give it a shot. Senator, with all due respect, I disagree with so many of the things that you've said. You're still unwilling to admit that they gained in function, what they gained in lethality. According to the definition that is currently <laughs> operable, we're not going to get anywhere close to trying to prevent another lab leak of this dangerous sort of experiment. You won't admit well, that it's dangerous, and for that lack of judgment, I think it's time that you resign. Project Veritas has obtained never-before-seen military documents regarding the origins of COVID-19, gain-of-function research, vaccines, potential treatments which have been suppressed, and the government's effort to conceal all of this. Dr. Anthony Fauci has testified many times before Congress stating that the U.S. government was never involved in gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Will you today finally take some responsibility for funding gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator, with all due respect, I disagree with so many of the things that you've said. Gain, first of all, gain-of-function is a very nebulous term. But That's, the thing is, is you're still unwilling to admit that they gained in function when they say they became sicker. They gained in right. lethality. It's a right. new virus. That's not gain-of-function? According to the definition that is currently <laughs> operable, we're not going to get anywhere right. close to trying to prevent another lab leak of this dangerous sort of experiment. You won't admit well, that it's dangerous, and for that lack of judgment, I think it's time that you resign. You have said that I am unwilling to take any responsibility for the current pandemic. I have no responsibility for the current pandemic. That assertion is based on the NIH's definition of gain of function. However, the documents we've obtained refute that. The documents in question stem from a report at the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, better known as DARPA, which were hidden in a top-secret share drive. But what is DARPA? They are an agency under the U.S. Department of Defense, which facilitates research and technology with potential military applications. Dr. Stephen Walker was the director of DARPA at the time of the EcoHealth Alliance proposal. A source sent us this video of Dr. Walker talking about research they were exploring related to mRNA technology and its potential application with military personnel in the field. DARPA, about five, six years ago, we set up an office called the Biotechnology Office, and the real purpose of that was to understand how biology worked and then build design, uh, design build and test cycles where you could um, engineer microorganisms to do things that you want to do. Though the main report regarding the EcoHealth Alliance proposal leaked on the internet a couple of months ago, 
it has remained unverified until now. Project Veritas has obtained a separate report to the Inspector General of the Department of Defense, written by the U.S. Marine Corps Major Joseph Murphy, a former DARPA fellow. Major Murphy makes claims in his report to the Inspector General that, if true, could be damning to the official narrative that has been played out to the world over the past two years. Major Murphy's report states that EcoHealth Alliance approached DARPA in March 2018, seeking funding to conduct gain-of-function research of bat-borne coronaviruses. The proposal was named Project Diffuse. DARPA rejected the proposal because the work was too dangerous and could violate the gain-of-function moratorium, despite EcoHealth's position that it would not. According to the documents, the NIAID, under the direction of Dr. Fauci, did not reject the proposal. They went ahead with the research at Wuhan and several sites across the U.S. Dr. Fauci has repeatedly maintained his position, under oath, that the NIH and NIAID have not been involved in gain-of-function research with the EcoHealth Alliance program. This appears to be contradictory to Major Murphy's analysis and the rejection from the Biological Technologies Office at DARPA. Major Murphy's report goes on to detail great concern over the COVID-19 gain-of-function program, the concealment of documents, the suppression of potential curatives like ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, and the mRNA vaccines. To be clear, Major Murphy is not the source of our reporting. As far as we're aware, he has done nothing that violates his oath of service to our country. We were able to track him down, and though he couldn't go into detail about the hidden documents, he did offer this heartfelt statement. I offer no comments on the investigation or internal Marine Corps deliberations. I offer a brief comment to those that desire answers and to those that withhold them. To those seeking answers, I offer encouragement. There are good people striving for the truth, working together in and out of government, and they succeed. To those that withhold, I pray for you. Find the moral courage to come forward. Don't let a lie be our legacy to posterity. People will forgive. A commitment to truth is in the heart of this nation. Semper Fi. Project Veritas reached out to DARPA for comment regarding the hidden documents and spoke with the Chief of Communications, Jared Adams. Doesn't sound normal to me. No, like I said, if, it, if something resides in a classified setting, then it should be appropriately marked. I'm not at all familiar with unmarked documents that reside in a classified, in a classified space, no. Um, that, like I said, that doesn't, doesn't sound like, I mean, it's, it's not good practice to put unmarked materials in, um, you know, in a, in a classified space, but there may be, there may be cause to, because, um, something is determined to be classified, um, but it wasn't, you know, originally marked appropriately. I'd be happy, Robert, honestly, to investigate and, you know, talk to the people who would own this document within the agency, ideally the, you know, the director of a biological technologies office or the deputy director of that office and try to ascertain, you know, why it was the case. So here's the question. If the Department of Defense, the same people who make our nuclear arsenal, felt this research was too dangerous to proceed with, why in the world did the NIH, NIAID, and EcoHealth Alliance recklessly disregard the risks involved? Did they purposefully change the definition of gain of function in order to bypass the moratorium? Further, who at DARPA made the decision to bury the original report that could have raised red flags to the Pentagon, the White House, or Congress, which may have prevented this entire pandemic that has led to the deaths of 5.4 million people worldwide and caused much pain and suffering to many millions more.
Why also did EcoHealth's Peter Daszak author an article and sign other scientists' names to it to publish it in the Lancet of February 2020 uh, in order to say anyone who asks about lab leak type of situation is a conspiracy theorist, that there's nothing to see there. Meanwhile, that guy's submitting the exact thing that kind of happened in the pandemic as a plan to DARPA. The post-truth world. There's no conflict Post-truth of Post-truth world, there. everybody. Mm. There you go. Perfect. Uh, that quote uh, from, from uh, uh, the response, the guy's letter, you know, Semper mm-hmm. Fi. Yeah, Semper Fi. Yeah, reminded the me. Majors, yeah. That was very impressive. I like, I like that. Yeah, and so- that was a good letter. And it reminded me of Neil Armstrong's last quote, where it's like, you know, the, the truth matters and people will figure out what's really going on in the future, right? The future knows the truth type of thing. So I thought that was uh, was resonant with what Armstrong had said. And then um, I just dropped in control room. I, I had this crazy idea that we should take that NIH article that talks about the 1918 pandemic and the bacterial pneumonia that was not the virus of a flu. And we should look at the Wayback Machine and see if that article ever used the, the four-letter word mask or the five-letter version masks. <laughs> Because it seems ironic that they would point out, hey, it wasn't the flu, it was bacterial pneumonia, but they're not telling you how people got the bacterial pneumonia in that situation, really, and spread it all over the place so effectively around the world during a World War I, a really critical time. So I'm just interested, did the word exist and it was censored out or changed or edited over time, or have they never in its history made a connection to the ideology of, uh, of the origin of uh, that phenomenon of bacterial pneumonia. So that's a question. We'll, we'll answer it as we go through the show. I don't want to hold up the show with that particular question. So we'll move ahead into some less Orwellian news. Oh, no, no. Uh-uh. Uh, <laughs> breaking GOP Oversight Committee releases email showing Fauci concealed lab leak info. This is coming from uh, Ryan and the kids over the hill. Let's see what they're uh, doing over in the clubhouse today. See what's on their radar. We're coming to you with some breaking news right now on this Tuesday morning. The Republican Oversight Committee released uh, emails obtained through a Freedom of Information Act that request that uh, shed new light on what doctors Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins knew back in the early days of the pandemic into April of the first year of the pandemic and uh, what they thought about that information at the time. I'm, I'm actually reading this off my phone. The Republican Oversight Committee tweeted, we've released never before seen emails that you you can see the tweet right there showing Dr. Fauci may have concealed information about COVID-19 originating from the Wuhan lab and intentionally downplayed the lab leak theory. Um, A a glance at the emails, Ryan and I were just reading through them, do appear to confirm that. Um, They make, the Republican Oversight Committee makes two claims early in their letter, uh, which they sent to Javier Becerra. One, that uh, Dr. Fauci knew the potential of the lab leak, and then two, that he knew the potential that uh, the the uh, virus had been intentionally genetically manipulated, and also that he worked with the EcoHealth Alliance to sidestep the moratorium on gain-of-function research, intentionally sidestepped it to continue that research, continue funding that research in the Wuhan lab. Ryan, what's your reaction to this trove of emails that was literally just released? So we're going through it now, and it's not entirely clear how much of it is 
is new to the public and mm -hmm. how much of it had not been released by Congress before. Right. Because a significant amount of this material has been leaking out into the public domain, uh, some, of it, some of it through, and they actually, they actually have a footnote here citing the Intercept's reporting on, on these questions. Uh, this might this might have a little bit more context. Uh, we'll, we could put a link to the actual emails themselves, you know, in this in this video, so people can people can read them. But basically, it it's what it's trying to do is shed, shed it's put more attention on a period of a couple of days that are extremely important mm -hmm. in in how our understanding or how the public's understanding of the origin of, of COVID developed, and that's, and some, and a lot of this has been known, and that, no, known to people who have been methodically following this, but I believe it was February 1st, uh, 2020, there's a conference call that Drs. Collins and Fauci are on about the origin of the, uh, about the origin of COVID, and on that call, people speculate that it may have leaked from the, from the, the lab in Wuhan. Mm -hmm. uh, three or four days later, uh, a, a paper is put together by some of these researchers that is speculating on the origins of COVID. That paper comes to Fauci and, and Collins. It later gets published and is used by Fauci as a way to tamp down any idea that, and, and to say that anybody who says this came from a lab is a conspiracy nut. Right. Now we know uh, that Fauci was aware that people within the NIH and scientists involved in this process ha had questions about whether or not it did come from this lab. Mm -hmm. And so what Republicans are asking here and what we don't know yet uh, is how did, what, 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 what are the precise contents of the first draft of that yeah. paper? And what, what, if any, role did Fauci have in editing that paper? That's one of the questions the Republicans ask. Do, did he have new scientific information that right. changed what he had heard on that call on February 1st? Or was he covering up the fact that it potentially came out of a lab because at the time he knew, and this is where they cite the intercepts reporting, he knew that the U.S. was funding EcoHealth Alliance's exactly. research in the lab, uh, knew that they were in violation and doing some sloppy stuff, uh, and so and and that that gain of function was involved. And so, was this a Fauci cover-up effort, or was there new science? And it, from the Republicans' perspective, they don't seem to believe that there was anything that came out in the three days between when they suspected it may have been a lab leak to when they uh, may might have edited the paper to say that there wasn't one. Do we have the clip of Fauci um, on with Chuck Todd? According to multiple people familiar with this classified document, what can you, what kind of light can you shed on this uh, report? And what do you remember about it at the time? Yeah. Chuck, there's nothing new about that. All of us have always realized, and I feel this way, I haven't changed. Most of the scientists that I know feel that way that the most likely origin is a natural origin from an animal reservoir to human. However, we have not ruled out the possibility that there could have been a leak from the lab of them working on the virus. It could have been that someone was infected early on, they brought him into the lab and it came out of the lab, but it was already out in the community. So I think the confusion is because most of the scientists felt that the most likely, and the reason is most likely historically, 
We've seen this over and over again. We've seen it with SARS-CoV-1, with MERS, with Ebola, with influenza, with pandemic flu, with bird flu, with HIV AIDS. That's what you see all the time that happens when you have the animal-human interface. But all of us have been open-minded enough to know that until you nail down exactly what it is, you always must leave open the possibility with an open mind that there could be a leak. Okay, so what you can see is that it's true. Dr. Fauci is saying, "Listen, um, we're we're not we haven't completely ruled it out." But in the emails that were released, you see Dr. Collins calling this a dangerous conspiracy theory that threatens, and this is crucial, I think, quote, international harmony. So you can see how the concerns of these bureaucrats were not just about the truth, but they're about the effect right. on our relationship with China. China, and Dr. Fauci says it's a shiny object that will go away with time. That's in the emails. And so you can see how the the sort of conflict about where to actually follow the evidence and how to talk about the evidence is appearing because Fauci is in that conversation with Chuck Todd saying, listen, we haven't ruled it out, but privately they're talking about it as a dangerous conspiracy theory and a shiny object. And that seems to be a really important distinction. In addition to the rest of this, the intercept reporting that is cited here is so crucial because that's outright corruption, as outright corruption, saying you're not doing something, working to soften the rules and so that you can right. basically lie and obfuscate about the fact that you are doing it. You're doing right. it. Right. It's awful. And, and we'll, we'll keep exploring these documents and we can, um, you know, we'll explore them more, more tomorrow. Uh, but, but as of now, what, you know, what this is, is an effort to you know, elevate this question. And one of the questions that, uh, that Republicans ask in this letter is, could the knowledge of the of the origin mm. have any have have had any effect on vaccine development or right. treatment or anything else? And research, research yeah. in, in, in the in the scientific process, you want to know everything. Mm -hmm. Like you, you want everything out there so that you can throw everything at it. And if if it is the case that he that he covered this up, which all of the evidence does point in that direction, yep. then those are extremely serious questions and Republicans are asking him to come in and testify uh, under oath to that. Uh, so if if he doesn't, uh, you know, if, if he if he refuses, Republicans are likely to have some subpoena power. Uh, come 2023. Well, and I wonder if President Biden uh, asks Fauci to sort of resign nobly uh, before that would, would happen in a way that it would ripple into his administration, um, because the administration continues to promote Dr. Fauci as a credible source, um, because I don't think he gets due skepticism from the media, the legacy media at mm -hmm. least, um, you know, when he goes on the Sunday shows and answers questions that are purport, purported to be tough or might be right. in style sounding tough. But aren't really tough because these questions, as Ryan says, a lot of this we sort of have known from leaks. We have sort of gotten at from leaks. But um, I think this does create a big problem for the Biden administration because this is uh, the, the process of sort of shoes dropping that creates a trickle, a drip, 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 that uh, every time it breaks into the news cycle makes the administration look ridiculous for continuing to promote this guy. Yeah. And you know, f for a long time, the polarized nature of this debate meant that Fauci was basically immune from criticism from Democrats. Democrats and the left. He had the vaccine. Yeah, and and also the alternative 
was so crazy, like Trump, you know, Trump. <laughs> so you're like, okay, I'm with this guy. Uh, that's and that's how so many Democrats felt. But now uh, that Democrats are turning on the CDC and starting to question whether or not the CDC is is following the science, uh, you know, in the in the in the famous Democratic phrase, uh, I think that creates vulnerabilities within the Democratic coalition for Fauci himself, yes. you know, if the CDC becomes, because once you start questioning the response to it, then you say, well, wait a minute, what, what did you tell us in the very beginning about this? Yeah, and we'll have to see how the, the legacy media responds to the release of these emails, which, again, I don't know who FOIA'd. If it was the Republican Oversight Committee, I mean, this wouldn't is wouldn't exactly be a FOIA, because that's the press. I think they, they, they just do document, straight-up document requests. Right, yeah. right. But this is something that the legacy media should have been chasing doggedly. Um, and maybe other people had FOIAs, and I don't know. But I'm curious to see how the, the legacy media takes this up, because, um, you know, I think they've protected Fauci. And this Biden now has a, just a truly, truly unbelievable number of COVID deaths over the course of his administration. Infections people feel like are out of control, even if this variant is more mild. Um, and it's a really bad time for the public face of the Biden response to COVID and the public face of our political establishments and our, bureauc our bureaucracy's response to COVID to uh, face questions in his own words, I mean, right. emails in his own words. And I think we all just want to know the truth, because if we can learn the truth, that can help us avoid this type of thing in the future. Mm -hmm. Uh, absolutely, and that's the point, is that like we are vulnerable right now. There's, there's nothing to say that we've earned a break from um, another pandemic, right? Like we didn't earn a break from a pandemic. This could happen right. what else any is, moment. What else is going on at these sketchy labs all over the world? And are, are we funding them? I mean, <laughs> and are we softening regulations to get around public scrutiny of the fact that we're, that we're funding them. I mean, again, like we don't get a reprieve from pandemics just because we're still going through one for two years. This could happen again at any time. Our government is ill-prepared. They're not willing to admit their own mistakes and that leaves us all more vulnerable for it. Right. And it's a, if it's a catchy virus and you say, well, gain of function research is too dangerous to be done here in the United States, yeah. do it all the way over here yeah. in, in, in China, in this city with 25 million people, uh, it'll never get over here. Yep. Oh, they have airplanes over there. Can you believe it? Who knew? <laughs> Who knew? Oh, but hey, international harmony. International yeah. harmony. Jeez. Yes. Well, well, we all... International harmony. Uh, okay, so, uh, yeah, I don't want to get distracted at the end there. Um, all right, so picture a bank, a really, really big bank, and inside is everybody's freedom, Okay. And then these three guys, they show up to rob the bank, but while they rob it real slow though, they rob it real slow. And while they're robbing the bank, they change the definition of robbing a bank such that what they're doing in stealing your freedom out of that bank is not robbing the bank anymore. Okay. Now I present to you this scenario, a gentleman named Peter Daszak. CEO of EcoHealth Alliance, uh, someone who receives lots and lots of money from DARPA and the NIH, especially through Fauci. COVID happens. He happens to be working with the bat lady in the bat cave, making stuff over into Wuhan. COVID comes out. He says, nothing to see here. Lancet, will you publish my article? And I signed a bunch of other scientists' names to it who didn't write it. Will you publish my article? Lancet says, sure, Peter. We should... We should for, hold on. Yeah. I gotta make I gotta make my case here. I'm playing Perry Mason. 
So that's exam that's ex uh, exhibit one. Exhibit two, I'm going to couple Fauci and Collins in there because the FOIAs show that they did the exact same thing, orchestrating hit pieces so that anyone who looked at what they just did, what they were doing, what they were actively funding would be called a conspiracy theorist and therefore banned, censored, persona non grata, pushed out of the picture so only the lie remains. Now, Ryan said, and I agree with him on this, the truth matters in this case. We have not gotten close to the truth yet because we have been watching and listening to the authorities who say nothing to see here. Don't look at us robbing the bank behind you, right? It's not, not, not for you to see. But it appears to be a pattern. Three independent arguments from three independent males who are involved in this circumstance, right? I would say they're suspects. Collins, Fauci, and Dazak. Why are they suspects? Because they knew enough about the crime to write uh, hit pieces and put out propaganda and psychological warfare articles to tell you to look over there when the crime was going on right behind them. That seems awfully prescient information. And their thought processes revealed do not start with observations and some logical reasoning ending with a conclusion that's rational. No, 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 no. From the get-go, these fringe epidemiologists at Oxford and Harvard and Stanford or wherever they're from, fringe schools, fringe epidemiologists, right? Those are code words. Those are dog whistle words, right? And that's saying we have to do a hit piece to make sure that their, their information can't be weighed on the scale of public opinion because it's not about an even weighing of the truth. It's always been about them putting out a story to steal power and thus your freedom. Yep, that's an incredible analogy, and I totally agree with that. I mean, just for a matter of uh, consistency, Peter Dajak's really more of the money man. Remember, he's a zoologist, and so his his front man. Purpose, I'll call, I, we can agree on front man. So it's really like Ralph Barrick is the one, you know, the NoCM technique alongside Jising Lee that are coming, mm -hmm. that are actually doing the manipulation in the laboratory setting. He's just, but he's close enough to the bat lady that yeah, they tweet yeah, back and forth about meeting correct. back at the bat cave later. Like there was a whole zero hedge article. But he's not a virologist tweeting. himself, nor is he a microbiologist. No, he's so a zoologist he, slash he's a zoologist. potential just, MI6 Johnny on the spot. Sure, he's the guy who's the making sure the whole, he's like the manager. He's the guy overseeing the entire project. He doesn't necessarily need to be an expert in any one of the, like in Zizing Lee. Oh, he's overseeing microbiologist, though, right? but he's overseeing <laughs> So, I mean, that's just for a matter of consistency that this to make sure there's no conflict. He's the one there. that goes in to say there's not the bank's not being robbed. I was just in there. I was over there with the mm -hmm. CDC You're and right. the WHO. Yeah. We went to the bank twice. You guys keep saying it's being robbed. There's nothing yeah. there. There's there's nothing there. So Correct. look look for the pan pangolin. So <laughs> look at the pangolins, right? Pangolin, what a ridiculous absurdity. Um so LD, shout out to LD, did a quick search for in the Wayback Machine, yeah. talking about the bacteria pneumonia caused most deaths in 1918 influenza pandemic. I think for just a matter of consistency, I should read these two quick paragraphs. Because I think what this goes back, the earliest capture we have goes back to March 11th of 2016. I think okay. that's what it's saying. But that's March interesting because the articles from 20, 2008. 2008. And Wayback Machine existed back in 2008. And all of a sudden, this article is no longer in the Wayback Machine from 2008 to 2016. And something happened in 2016. And all of a sudden, the Wayback Machine is, clerk, is, is, is cashing this article. 
Am I correct? It's in the my same article. It's the same article. And like the argument essentially made here, and I'll just read these two quick paragraphs. The work presents complementary lines of evidence from the fields of pathology and history of medicine to support this conclusion. Quote, the weight of evidence we examined from both historical and modern analyses of the 1918 influenza pandemic favors a scenario in which viral damage filed, followed by bacteria pneumonia led to the mm. vast majority of deaths, which is actually a very logically valid argument. That makes sense. So it's co or it makes it exactly with COVID-19. It was the COVID induced pneumonia that was killing the people with the comorbidities. Yeah. I wasn't arguing that the virus yeah. didn't exist. I was just arguing yeah, that I they know, didn't die from the virus. They died from either well, side effects of the treatment or other causes yet to be discussed. Well, according to Fauci, the, the masks of this bacteria was getting on the mask as well from people working with sick patients. And so then it was precipitating and exacerbating the, the, and what do the people damage do with their masks the all the time, Tony? So, yeah, they're playing with them, fidgeting them. Yeah. I mean, like there I, was actually a study early on in 2020. It actually wasn't a study from 2020. It was an older study. I think it came out of somewhere in, in, uh, somewhere in Asia. But it was interesting because it said that some people were getting more sick from just like the common flu if they had just a mask on. And this goes back to like, I want to say 2016. So I have a video talking about all these various studies right when they started, um, you know, with the lockdowns and the masks mandates and all this sort of stuff. And there are some studies that actually concluded that masks actually uh, exacerbate viral um, uh, sickness. So it was an interesting argument because you're sitting breathing in the material. It's a simple observation. People aren't taking donning and doffing a mask serious enough that if we had a real attack, that everyone would die from not knowing how, like, for instance, people touch their masks all the time. They're mm -hmm. such, they're so casual about it. Like I had a buddy who went to talk to his uh, like town meeting and the guy's like, you don't have a mask on. And meanwhile, the guy who has a mask on, who's scared of people, like he's like triple vax, he's got a mask, he's scared of the public. Maybe he shouldn't be a public leader, right? The point is those masks aren't stopping the fear, right? So are they effective? I don't know, but here's what I observe. People touch them all the time. And what do they do? They take their dirty hands that they've been touching everything after they did the hand sanitizer because they touch stuff, right? And then during that meeting, that guy touched his mask 72 times while arguing that other people like are dirty for not wearing a mask. I don't know about you, but when I'm in public places, I wash my hands afterwards and I don't touch my face. And this thing that everyone's scared of shutting down the world, it only gets in through your eyes, nose, and mouth. Right. I was going to say your skin's everything protecting I know, you. And it's so an upper respiratory virus. Okay. So I'm a big boy. Maybe I use some uh, mouthwash that would knock something down. Maybe I could use a nasal spray and I can interact with the world freely and not have those, those ill interactions. But if you put that mask on and then you touch something, you touch that mask, that's on your mask all day. You're not sanitizing your mask throughout the day. Most people wear their mask day after day after day. And what do you think about kids who don't know any better, don't even know about germ theory yet? They're touching their, and you're mandating that they got to do this eight hours a day in their indoctrination centers. Shame on you. Shame on you for believing a bunch of nonsense and I mean, giving even up your freedom in exchange for that. Good trade. You're like Jack and the Beanstalk without the Beanstalk. Even liberal publications such as The Atlantic did a sort of like analysis of all the studies that were available. I want to say it was either The Atlantic or The Washington Post. And it was very interesting because they said the, the best science that's available, meaning the, the scientific studies they deemed that were the best or, you know, had the best controls, uh, showed that masks are ineffective. 
And so it was interesting that even some liberal publications have come out even against this idea of like mask mandates. To your point, people aren't touching their face like that all the time if there isn't something on their face all the time. And the skin protects you from microorganisms. That's part of its job. It's essentially like the outer version of your microorganisms in us. We are microorganisms. We have millions of viruses in our body at any given time, all Mm -hmm. sorts of bacteria, bacteria, viruses, archaea. I mean, we're, we're actually of all the, we're, we're part of all the kingdoms of biology, technically coalescing into one unified whole called a human being, but which is interesting in and of itself. And so, you know, in that regard, it's just fascinating that, you know, we have this sort of like, we can call it loose analogy an outer immune system of the skin, um, the skin acting as an organ to protect yourself from, and, you know, threats outside. And here we are, one of the ways in which it can get in, you're sitting there playing with the thing that's on your face all the time, getting all the extra stuff all around your mouth, your nose, your eyes. I mean, it's just absurd, which is why there have been some studies that showed a negative response to mask usage. So there's actually a higher rate of infection, whether it's bacterial or viral, depending on what they're studying, which is fast. Now that wasn't all studies. There was only a couple of them, but it was interesting to, sh- to note that there were some. And uh, this, this goes to show you just how ineffective the whole masks mandate and mask situation really is. So, and that is going to the point of this 2008, but last capture. Can I take it one step further since you, since you get what I'm saying about like people wear masks, they touch their dirty hands to it. Right. Okay. During this whole thing, people are all masked up. You got this plexiglass between you and whoever, whether it's a restaurant or a store or whatever. And what's everyone doing? Oh, they're all sharing the same pen for credit card receipts. Okay. If this is a real pandemic, it was like, you know, 5% mortality, like they advertised at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody be gone by now with those types of techniques in place. And all they've done is train people for thousands and thousands of hours to do things that you would never do in a viral or bacterial kind of outbreak, chemical warfare, biological warfare. So everyone, someone's to call it a toxin or, or microorganism. I don't care. It's just it's something that's been identified causing something from out disease. there that gets into you mm-hmm. and deprives you of air. Let's just put it like that. Simple enough. Yeah. Whatever exactly. you want to call it. Uh, we've, um, you know, people have shared stories uh, in the town hall, by the way, Tuesday night, seven o'clock PM, Tuesday night town hall, uh, GTW town hall. Anyways, they've shared stories about their experiences uh, going to testing centers. And so you have people with like shields and face masks and they're touching, you know, pens dropping on the ground. They're touching their masks multiple times. They're taking samples, putting in the viral or, or the, the, the sort of, um, the test tube or whatever. And then they're, they're taking it to the, the facility, the machine or whatever. And it's just interesting. Cause it's just like how many times they don't change their, they're not uh, changing their gloves. They're not changing their masks. You know, they're touching, it's the same gloves, with the same mask that they've touched a thousand different times. The pen has touched the person because they have to sign. They're touching the pen. Like, it's just so unscientific. This I is like not the way if you were to go into surgery, where they would have the to... ultraviolet and they, they test, like, you know, they had send people in a room. They've done it. They got masks. They're at a table. They're eating. They're socially dis- like distance. And after the meal, they turn on the black light. Everybody was infected except for one person. And that person was just like an OCD person who had their routine. Correct. The that was time. my point. It takes a, yeah. it takes like a surgeon type of protocol, a surgeon to stay type alive of in that situation. Yeah. And if you notice and that's what, what they ruined do, for a lot of people, you constantly are changing out equipment and you, the way you scrub down is insane. I mean, it's a very sterile, sterile environment. It has to be 
to go into surgery to try to prevent any sort of bacterial infection due to the surgery. So it's the same way. It's the only way you're going to prevent sort of microorganisms. Otherwise, you know, good luck. The whole thing, the whole thing was about control, compliance and control. And I think Brett and Heather stated it best a couple of weeks ago when we showed a video by them. It's really, it's about making us divided and conquered so that there are people that are fighting us, like normal people that are fighting us that don't want to wear masks and keeping us divided and conquered while we don't look at the people that are mandating this sort of compliance from on high. And so it's just a, it's a way to divide and conquer the, the population to get us to police ourselves. In other words, is the point to get us to police ourselves and that whether, you know, obviously I don't wear masks when I go out into the environment, but um, well, Biden's you know, talking about everyone needs to be wearing N95 masks now, Tony. Well, I'm just funny, waiting for them to go to the scuba masks. I should like, actually, since we're talking about masks real quick, let me just bring this up. You're going to need a snorkel with a filter to breathe. This is funny. If they have their way. So if we go to the masks section, there is, let's see, house members supplied KN95 masks stamps, <laughs> stamped made in China. So I thought that was a little, and they're probably fake masks too. Yeah. So they they probably are. There's a whole flood of counterfeit masks that came into the country. Cause I just think it's funny that the entire Congress is wearing made in China right on their face. I just think, you know, I don't think, I mean, at this point, I don't think anything they're doing is funny. I I mean, it's the whole, nothing's funny, but it's sort of, you know, you got to find a little silver lining to the absurdity of what's going on, you know, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, lampooning something you feel sorry for now yeah, it's, not <laughs> it's no fun but but we do have a hot take from steven crowder on this whole fauci email situation and it's always cool to see you know people with large audiences start to come along to things the alternative news community the people who research and read for themselves and share online albeit censored most of the time uh knew probably a year ago at this point at least a good solid six months ago so let's go ahead to Steven Crowder from, uh, what do they do? Louder with Crowder. That's what it is. <laughs> Let me get to the Fauci thing here. Uh, and I know that this is something it's, it's hard to keep track of for a lot of people. This is what I do for a living. And sometimes I go, okay, didn't we already prove that this guy knew about gain of function? Let me give you a brief recap because it happened yesterday while we were live on air. Yeah. With, yes. With Rand Paul. And your point was the best yesterday, by the way, about okay. Rand Paul and Fauci accusing Rand Paul of trying to kill him. You're like, from Iowa. Yeah. From <laughs> Iowa. There was from a guy, Iowa. Like, there was a guy 2,000 miles away. 2,000 miles away. It was trying to kill He me. beat AOC's distance. <laughs> he yes. did. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. A, a transgender <laughs> swimmer could get there faster. Yeah. <laughs> On land. <laughs> he had a gun and was nine states away. Yeah. That sounds exactly. terrific. I'm like, oh, yeah, really? Tell me more. Mm. And there was also a guy with a camp gun in Schenectady. I don't feel safe anywhere. Oh, we had very loud whippets. Yes. <laughs> so uh, Fauci told Congress that he never saw grant money, right, uh, funding the gain-of-function research. Okay, you guys all remember this. The House yeah. Republicans then released new emails. Now, these emails made it clear that, let me read the quote for you. By January 27, 2020, Dr. Fauci knew that the NIAID had funded EcoHealth, the WIV Wuhan Institute of Virology, was a subgrantee of EcoHealth, and EcoHealth was not in compliance with its grant reporting, in particular, that the national infection, uh, they knew that they had gain-of-function potential, okay, for yeah. novel bat coronaviruses. This is something that you already know. I just want to make sure so you understand what is new now. Um, The emails also show that Fauci and Francis Collins colluded with other scientists 
to put down the lab leak theory. Yeah. So it's not that, okay, there was funding of the research and he was warned about it. Now there is, there's no plausible deniability because there's evidence, all references available at ladderofcredit.com, link in the description, that they were saying, how do we punt this? How do we get rid of this? Yeah. How do we bury this? Um, and they did it even though there were some high-profile scientists in the same email chain who told them that it was possible. Well, this and came they, from said, a lab. they said 70-30 to 60-40 on it. So it wasn't yeah. like a remote possibility that right. they were just like, hey, it's 90% that it didn't. I got like 10% maybe that it did. Right. It was like, hey, I'm almost 50-50 that this thing may have come from this lab. And, right. and yet, that's what Rand Paul pointed out. He's like, then you put something out in Wired Magazine to run cover. Right. And you came out and said no. And people got kicked off of YouTube for saying this. We yes, got kicked right? off of YouTube <laughs> for saying this. <laughs> yep. We got kicked off of YouTube for well, saying this. Not we, people. We. This guy. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think mostly it was my fault. Again. Yes, it was your fault. Yeah. Who would have thought that of all the hard strikes, two like, of them were from Gerald? Yeah. <laughs> it's I, funny. People on the road are always like, you got to stop getting him kicked off. I'm like, literally never once it's was never, It's never, never ever was me. It's never happened. It's, all, it's, it's, it's just been the cold, hard facts that yeah. have gotten us thrown off of the it's air. It's been Gerald. You know what it is? You know how we know we're going to get kicked off YouTube? Is anytime Gerald says like, uh, uh, hey. Something can, accurate? Yeah. He says, hey, can you uh, pull up the CDC stats for a second? Well, and we're gone. What yeah. Yeah, that's weird. Hey, do you know that it's like 60-40 from this doctor saying that it was from... Oh, shoot. There and we by go. the way, if he's saying 60-40 or 70-30, it's a really dangerous position to take. Yeah. You know that it's more like... It's probably 70-30 the other way. Oh, yeah, because he's pushing it up. Yeah, if a doctor's saying like, I don't know, I think there's a 30 or 40% chance that maybe it came from a lab, what that doctor is saying is, it came from a lab. <laughs> That's why they scribble their it. names, so they're like, that's not my signature on your brother that OD'd on Vicodin. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's they're a cover. shady never, bunch. For the last time, that. it was methadone. I used to be a Vicodin addict, and now I'm a methadone addict. Okay, I do both. Yeah, well, it improves my high. <laughs> So, high-profile scientists in the same email chain said, look, there's a strong possibility that this came from a lab. And then you have Fauci and, and, and Francis Collins saying, how do we get rid of this? How do we make sure that this doesn't get out? You're about to say something to him? Oh, yeah, Mission Control was saying that one of the, the scientists that was saying that is the doctor that discovered the SARS receptor. Ah! So it's not just nobody. Some random doctor. No, 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 no. Yeah. By the way, what a miserable existence that is. They put that on his headstone. It's like, yeah. discovered the SARS receptor. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for all the horrible diseases that everybody hates. I'm the reason that people were locked down in Toronto. <laughs> what happened to him? Did a Clinton kill him? Well, not yet. Oh. <laughs> I mean, as far as we know, there could be a body double. We'll see. Yeah, that's true. We don't know. He's breaking his hyoid in a cell somewhere. Now, yeah. uh, remember, back in May, so these emails were going back and forth. This is what is different. Fauci knew about it. These doctors, who were reputable doctors, the science, as you would refer to them. And also, let's keep one thing in perspective. When people say the science, can we all agree when people say common ground? Okay? I want you to comment here below because I know that there are a lot of people who are who are liberal. You watching right now who watch this show, our number one uh, city where people watch is, is Los Angeles, like really? San Francisco. Yes. Yeah, because we have a lot of a lot of people who watch right now, you're conservative living in red, in uh, in blue states. Uh, yeah. Fox News caters to fly over country. If I hear Rascal Flats, life is a highway one more time, I'm going to blow my brains out. Don't do it. But uh, a lot of you, I understand, you sort of are misfits. And so a lot of you who are watching right now, I'm speaking to you, the individual, you're probably a conservative who lives in a relatively blue area or in a blue area of work. So um, this is something that I would hope everyone can agree with if we're talking about common ground, the science. Don't you want as many reputable scientists as possible? Do you want it 
to be a dictatorship? Does the science mean Fauci? Because in this, in this case, we have many doctors. Now we know he's already discounted the other doctors from, uh, from Stanford, from Harvard, from Oxford. You know, some doctors have actually seen patients. Yeah. We know that they've tried to revoke the actual uh, uh, medical license of Dr. Peter McCullough, who was on this show, what, nine months ago? We know that there were doctors who were banned who said early on that we're seeing people in our practice in Southern California. And uh, this, yeah. uh, this COVID-19 is, does not have the 2 to 4% mortality rate that was being touted at that point. We know that we've discounted those doctors. But what about, in this case, the doctors who were on a closed email chain with Fauci, meaning he was fine with it. He was fine with it at that point. This input was to be included until he didn't like what they had to say. Shouldn't we all agree that science should include as many valuable scientific minds as possible? So let me just establish that. That's what's different. Now, keep in mind, this is also why it matters. Back in May of 2020, which would have been Again, we're talking about these emails. You can see what happened. He already knew about this. This is when Fauci claimed pretty definitively that it was not, meaning it, the virus, uh, man-made, and that it had, it had not escaped in a lab. This is May of 2020 when these emails were going on, which we now know. If you look at the evolution of the virus in bats and what's out there now, it's very, very strongly leaning towards this could not have been artificially or deliberately manipulated. The Wrong. way the mutations Apparently 60% is off. very, very strongly. <laughs> A number of very qualified evolutionary biologists have said that Disagree everything about yes. the stepwise evolution over time strongly indicates that it evolved in nature and then jumped species. Someone will say, well, into Maybe a bad sandwich that I carried out of a lab. Put it in the lab, <laughs> and then it escaped from the lab. But that means it was in the wild to begin with. <laughs> so that's why I don't get what they're talking about. If it isn't manipulated in the lab, and you're trying to say it escaped from the lab, then how did it get in the lab? <laughs> it was in the wild. Well, you were in the wild too once. Except you've spent the last <laughs> ninety years in a cubicle. What is he trying to say? Like at some point, there was something in nature, and then uh, then there was a lab, and we uh, mutated it into an ungodly virus that didn't exist <laughs> in nature. So I think that we can all agree this is uh, from natural causes. Wolverine was in the woods. Yeah. Then when we <laughs> took him in, and we some you know did he become superhuman when we forged adamantium to his exoskeleton? I'm not sure, but at one point. He was existing without us. You made a good point, too. What's the point about Fauci's, uh, Fauci's wife? Yeah, Fauci's wife. Uh, so it, it's really interesting. She's actually the chief of ethics for the NIH. That's his wife? Wow. Yeah, so she, chief of <laughs> ethics. It looks like Will Ferrell playing Janet <laughs> Reno. Looks like one of the looks like one of the King Friday puppets from oh, Mr. Rogers. Oh expect Lord! Expect on a finger. Like is that ad hominem? Yep. That is as the... good as he looks for eighty. Thought he could have done better. That is the grossest sex. <laughs> Can you imagine? Ugh. Ah, no, I can't. Ah, Stop it. Oh boy. Uh, ah. That's why this feeling occurs nowhere in nature. That's why he's. <laughs> that's why he's making viruses. He's just trying to get rid of that. Yeah. Have some soup. All right. So look, she was actually the chief of bioethics at the NIH. Yeah. Which sounds strange, leaving my mouth. Chief. Yeah, chief of bioethics. Yeah, I would bioethics by chance, and maybe she didn't look. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna get into conspiracy theories here, but, but th those are the people who make sure that the things that you're doing are ethical, right? 
Well, not if you grease them good. Well, would a would a bioethicist by any other name be as incompetent? I'm just curious. So she gave a lecture titled Research Ethics and the NIH. This is not a joke. And the NIH was the one who approved gain-of-function grants to EcoHealth. Hmm. But her husband put dogs' heads in cages to be eaten by flies. Uh, it's ethical. Yeah, totally Noth- fine. There's, no- there's nothing to see. Yeah, it's Snoopy. Oh, by the way, we're going to have Judge Fauci. We're going to have the science on the show tomorrow. Really? Uh, he will be on the show. I don't know why he keeps yeah. coming on. I love it. Well, I think it's because he's the science. Yes, he is the science. You need uh. to spread the science as far and wide. <laughs> yeah. I'm Johnny Apple Science. Look at me. It's wow. like I've been condemned to roam the earth with uh, a pumpkin head filled with science <laughs> for the rest of my life. And it's the Fauci lantern the, or the science lantern. Doesn't he seem like adult butters? Yes. Kind of like <laughs> like if Professor Chaos became oh. a per, an adult, it would oh, be. Oh, I'm going to do gate function in a lab. Oh, boy. I'm going to get grounded. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm in a lot of trouble for this one. I'm in a lot of trouble for this one. I have to go have sex with my wife. Oh, gross. Hey, Are you sure you're a girl? Watch louder. <laughs> that was a pretty good ending. That was funny. They tell you the truth and they make you laugh. That's a good combination. Yep. All right. So uh, you, I wanted to go to that next clip because I wanted a more oh, yeah. subtle, nuanced, and grim, Ryan Gremlin. grim view on it. And I think what happened was we saw the video where they were finding out and it was breaking news and he was yeah. nervous and he's like, ah, ah, I'm not quite sure what to say. And then he went and did some reading and I didn't see that report yet. So I would... You got it right. It was the next day after the initial yeah. break. And All right, cool. Hypothesis verified. Let's move forward. Let's check out uh, Ryan Grimm on the Hill getting red pilled through DARPA documents. And the name of the, the name of the title is the new Fauci emails are even more damning than you think. So he, after doing a little hmm. bit of research, let's see what he said. See what he discovered. What's on your radar, Ryan? Well, so yesterday you and I talked about the uh, emails that the that from the NIH that had just been released. And by Republicans on the House Oversight Committee. And at the time, we were trying to figure out what was, uh, what was precisely new in them. But either way, uh, they painted a damning picture of U.S. government officials wrestling with whether the novel coronavirus may have leaked out of a lab they knew they were funding, deciding that it very well may have, and then actively suppressing those questions. So to spell out what actually is new here, these emails themselves and others similar to it had previously been obtained by news outlets, including The Intercept, which sued the NIH for a huge batch of documents. And the GOP actually cited us in two footnotes. Uh, These particular emails were first obtained by BuzzFeed and The Washington Post, but the emails were heavily redacted, making it hard to know what was being communicated. A lot of them looked just like that. But as we also know from previous reporting, Republican staff were able to view the full emails, quote, in camera, which basically means they could physically look at them but couldn't take copies with them. So what they did is they quickly took as many notes as they could. It would be better if the NIH would just release them, but this is the best we've got at this point. Now, one quick side note, it's pitiful, it's shameful that Democrats wouldn't collaborate with Republicans on this investigation in any serious way. This shouldn't actually be partisan. It's existentially important that we get the actual truth here. It's obviously too late to stop this pandemic, but maybe not too late to stop the next one. 
If the NIH and Francis Collins and Anthony Fauci know more than they're telling the public, that's something that should bother anybody from either party or from no party. So what they actually found is quite a big deal. So on February 1st, Anthony Fauci, Collins, and at least 11 other scientists joined a conference call. It's February 11th, 2020. On that call, Fauci and Collins were told the virus might have leaked from the Wuhan lab and might have been genetically engineered. So some context, the day before, Fauci had been warned that it may have been a lab leak, as USA Today reported. Now, the day after the call, Dr. Jeremy Farrar sent around notes, including to Fauci and Collins, summarizing what some of the scientists had said on the call, and that's what's new in this. I want to read directly from some of this because the details are extremely important. So one scientist said he's bothered by the furin site and has a hard time explaining that as an event outside the lab, though there are possible ways in nature, but highly unlikely. So given above, a likely explanation could be something as simple as passage SARS-Live COVS in, in tissue culture on human cell lines under BSL-2 for an extended period of time, accidentally creating a virus that would be primed for rapid transmission between humans via game of furin site from tissue culture and adaptation to human ACE2 receptor via repeated passage. So I think it becomes a question of how do you put all this together, whether you believe in this series of coincidences, what you know of the lab in Wuhan, how much could be in nature, accidental release or natural event, I am 70-30 or 60-40. And there's this from Dr. Bob Gary. Before I left the office for the ball, I aligned NCOV with the 96% bat COV sequenced at Wuhan. Except for the RBD, the S proteins are essentially identical at the amino acid level, while all but the perfect insertion of 12 nucleotides that adds the furin site. S2 is over its whole length essentially identical. I really can't think of a plausible natural scenario where you get from the bat virus or one very similar to it to NCOV where you insert exactly four amino acids, 12 nucleotide, that all have to be added at the exact same time to gain this function. That, and you don't change any other amino acid in S2, I just can't figure out how this gets accomplished in nature. Do the alignment of the spikes at the amino acid level, it's stunning. Of course, in the lab, it would be easy to generate the perfect 12-base insert that you wanted. Another scenario is that the progenitor of NCOV was a bat virus with the perfect furin cleavage site generated over three evolutionary times. In this scenario, RAT-G13, the WIV virus, was generated by a perfect deletion of 12 nucleotides while essentially not changing any other S2 amino acid. Even more implausible, in my opinion, that is the big if. Okay, so we know that on February 1st and 2nd, the conclusion was that the virus being engineered in the lab was plausible, indeed, arguably more plausible than not. So later on February 2nd, Francis Collins emails Fauci and colleagues, and the tide begins to turn, and you can start to see politics begin to creep in. Quote, I am coming around to the view that a natural origin is more likely. But I share your view that a swift convening of experts in a confidence-inspiring framework, WHO seems really the only option, is needed, where the voices of conspiracy will quickly dominate, doing great potential harm to science and international harmony, unquote. 
So Dr. Ron Fourchier sent an email making the same point, saying that, quote, further debate about such accusations would unnecessarily distract top researchers from their active duties and do unnecessary harm to science in general and science in China in particular, unquote. Two days later, Fauci and Collins got a draft article being prepared by the scientists called The Proximal Origins of SARS-CoV-2. The draft paper is still secret, and all we have is Fauci's reply, which seems to be a scientific version of WTF. He typed two question marks, followed by, quote, serial passage in ACE2 transgenic mice, unquote. So now, the logical conclusion here is that the paper included serial passage as a possibility, and Fauci was flagging it as noteworthy one way or another. That theory does appear in the final version of the Nature Letter. A hypothetical generation of SARS-CoV-2 by cell culture or animal passage would have required prior isolation of a progenitor virus with very high genetic similarity, which has not been described. Subsequent generation of a polybasic cleavage site would have then required repeated passage in cell culture or animals with ACE2 receptors similar to those of humans, but such work has also not previously been described." Unquote. That's how they dismiss it at the end. If Fauci or Collins made substantive edits, this appears to be where they put their pen the heaviest, allowing animal passage to be raised, but immediately dismissing it as having not previously been described. So Republicans also released an email from Jeremy Farrar saying, Eddie Holmes, 64 Lab, I am 50-50. So on February 4th, the day they got the paper, key scientists still believed the lab theory was plausible, which, which makes it impossible for Fauci to claim something major changed between the first and the fourth. Francis Collins, in an email, then called the paper a, quote, very thoughtful analysis, arguing against engineering, but repeated passage is still an option. In other words, they were arguing that it wasn't deliberately constructed in a lab, but an experiment that involved repeated passage between animals was still possible. From there, the trail goes cold in the emails, and the paper that is eventually published rejects the idea that it originated in a lab. Fauci cited the paper in tamping down the theory. Peter Dayzak, who you communicated with privately, and other members of the scientific community that wrote opinion pieces for Nature, five of them signed a, a paper for Nature, an opinion piece, 17 signed a paper that called it conspiracy theory, the idea that the virus could have originated in the lab. Do you think words like conspiracy theory should be in a scientific paper? Senator, I never used that word when I was referring to it. You're distorting virtually everything. Did you communicate with the five scientists who wrote the opinion piece in Nature where they were describing, oh, this, there's no way this could that have come from, was from not the lab? Me. What did I you did, talk with any of those see, scientists but privately? You keep, you keep distorting you? the truth. It is, it did is stunning. You so while the mainstream media blackballed the topic, people kept pushing. Francis Collins in April emailed Anthony Fauci a link to a segment by Brett Baer, who noted that people still wondered about that lab. Of course, one thing Collins could have done is actively explored the question and search for truth. But by April, Fauci and Collins had settled on their story, and Fauci told him to ignore it and assured him it would all go away. Quote, I would not do anything about this right now. It is a shiny object that will go away in times. That was not true. Right.
though he was wrong. Went he away for a long time. Brilliant political instincts right. from Dr. Fauci. No, it's, uh, that, that absolutely did not turn out to be the case, and uh, partially because the evidence just, despite their best efforts, I mean, I think one of the things you pointed out is that Fauci cited that paper to tamp down on the theory, right. which was, of course, the point, but it is a completely corrupt process, literally manipulating scientific papers for political ends. Um, and that, that Collins email that was just up, he talks about, uh, this is a destructive conspiracy theory that threatens international harmony, international harmony. And so you see that their motivations are not purely scientific, as Dr. Fauci would have you believe. There are all kinds of politics, and the other thing I would note is that date, February 4th. February 4th, as you said, what changed between the 1st and the 4th, we don't know. It seems likely that nothing did. But February 4th, 2020, February 4th, 2022 is the day that the Beijing Olympics begin. So two <laughs> years to the day, um, you know, we're, we're international getting- International harmony. International harmony. Um, so I, I found the sort of the that interesting in and of itself, because here we are. But that everything you just broke down, I thought was really helpful. And it, what, what's obnoxious about this whole conversation is, is how partisan it has become, and needlessly so, because there's actually, there's nothing structural or fundamental about the question of where the virus originated that necessarily requires Republicans to believe one thing and Democrats to believe another thing. Right. Like, what's well, the China I, question, right? It, like. Right, but for them, it was they, they talk about international harmony. But I think what what they mean underneath that is the harmony of their scientific research funding flows. Yeah, the WHO. Yes. Right. Fauci was furious about the pause in gain of function research. Uh, Fa you know, Fauci knew that they had been funding this type of research through EcoHealth Alliance in Wuhan. Uh, you know, did not. You know, did did even. You know, even in the, at the height of this, wasn't reflecting on whether or not uh, gain of function is something that should, should be paused. Mm -hmm. Like he thinks, and he has said this publicly, that it's just misinformation, that people are confused about the value of gain of function and, and, and the wisdom of it. <laughs> and, and the so, definition of it, of course. And so that's right. So that's, <laughs> that's the harmony mm -hmm. and that, that they're really talking about. And for all of these uh, Democrats who are concerned about the, or who were concerned about the, the lab leak getting discussed, they don't have any interest in defending gain of function. Like they, were, it, it, they weren't right. even thinking through, like, what, what's their material connection to this question? It just became a, a culture war question uh, to the point where everyone on one side uh, just was on you know, believing one set of things, and then everybody on the other side was believing the other. The media has played, I think, a, an absolutely shameful role in all this as well. Granted, after a while, there was a long New York Magazine piece that came mm -hmm. out talking about the lab leak theory that really got people to take it seriously again. But for the better part of a year, they were following Fauci's lead, and he was manipulating them, intentionally manipulating them. And you can see it in the emails. They're talking about media strategy. I mean, come right. on. Um, and they're actually, again, using papers, uh, scientific papers, to deal with the media. And so the media's role in allowing them to get away with that for the better part of a year and even longer, depending on what the source is, because they seemed to be anti-Trump. And, right. and Fauci had that moment for a couple of months. Um, but even then, when he was you know, saying nice things about Donald Trump, everyone thought it was sort of like winking and nod, right? Like right. He, was, he was you know, the Trump whisperer. Um, and so because he was against Trump, 
the media couldn't do its job of calling balls and strikes. And that, I think, is also what pushed everyone into their individual corners. Right, because I would love to hear kind of impartial, scientific-minded people mm -hmm. uh, talking, you know, grilling Fauci about this. Absolutely. Who just want to get to the bottom of it. I'm, I'm, I am glad that Rand Paul is pursuing it. Uh, but he can only take it so far right. because of who he is. Right. You know, he needs somebody with you know scientific credibility across the board to say no, no, no. Like that, these answers are not going to fly. You can't just make this a personal war between me and you. Well, that's yeah. Like you said, Fauci wants to make it into a dogfight. The the exchange that you just played, you hear him. Rand Paul didn't say that Fauci referred to it as a conspiracy theory, and right. Fauci is saying. I didn't refer to it as a conspiracy. Right. Like he's, he's intentionally arguing past the point. Um, but I think, sadly, everybody is too sort of tarred or, or burdened by the, the partisan labels now to actually serve as, as a sort of neutral scientific arbiter. <laughs> because, um, yeah. you know, somehow, some way, we always find a way to, to, not we, but the people in the media and in our politics always find a way to take sides. Right. Indeed. But we will have more rising right after this. They're so close to realizing. <laughs> they're, they're almost there. Um, the reason that Fauci and Collins and Dazak put that smoke screen out there, continue to argue uh, the preciseness of gain of function versus the E3P protocol you senator as you know we don't call it gain of function we have a very all that stuff well, you know said what the, the term was nebulous but yeah you know what the you know what the function of those types of actions are they gaslit people for two years and just now ryan Grimm is like holy shit these darpa things are real but we didn't look at it because it was polarized and political maybe it was politicized and polarized because they were that was their smoke screen oh my goodness you got it right so thank you, uh, you know, The Hill for two years into it. Yep, that's the game plan that's been going on. And uh, all that stuff that's in there, we've talked about since episode one of this because we were already a year into it when we launched this show. So none of that stuff was new or novel to us at that time. But it's good to see it making out to, like, the wider public. There's a lot of people who watch The Hill, you know. And for yeah. Ryan to take those DARPA documents seriously – Shows me like maybe he's not like a, a sellout shill like all those other people at the legacy media. I like how they use that term now too. I wonder where they heard that. Where where did legacy media terms come from? All right. He's being serious. He's considering new evidence. He's changing his position. He's like, whoa, whoa, you know, stand off from that wet market story. There's some real stuff going on here that the adults are reading. So I like that. That gives me uh, optimism and it's inspiring to see that, uh, you know, maybe they're waking up to smell the coffee in Peru like, Colin Powell did on 9-11. Yeah, right. I like that his editor, whoever did the research for him, maybe he did, um, went through and actually analyzed, or maybe they took it from other people on Twitter that were doing the sort of analyzing. I was trying to rewind and do screenshots, and I realized you can't do that in a Zoom meeting. So that's what happens when you're doing it live. Wait, I'll we're catch them later. But analyzing the emails and seeing what was different from what we already knew. And that was pretty telling what was different. You have actual yeah. virologists sitting there saying, this Farron site, there's something if strange you're in here. Cleavage site. There's 12 nucleotides encoding for four amino acids that are just not one of the bits, one of which being that CGG, CGG insert coding for the amino acid arginine. So it's just like, hmm, this is really strange. We've never really seen this in nature. 
where the fuck is this coming from? Then you, yeah, the they're not even talking about the glycoprotein 120, you know, insert as well, which is that sort of HIV type of insert. Isn't that what Ralph Barrick so, did? He he's famous for the no CM insert technique. Well, the no CM sort of hides the insert. It hides the insert. It hides, it hides the, the edits. It's like you know, a, it's like a cross dissolve, so you can't see the cuts. And to use a shot here, uh, I thought this was a pretty good note. Harry, he also participates on the town hall. He said, Fauci, Dr. Barrett Collins funded gain of function studies at UNC Chapel Hill. So it started in America, in which they taught the bat ladies using Lee. This happened with the moratorium in 2014. Uh, a PLA officer found to build biological weapons. That is treason for all involved. And that's not hyperbole. It's also, let's not forget in 2017, when the moratorium was lifted, that was a time at which I think Biomeriu finished the construction of the Wilhan Institute of Virology Laboratory. It was either when they started around the time they finished it, where they could actually do that type of research. And because they knew China is just a playground to test out stuff that you can't get they away with in European or not American research situations. Right, exactly. You know? But the to point is, China is much more it's new. loose. You can kind of like get away with doing some more stuff in China, where you have more oversight in Europe and in America or Canada, so forth and so on. It's a little bit more tricky with the bureaucracy. I think involved. you mean more overtly corrupt, whereas here it's got a nice shroud of liberty. Yeah, liberty there's a lot more air quotes. Over for your benefit here. So it's just funny. I mean, because like my point has been for a long time that there are many players involved. It's pan-national in this case. It's not, it's America. It's a, you could look at the French, even some Canadian um, it's a bad family. Actors it's as well, as it's well a family of globalists and their affair with Let's everybody about the, in an uh, unintentional, penetrating manner. What's the laboratory in Maryland? Spacing on it now. Fort we'll Detrick. Yeah, that was closed there. down numerous times for working on biologicals, too. not on their records, which means it's black ops, like a DARPA, black ops, CIA yes. type of thing. Like DARPA type of projects. But they shouldn't be left out from porting down the British unit. Yeah, where, good point. You know, That's a really good point, actually. The anthrax from 9-11 likely originated. Yeah. Just saying. Also, key bono. Key bono. <laughs> Ask questions, find answers. That's, That's, That's the key. Yeah. All right, so I wanted to do mo one more hot take mm -hmm. because I feel like Ryan redeemed himself there. Like Crowder was no surprise. He covered it. He made it funny. He does. Ryan, Ryan reviewed and redeemed himself. I want to see what Crystal and Sagar do because I was kind of hard on them a couple weeks ago. And that was last you know, maybe that was brutal. That was brutal. They, hey, they deserved know. it. And honestly, on, I have man. to say again, Crystal, I don't know if she's just exposing hope. her IQ because this week she had a really belligerent statement about, I'm not a fan of Candace Owens at all, but it's just like this cat fight going back and forth. And I'm like, you're really, yeah, don't buy into drama. you're really it's not about like the people lowering about yourself the here. That going on. That's what you it know, should be about. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, but hopefully we have this something, is pretty good. We have something in, in memoriam of that last week real quick. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's just a... <laughs> Wait. That's, well. that's a, that was a hat tip to the chat that was hot and heavy in the coverage of our analysis. And they were saying, come uh, on. Yeah, I muted myself. That, that was for the double homicide. But no, continue. Yeah. <laughs> double Argumentative. Conceptual, conceptual homicide. Conceptual. Yeah. Homicide. That was that was just uh, so, yes. analysis of their claims in and Minecraft, observations. As they say. Yeah. In, in context of uh, history. That's all. I was just adding a little historical flavor. 
I'm open-minded. Let's see how they give, like, did they give it fair coverage? Do they bring predisposed ideas that aren't in the evidence? I don't know. Let's check it out. I'm curious about this juxtaposition as well. I haven't seen this, so it'll be interesting. Some very big news on the lab leak front. So the House Republican Committee has released some new emails that they reviewed from the National Institute of Health of discussions of the lab leak hypothesis between Dr. Fauci and uh, the head of the NIH and many other prominent scientists. Let's put that up there on the screen. These emails are vital because what they show is that there was an institutional effort to push back and stop any discussion of the lab leak hypothesis within the National Institute of Health. Specifically, Bob Gary, he was shown in the emails and was spoken to by NIH leaders who advised him, quote, not to mention a lab origin as that will just add fuel to the conspiracists. So within that, it is very clear here that Dr. Fauci, that Francis Collins, the head of the NIH and others were shown in summaries of calls and emails with leaders who were uh, experts in the field of virology, specifically told them to shut down discussions of a lab leak hypothesis in February of 2020. And I think this is very important because here's the thing. February 1, 2020, try to remember that time. There was no discussion around coronavirus. I looked it up actually. Our very first, I was freaking out a little bit around then. I got a call from a friend of mine late January who said, this is a big deal in China. I'm looking at the data. This is a disaster for old people. We are going to have a massive lockdown in America. The first segment that we did on it was right after Valentine's Day, late February on Rising. Wow. Uh, I actually went back and found it. So, but that's, again, it just shows you that February 1st, 2020 was a very, very early time. And immediately at that time, they were saying, do not mention any lab origin hypothesis as it will fuel conspiracy theorists. This is not afterwards. This is during the initial outbreak and showing you that from the very beginning, they were deeply concerned about the idea of a lab leak, so much so that they were willing to shut down discussions of it. And the emails themselves show that at such an early time, of shutting down the discussion on this crystal, that they knew the political explosiveness and the backlash that they would face when the truth came to light. Two years later, it's clear as day, at least, if not the origin itself, although I think there's overwhelming evidence pointing to the lab leak, that within the cover-up from the very beginning, they did everything they could in order to make it go away. I mean, so the the cover-up in certain ways is worse than the crime Mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, look, no one is saying here that the Chinese like intentionally or that Fauci intentionally right, manufactured exactly, a pandemic exactly. around the world. Exactly. Lab leaks happen all the time. Yes, it is not, as we learned throughout the course of this pandemic. It is not that unusual. And yeah. to say, okay, this is devastating. And this is why this is so important we come back to it. Like, it's really important to know how this absolutely devastating pandemic that is going to ultimately kill a million Americans, um, how this started and what we can do to prevent the next one. And so what you see in these emails, when you read them, the initial instinct from the scientists that Fauci is consulting is that it probably came from the lab. Oh yeah. They they say it's 70, 30 or 60, 40, Mm -hmm. that they think it, it probably came from the lab, 
versus natural origin. And then over the next couple of days, they say, well, maybe it's more like 50-50. Well, 50-50 is still like, you know, that's, hey, a, that's, that's a jump ball. <laughs> that's like, okay, we have competing theories and we need to air this out and evaluate the evidence and do investigations and figure out what the hell happened here. And what they say is that further debate, this is the direct quote, Further debate, and they're talking about on the origin of, of the pandemic, would do unnecessary harm to science in general and science in China in particular, and that it could also damage, quote, international harmony. Those were the words of Dr. Collins, a former director of USNIH. They're not worried about science in general or science in China in particular, because if you were worried about science, you would want to find the truth, right? because that's what the sci science is supposedly about. What they're really worried about is the things we've talked about here. They're worried about their grant funding. They're worried about their projects, whatever their mm -hmm. pet projects are that they view to be career enhancing. That's what they're really ultimately worried about here. This is truly a smoking gun, especially when you think about the way that Dr. Fauci talked totally dismissively of the, the lab leak whole year of hypothesis. Yes. He's still to this day holding on to the wet market mm -hmm. theory. Which not even China stands behind anymore. That's what I love. So, I mean, to to look at the tone of these emails, which are, start off as very like, I actually think it probably came from the lab to like, I'm 50-50 I'm here. And then to compare that to the public tone from Fauci mm -hmm. is just completely, it's just obvious that he was playing politics. He liked for political reasons, a certain theory, not because that theory was more likely. And then the rest of the media, he sets the tone for the rest of the media. This theory gets completely blackballed. You can't discuss it or you're a racist. That was the real right. move was to yeah. say, you can't oh, yeah. even talk about it or you're a racist. And now here we are so many months and years later with mounting evidence that actually the obvious thing that likely, you know, that scientists thought likely happened is, you know, increasingly evident that that is probably what occurred here. But the, the perverting of science for political ends, this is a smoking gun proving that that is what's been going on all along. Yeah, it's really awful. And it again just shows you about the cover-ups and the lack of the, the lack of rigor in our journalistic institutions to look past the clear ideological cover-up of all of this and have no curiosity. Why does the House GOP have to do this? Many journalists are well-sourced enough too. in order to go and get the data for themselves. They could have done it in June. They could have looked at the spike protein and all of the unique elements of this virus back in June of 2020 when Brett Weinstein went on Joe Rogan's podcast to tell the world about it. Why did it have to go that way? You know the answer. And the most cowardly and disgusting thing that Fauci does is he conflates criticism of himself with criticism of science. Mm. And most recently, when Rand Paul was questioning him before Congress, a really cowardly move he made was to suggest that criticism of him is conflated with death threats and that you are thus responsible for death threats against him and his family by criticizing of him. When you're in the public eye, it comes with the territory. I know that sounds very callous. We get uncomfortable and odd messages all the time. I'm, ha I'm like 190th famous as Dr. No, 19,000th famous as Dr. Fauci. And that's just simply how it goes to have the unique privilege of having this job and being able to speak on this platform. Same whenever it comes to Fauci. And this is how this all went down. Let's take a listen. 
You deny, you deny, but the emails tell the truth of this. No. This wasn't the only time. Your desire to take down those who disagree with you didn't stop with Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. You conspired with Peter Daszak, who you communicated with privately, and other members of the scientific community that wrote opinion pieces for Nature. Five of them signed a, a paper for Nature, an opinion piece. Seventeen signed a paper that called it conspiracy theory, the idea that the virus could have originated right. in the lab. Do you think words like conspiracy theory should be in a scientific paper? Senator, I never used that word when I was referring to it. You're distorting virtually everything. Did you communicate with the five scientists who wrote the opinion piece in Nature where they were describing, oh, this, there's no way this could that have come from, was from not the lab? me. What did I you did, talk with any of those see, scientists but privately? You keep, the, you keep the story you? the truth. It is, it did is you stunning talk, how did you, you do talk that? to any of the scientists privately yes. who wrote the opinion? You did. Well, what were they telling you privately? Well, well, let me explain. You know you're going back to that original discussion when I brought together a group of people to look at every possibility with an open mind. So you, not only are you distorting it, you were completely turning it around, as For most you of the scientists do. that came to you privately, did they come to you privately and say, no way, this came from the lab? Or was their initial impression, Dr. Gary and Dr. others that were involved, was their initial impression actually that it looked very suspicious for a virus you know, that came from a lab? Senator, we are here at a committee to look at a, a virus now that has killed almost 900,000 people. And the purpose of the committee was to try and get no, things out, how we can help to get the American public. And you keep coming back to personal attacks on me that have absolutely no relevance to reality. There is no personal attack. The he arrogance, Crystal, uh, obfuscation. Ridiculous. The only straight answer that he gave was, yes, I did communicate with him yeah. privately. And then he that was the only one. Else. And then he's, oh, you're distorting. And apparently he was hot on a mi hot mic saying, Jesus Christ, what a moron. That's what went viral. People love the fact they're like, Fauci owns Rand Paul. Rand Paul is an ownable figure. I get it. Um, well, that's that goes back to your point yeah. about how it sucks that this is partisan. Yes. Because then, I mean, yeah, Rand Paul, he wants his political moment and he gets and fine, political you know? hay out of that. That's his incentive. And it does me mean that you should be, you know, leery and be have questions because he has he has an incentive right. here to create these moments as well. But yeah, when the media isn't looking for these answers. Mm -hmm. When the Democratic Party, this shouldn't be partisan. Everyone should want to know how this started and what we can do to make sure it doesn't happen again. Democratic Party actively wants to cover up any any nefariousness that was done here in the early stages. It's damning. It's utterly damning. They had caught red-handed, acknowledging at the beginning. I mean, he's right. They, they convened these scientists, and their initial instinct was it probably came from the lab. Yes. At least some of these scientists said, eh, it looks looks very unlikely that this would have developed in nature. They cite the like furin site mm -hmm. or whatever and say it's very furin unlikely yeah. that this naturally developed. Um, and then the, so that's their internal discussion. And the public discussion is, it didn't come from the lab. I'm very certain the evidence shows it. We're gonna publish this, uh, this piece in nature that really just totally shut down. I mean, that one piece was so effective in shutting down any other lines of inquiry from the media. For the media over a year. Slavishly yeah. follows along, introduces this talking point that if you even say anything about it, you must be a racist, you must be a Trump white nationalist hack or whatever. 
And this is it. This is the roots of the cover-up right here before your face as clear, as clear as day. Yeah, and unfortunately, you'll hear about it on YouTube. You're never going to hear this in the media. You'll never hear it. You know, everybody's going to say it's some Republican conspiracy or whatever. And this guy will probably retire with a freaking award from Presidential Medal Freedom or whatever. I don't know what to say about this world. Hey, guys, thanks so much for watching. That's right. Just the Presidential Med Medal of Freedom. Long. I think he's right on that. I think Fauci probably will get some sort of. I'm not so sure. I kind of think the Senate and the House both they're catching uh, on. If they're, they well, if they get republic, if they become uh, dominated by Republicans after the midterms, yeah. I think some charges will be brought, and then Biden will have to pardon him, and something like that will happen. Mm. If that if it mm. comes to something like, I mean, that's one. Or Trump will pardon him again. Or Trump, yeah. Well, I, I don't think Trump will get it. But I think Biden's Crystal and Sauger redeemed themselves. That seemed like mm, let's, pretty. I'm going to break this down. Well, it was yeah. pretty tight reporting for all the reporting I've it seen was. in the past week. You know, they, no, it was good. Have, it was good. There was yeah. another clip I watched this week with Lisa, and I was like, "Are they or are they not doing mental gymnastics?" She's like, "Oh, they totally are," because they'll tell you like, "Hey, Pfizer shouldn't be trusted, but their product is safe and effective." Like, it, there's this conundrum yeah, going exactly, on. Double yeah. think. I think it's this cognitive dissonance because they have yeah. to. They, they don't have, have the to context play to a certain audience, right? Yeah, they have to yeah, put yeah. on a certain and like, and, and they also want to present themselves as being this sort of like truly independent, you know, not biased towards one direction or whatever. What's strange though is notice subtly what they're doing. Brian, I think Ryan Grimm sort of commented on this, but he didn't comment. He commented on it actually, I think, better. So they're talking about the lab release being just an accident of course. all of a sudden. Like that's something I think we need to pay attention to. Like oh, now yeah. it's just an accident, which like yeah. there is no direct evidence. Unlike the Farron Cleavage site, for example. Come on now. Or, or, or the CGG, these nucleotide yeah. inserts, right? Like those are yeah. specific smoking guns when it comes to messing with the virus and this chimeric virus in the laboratory. However, now they're trying to sort of direct away from and build a straw man very cleverly. So straw Ryan man Grimm, for accident. Oh, it's just for, an accident, everybody. Well, you lost your freedom. It's a straw man on one level for an accident. It's also a straw man. Notice what Fauci did in his emails. He got the other virologists to be like, look, no, it's it's serial passage, I think is what they called it, right? Repeated passage in uh, animal tissue. So in other words, that's what this guy, Jamie Metzl, who has this probably one of the best timelines, and I'll just put this out here, goes into the lab leak origin and he this dude's a shill to a certain extent because he tries to direct away from the furin site the furin mm. cleavage site yeah. um and let me see if i can uh i wanted to go to about did they or did they not who this guy is technology futurist geopolitics expert entrepreneur it's like the world economic forums exactly on the spot. exactly yeah. so like what they're doing is they're building a straw man about this serial passage this repeated passage to animal tissue it was an accident yeah, it yeah, wasn't yeah. Okay. really you know what i'm All saying right. oh yeah forget you, the milken institute so crazy someplace else vaccine so, modernization act let me ask this did they or did they not have to humanize mice in order to get ACE2 receptor connectivity between this SARS-2 pathogen and human beings. They did, and it was gain of function. And that was part of why they were shutting it down in 2014 and put the moratorium on in the first place. Because when you go to the point of putting human cells inside of mice to play God and prevent a pandemic and be a superhero and your wet dream is that you're going to prevent a pandemic one day and be Johnny on the spot. To stop. You still didn't do it this time. Fruit loop. Jesus Christ. Well, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh my goodness. They prophesize that there's a pandemic in, in the future and then they bring it to life.
He's got fake articles in Nature, fake articles in Wired. That comes from Collins and Fauci's emails. And then a fake article in The Lancet. Lancet, yes. The, they didn't even mention The Lancet. Come on, man. Yeah. They, yeah, they're not even making that connection yet. I and know. that's Dazak Johnny on the spot got caught by the U.S. right to know nonprofit FOIA request November of 2020. November of 2020. Look that up. USRTK, U.S. right to know, found those foyers on Mr. Dazak and his little plan. So what yeah. I see is that the criminals have been saying they're not robbing the bank of freedom for two years. <laughs> now we got their emails. Like we got them planning, like That's they're right. doing it, That's but right. they're like, no, we changed the definition of robbery and it's continued. It's yeah. going to continue. And at some point, Republicans and Democrats are going to sniff out the fact that all their freedoms and their family's freedom, their kids freedom and their grandkids freedom all got burned up and all this bullshit political pseudo civil war dissent divide and conquer right and let me say this on behalf of Rand paul who didn't speak for himself because of time limitations let me say this fauci's like there was this guy and he was going to come do mean things to me okay and he didn't why because there's a whole bunch of law enforcement protecting fauci senator Rand paul was attacked by his neighbor who was Trump derangement syndrome bullshit. Correct. Yeah. Well, said, punctured actually. his lung, collapsed lung, broken rib, this sort of stuff. And then Senator Rand Paul also got chased. Yes. Like an escaped prisoner through the streets of New of, of Washington, DC by people who were BLM or some sort of Antifa, 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 one of those, yeah. one of those groups out there that has, you know, the political support to do whatever they want and break rules where a United States Senator from Kentucky is, you know, running down the street for his life. Correct. Yeah. It's a non I hardly can compare. That's like somebody going and parachuting into France, occupied France in world war two. And then somebody cutting himself with a pocket knife, whittling a fucking dildo. Okay. <laughs> Comparing them as being the same thing. Okay? Yeah. It's a perfect example. It's a non I brought color. Yeah. yeah. There's people yeah, blushing and there's people cheering. That's, what you get when we do it live all right so now we have not uh we have not delved into that story too far but we have to move on to the next section it's a similar section this section is called Rand paul versus fauci and there are some clips that i don't think we've seen yet so which of these tony help us navigate through this uh, archipelago of clips between fauci and Rand paul uh that have come up in this past week archipelago. like how i used yeah, nice. I, I used archipelago because you know gulags be in fashion right now bro <laughs> No, people are cheering them on. Fashion they're like, they're going to IKEA to pick out the decorations for their gulag ghettos. Yeah, whether it's the metaverse or the literal literal gulag, all be well masked. It won't matter. It's all going to be one and the same thing soon. Anyways, I would say let's do the C-SPAN because we should probably get on the record the the full exchange of Fauci versus uh yes, please um, brand. We want the That's uncensored, unbiased C-SPAN have at it and the c-span is the best quality so it's the one underneath the first one i have there it's the second one under the fauci Rand paul versus fauci and then we can go to this little freedom tunes uh, animation about it so i'll highlight it there for you the schoolhouse rock version <laughs> yeah cool so we'll get that and then there's a bunch of commentary the official we'll footage afterwards yeah. senator paul Dr. Fauci, the idea that a government official like yourself would claim unilaterally, unilaterally to represent science, 
and that any criticism of you would be considered a criticism of science <clears throat> itself is quite dangerous. Central planning, whether it be of the economy or of science, is risky because of the fallibility of the planner. It would not be so catastrophic if the planner were simply one physician in Peoria, then the mistakes would only affect that physician's patients, the people who chose that physician. But when the planner is a government official, like yourself, who rules by mandate, the errors are compounded and become much more harmful. A planner who believes he is the science leads to an arrogance that justifies, in his mind, using government resources to smear and to destroy the reputations of other scientists who disagree with him. In an email exchange with Dr. Collins, you conspire, and I quote here directly from the email, to create a quick and devastating published takedown of three prominent epidemiologists from Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. Apparently, there's a lot of fringe epidemiologists at Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. And you quote in the email that they were from Dr. Collins, and you, you agree that they are fringe. And immediately, there's this takedown effort. A published takedown, though, you know, doesn't exactly conjure up the image of a dispassionate scientist. Instead of engaging them on the merits, you and Dr. Collins sought to smear them as fringe and take them down, and not in journals, in lay press. This is not only antithetical to the scientific method, it's the epitome of cheap politics, and it's reprehensible, Dr. Fauci. Do you really think it's appropriate to use your $420,000 salary to attack scientists that disagree with you? The email you're referring to was an email of Dr. Collins to me. If you look at the email that you responded to and hurried up and said, I can do it, I can do it. We got something in Wired no, magazine. No, no, no. I think in you usual did. fashion, Senator, you are distorting everything about me. Did you First ever object all, to Dr. Collins's characterization of them as fringe? Did you write back to Dr. Collins and say, no, they're not fringe, they're esteemed scientists, and it would be beneath I, me I did to not do that? You responded to him that you would do it, and you immediately got an article yeah, you, in Wired, you, and you sent it back to him and said, hey, look, I've got him. I nailed him in Wired of all scientific publications. That's not publications. what went on. You there did. you go again. That you just do the same thing every hearing. That was your response. And so, this, wasn't, so, this wasn't the only time. So your desire to take You're down people... You're absolutely incorrect. As usual, Senator, you no. are incorrect almost everything you've well, said. Well, no, you deny, you deny, right. but the emails tell the truth of this. No. This wasn't the only time. Your desire to take down those who disagree with you didn't stop with Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. You conspired with Peter Daszak, who you communicated with privately, and other members of the scientific community that wrote opinion pieces for Nature, Five of them signed a, a paper for Nature, an opinion piece. Seventeen signed a paper that called it conspiracy theory, the idea that the virus could have originated right. in the lab. Do you think words like conspiracy theory should be in a scientific paper? Senator, I never used that word when I was referring to it. You're distorting virtually everything. Did you communicate with the five scientists who wrote the opinion piece in Nature? Were they... We're describing, oh, this, there's no way this could that have come from, was from the lab. That was not me. What did I you did, talk with any of those see, scientists but privately? You keep, the, you keep distorting did you? the truth. It is, it did is you stunning talk, how did you, you do Did you talk that? to any of the scientists privately yes. who wrote the opinion? You did. Well, what were they telling you privately? Well, well, let me explain. You know you're going back to that original discussion when I brought together a group of people to look at every possibility with an open mind. So you, not only are you distorting it, 
You are completely turning it around, as For most you of the scientists do. that came to you privately, did they come to you privately and say, no way, this came from the lab? Or was their initial impression, Dr. Gary and Dr. others that were involved, was their initial impression actually that it looked very suspicious for a virus you know, that came from a lab? Senator, we are here at a committee to look at a, a virus now that has killed almost 900,000 people. And the purpose of the committee was to try and get things out, how we can help to get the American public. And you keep coming back to personal attacks on me that have absolutely no relevance to reality. Do you think anybody has had more influence let, over let our response finish. to this than you have? Do you Madam think it's a great Chair, success? Do you think it's a great success what's happened right. so far? Do you think you, the lockdowns are good for our kids? Do you think we slowed down the death rate? More people have died now under President Biden than did under President Trump. You are the one responsible. You are the architect. You are the lead architect for the response from the right. government. And now 800,000 people have died. Right. So you think it's a uh, winning success what you've advocated for government? Um, Senator, first of all, <clears throat> if you look at everything that I said, you accuse me of in a monolithic way telling people what they need to do. Everything that I've said has been in support of the CDC guidelines. Wear a mask, get boosted. And you've advocated to make it coarser take, and take done a look at course, everything and you've advocated that I've said. it be done by mandate. Right. You've you, advocated that your infallible opinion be dictated by law. Right. So again, Madam Chair, I would like just a couple of minutes because right. this, th this happens all the time. You personally attack me and with absolutely not a shred of evidence of anything you say. So I would like to make something clear to the committee. He's doing this for political reasons. What you need to do is, he said in front of this committee. You think your takedown of three I was, prominent I was epidemiologists was not political? You, you don't want me that to finish because you know what I'm going to say. Senator, that was the question. Senator, Were you political we in taking down right. these three point, prominent epidemiologists? Senator Paul, if you would please, um, I'm going to allow this, uh, the, Dr. Fauci to respond. We have a number of senators yeah. who would like to ask questions, and I would like him to be able to respond. Please do so. So th the last time we had a committee or the time before he was accusing me of being responsible for the death of five, four to five million people, which is really irresponsible. And I say, why is he doing that? There are two reasons why that's really bad. The first is it distracts from what we're all trying to do here today, is get our arms around the epidemic and the pandemic that we're dealing with, not something imaginary. Number two, what happens when he gets out and accuses me of things that are completely untrue, is that all of a sudden that kindles the crazies out there, and I have life that threats upon my life, harassment of my family and my children with obscene phone calls because people are lying about me. Now, you know, I guess you could say, well, that's the way it goes, I can take the hit. Well, it, it, it makes a difference. Because as some of you may know, just about three or four weeks ago on December 21st, a person was arrested who was on their way from Sacramento to Washington, D.C. at a speed stop in Iowa. And they asked, the police asked him where he was going, and he was going to Washington, D.C. to kill Dr. Fauci. And they found in his car an AR-15 and multiple magazines of ammunition because he thinks that maybe I'm killing people. So I ask myself, 
why would Senator want to do this? So go to Rand Paul website and you see fire Dr. Fauci with a little box that says contribute here. You can do $5, $10, $20, $100. So you are making a catastrophic epidemic for your political gain. So the you only have thing politically that, the only attacked thing that your can, colleagues uh, the, and in a politically reprehensible the only way thing that attacked their reputations. Okay, you won't we, defend it. No, you won't well, argue it. I'm You'll sorry, just simply turn we're going around to the continue attack. continue this hearing. We yeah. have a number of questions right. from another senator. One, one more minute, please. Well, if Dr. My, Fauci, I, I really appreciate your response, but we do have a number of, of questions from senators, and we do have a second round, and I'm being asked to make sure that we, right. everybody has their time. So thank you. Thank you very much for allowing me, Madam Chair. All right, so I'm going to go in a direction that might be surprising. LD, can you rewind that video to the point where Fauci starts to speak? I think he goes and he he gives you an example of how to uh, doff your mask. Oh, yeah, did you see that? What what political theater that is? I was hoping everyone saw it because I set it up like an hour or so ago. And that table, it's got germs. His hands, they got germs. All that stuff he's touching, handling, got germs. And he he handled his mask. the microphone, everything. He sets yeah. it down like, and he right. was only wearing it for theater. Can we know. all just admit that? Like, it's a political sign. It's not a therapeutic or preventative method. Notice how it's in like N95 style masks now. I don't know if it is, but it looks very similar to. Notice it's not double mask. mask. What happened to the two masks? Did that? Well, uh, I saw Walensky Walensky. had two. Yeah, she did. Yeah. She had two. She's, you know, she didn't get the daily uptick. Look there, at those LD's creases. Got it. Look at those creases on the face too. He like, yeah. <laughs> Can we get a gif of that? His ears flopping when he pull when he yanks that mask off. <laughs> got I'm sure. Dumbo there with his flopping ears. And then at some point, we are going to look up a video of how to don and doff a mask properly, because uh, I know how to do them for the heavier duty masks and these sort of things. And um, like I, when I when the <clears throat> to give you some insight, when I started watching news coverage of like the pandemic in February, March of 2020, you know what I kept looking for? I kept looking for the people around the president who had beards to shave. Because the moment his guys around him have to shave, that's a serious mask wearing situation. The reason I know this is because when I was a kid, my dad was a, a control room uh, operator at a nuclear plant. And part of his responsibility is they have to be able to don and doff firefighting and oxygen mask wearing type things. And at a certain point when he got promoted, when I was a kid, my dad, who had a big beard in the seventies, all of a sudden had like a mustache and you know, what, what's going on with that. And when I asked, he's like the, you know, to pass the test and do the fire safety type stuff, you can't have a beard because it leaks into your oxygen system, you get smoke in your mask and you would, you know, asphyxiate, right? So I knew if the people around the president, if it was a real, like, uh, you know, 30 to, you know, 15 to 30% mortality, like MERS, Middle mm -hmm. Eastern respiratory virus, okay. his guys would have been clean shaven right away. Like protocols would have been in place. That would have been a real deal. And the whole time, if you look in those press conferences for those first couple months, there's dudes with big beards. I said, it's not serious. It's not serious like they told us it was because Neil right. Ferguson from, uh, you know, British University over there that told everyone 
you know, um, 5% mortality rate, kiss everybody, you know, five out of 100 uh, yeah, people, it was you King's know, college goodbye. or whatever. And he's still yeah. the one like with the Omicron he was out banging he's still making it. Still doing the same, yeah. But he's while he's everyone was under lockdown. Right. That's the other thing. The and they're still using uh, his models. Nancy Pelosi getting crazy. her hair done and then making that big deal about it. Mm-hmm. Like there's all these things that went on. Gavin Newsom with his uh, French laundry party, yeah, French laundry, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Rules when the leaders the, aren't, you know, because the leaders aren't disciplined enough to keep up their end of the act. They have to just, they have to, they have to depend on their repeater outlets that say the same thing over and over again. And and even though it contradicts what you're seeing in reality, that which exists, people believe it. Donning and doffing masks as well as uh, how you put gloves and take gloves off. Like I remember, um, what was I researching? God, this was a couple of years ago. I think I was doing something with has to do with CPR and some other like situ emergency situations. I was researching like how to deal with emergency situations, and they were going over how to properly to, like put on gloves and how to dispose of them. Same with masks. If there's any crease, the, the mask is pretty much ineffective. Um, there's that's and you have Didn't to we know just do see you Fauci have the particle size his mask. Them? Didn't we just see him fold it? Like uh, well, my, my like favorite sort of... is there are some studies done, and this goes back to that. I think it was either the Washington Post or Atlantic reference I made earlier, where they said the studies, the best studies show they're ineffective or there's no real substantial help at all when it comes to masks. However, there are some studies that are highly contrived where like these people put make perfect seals and use perfectly clean masks, even the, the cloth ones and whatnot. And it's like, you know, there's some minor benefit you could show from those studies. But the problem is those studies don't That's reflect reality. reality. Or you got it. You got it. Same so. argument behind Milgram experiment. It was in an experimental situation. So people really wouldn't be 64% psychopathic <laughs> if you if you gave them power trips. And I authority. wish that were true, but look at Australia. I know. They just proved it. Like, like they, they took uh, the authoritarian it, They made it. They, they proved experiment. it even more than that experiment proved it, it seemed like. In other words, it's transcending even that original experiment, which is really scary. And you notice how all the red herrings and straw men that Fauci utilized during his time, that sort of combat exchange with... Uh, Rand Paul, just talking about you're attacking my character. No, he's attacking your, you specifically. There's evidence specifically stating that you did a premeditated takedown of epidemiologists, Stanford, Harvard, and what was the other one? I Oxford. Forget, Oxford. Um, I think he's probably referring to, if I'm not mistaken, it was Ron DeSantis had a committee, and it was one of them was Jay Bhattacharya, and I forget the other two, but one was from Oxford and one was from Stanford. Oh, Stanford was Jay Bhattacharya. I forget the other one was Oxford and the other one was Harvard. And they, that was of course taken down by YouTube and, but these I individuals that said the masks and all that stuff. Much later though. I yeah, think the I, writings on I'm... it was early on and then eventually. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Because he um, had them speak, but you're right. They did censor yeah. it. And what is because the early on Jay Bhattacharya was trying to figure if out. Open and free honest. debate brings about the best ideas in history. What does censorship do? So he's not would empower psychopaths. Right. You got it. And so the point is he's trying to build up this straw man. Like he's, it's really, he's trying to point out that like, no, you're doing it ad hominem. No, you're not. No, he's not. He's citing direct evidence that you're doing a premeditated takedown of epidemiologists from respected universities that offer a different opinion. And no, what he what he did was very clever. What he did was very Jesuitical. Well, you read, yeah, you redirected the argument. Try to because right he took, at him. took that argument and said, oh, that's not it. There's a guy from Sacramento and he got caught in Iowa and he sure. had an assault That's weapon. That's a non sequitur completely. And then he said, 
the attacks, uh, phone attacks on his family. And I agree, nobody should be threatening Fauci with violence. We have a judicial process. There's investigations. When the right. Republicans and the Democrats figure all that out, they'll take care of that. So <clears throat> nobody should be calling his family. That's all stupid, ignorant people type stuff. Right. Can't do that. But what you can say in this situation is Fauci avoided that argument and then went into this right. kind of victim stance. Mm -hmm. And then he said some stuff at the end that, again, didn't answer the question didn't deal with any of the things that are in those emails, which is real evidence. That's, I'm sorry to say that's, that's my part point. Of the, that's yeah. real deal evidence. Yeah. And so uh, his, his pushback was weak. He had a straw man. He had diversion tactics, red herring, straw man, non sequitur and ad hominems were the yeah. three he sort of utilized and throwing it back at Rand Paul to make it seem like Rand Paul was the one committing all and then these doing that. They arguments. do this to me all the time, you know, kind of, the victim mentality that someone schooled him on that one. He's like, no, go for it. Well, he went to mentality. Jesuit school. He's Jesuit. Well, training. he wasn't doing that earlier on. I mean, like someone he made more it through recently, the AIDS crisis, dude. Someone more recently, I feel like, is sitting down. Like they probably have some sort of rhetorical consultant, like sitting down, like, okay, this is how you're going to have to present yourself. And this is what I mean, I'm just speculating, but it wouldn't surprise me. Let's not forget to add on uh, some people in the chat here said, to the fact that he was attacked in Washington, D.C. He was also attacked by that Trump derangement syndrome individual. There's also the congressional baseball game shooting, where supposedly he was right. one of the primary suspects or targets, not suspects, but targets by that particular suspect. So, and that you know, example he, right there had more armed people than the alleged insurrection. So, there you go. The guy who attacked the, the baseball game, yeah, more armed people correct. there than at the alleged insurrection. Just comparing. And the one armed individual was a security guard that shot and Ashley Babbitt. So with a, with, of course, with no reason as to doing so, except that he felt scared basically is what he alluded to. He's like, Oh yeah. I felt like my life was in some capacity threat. And of course there was no formal investigation. Um, I'm still interested the why the special forces team behind Ashley Babbitt, who was being shot at by the scared guy, didn't get lit up by the special forces team sure. and why the other people by the doors went behind them and changed their clothes behind the special forces team who let them do it because they must've been known personnel because in a situation where unknown people were firing first off special forces would fire back. Right. And you then they definitely so. wouldn't let a parent suspect running down the steps, change clothes behind them with shelter and cover. Just saying that's, iota it's a lot of very strange anomalies. maybe the story's bigger than they're saying in the public narrative and notice how quickly the narrative what would the trevor particular narrative say? they're running with it's like 9 11 right like that's particular narrative they're running with that's where they're right Osman. oh i mean uh there Osama are comparisons between the january 6th thing 9 11 and pearl harbor sure and a lot of people are taken aback and they say that's awful look how many people died at pearl harbor and look how many people died at world trade center and look nothing really happened on january 6th but for the people who claim and i'm not one of these people i'm just observing this for the people who claim that january 6th is like pearl harbor and 9 11 i agree with them because they're all not what the public was told they're all inside jobs to get power and take your fucking freedom so there you have it. They are very similar, just not in the way that everyone else would have you believe that they're similar. And that was December 7th, 1940. I just said, for some reason, I thought it was December 6th in Pearl Harbor. Happened. December 7th, the day that will live in infamy. In infamy, sure, yeah. The Imperial 
Empire of Japan ruthlessly and recklessly attacked. The it's Pearl not Harbor. like MI6, but they never bombed Standard Oil. That. It was right next to. Uh -huh. Wouldn't you want to blow up the oil for the whole Pacific Navy? Oh well, no, not targeted. That's interesting. They needed the oh, oil to consider the war effort. In fact, it was the oil embargo that FDR put on Japan that supposedly, and that was under the sort of MI6 spies, the auspices of those MI6 spies that were completely patronizing much of FDR's administration. I mean, you could overlook that we, uh, you know, trying to get them from the purple the... diplomatic codes and it was being read like, you know, oh, yeah. live real time. They knew. they knew, but I could show you for the same thing happened with the sinking of Lusitania in World War One. Well, yeah, there was the, yeah. I mean, so it's there's the same pattern. World War One conspiracy by James Corbett. I am in that that film series, and uh, some of the books behind here, more importantly, are the basis of that film series. But there's a World War II documentary that has yet to be made. Yeah, that one's going to be. And in that one, you would learn something like this: in August of 1941, MI6, two of their spies, agents Tricycle and Garbo, possibly, uh, were working with the Japanese and the Nazis. And the Japanese sent this questionnaire through their Nazi contacts and the spies bring it back to MI6. And it says, we're looking for information on Pearl Harbor. We want to bomb it. You know, here's the whole scenario. And, and the British, they bring it over. They show it to uh, Jagger Hoover, but they gave it to him in a light that it's not, it's not really, this isn't real, but we're telling you this. So it's like they gave it, gave him credible information from their spies in an uncredible light such that he's like, oh, nothing to see here. In the memoirs of the director of MI6 from that time, John Cecil Masterman, uh, printed in 1971 by Yale University, forward by X2 American Anglo spy Norman Pearson of Yale University. In that document, so the, the book's called Double Cross System, the Double Cross System. Get yourself a first edition hardcover copy. It's something you want in your family library. And in there, uh, Masterman says... We would have told the Americans because we had this special relationship, but that relationship was so new that we didn't want to risk letting them know that it was our spies and we have spies in everywhere. And that, the, you know, because they're trying to get America into the war. Through Pearl that Harbor. The they were trying that to get America point. into the war through Pearl Just Harbor. Just like they did in World War One, because the exactly. American intelligentsia, whoever's running State Department, which had been MI6 and government spies of Britain, like Alan Dulles and these John Foster Dulles and these other guys for like uh, decades, right? So they had a, a strong uh, toehold in this country before Pearl Harbor, before JFK was assassinated. And they rolled through Iran-Contra and Oklahoma City and 9-11 all the way up to where you're at right now with the great reset and Klaus Schwab and COVID-19 and pandemics and loss of liberties in the face of no reason or logic or science. And now you're seeing that the deities who represent the science are found in contradictory situations. And yet you're going to find people out there who refuse to accept that reality, given the new evidence. I respect Crystal and Sauger and Ryan and his new co-host there, mm -hmm. uh, not Robbie Suave. <laughs> Uh, no, she because, was actually pretty intelligent. She had good commentary. Yeah, I like yeah. it too. Yeah, yeah because true. in light of this new information through Project Veritas, they didn't spend time saying James O'Keefe, bad man. They're like, holy shit, do you see these DARPA documents? They're kind of beside themselves. That's a good reaction on their part. That's a genuine reaction. They are adapting to that new information. 
Hey, let's not so, forget in those DARPA documents as well. They talk about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. Now, who was the who was the who French? knew about Didier Raoul? Didier yeah, Raoul, Didier who was also yeah. on the board for bio, it was either Sanofi or Biomiru. So he would know. He'd sort of have firsthand. He's a microbiologist and a virologist. So but he the would DARPA have paper knew that. Yeah, that's my point. The, the okay, course, DARPA, so now yeah, they do that's, these that's exercises. Where I to go with they, they do these exercises. Event two hundred one, Crimson Contagion, Spars Pandemic, Lockstep. They know about this ahead of time in the DARPA document that hydroxychloroquine and the ivermectin, effective therapeutics for the, it, it, you might even call them the antidote, Dr. Jones. <laughs> right? Come on, man. I know. And you still got people out there, I don't know, clinging to not reality. And that's fine. You have a right to do that. But you don't have the right to take away my freedom justified by that unreality. Right. And that's this, this other thing that's rule right. by mandate. If I don't have rights, you don't have rights. That's how it works. I'm so you can't as a human being take away the rights of another human being without having used force, fraud, violence, and coercion to do it because you're intellectually bankrupt and no amount of force or violence or coercion will ever make that reasoning uh, reasonable. And that's the it's basis. irrational. That's it's, the irra- it's the antithesis of reasoning yeah, rationality. That's right. It's totalitarianism. Based, that reasoning helped to develop, help to understand the importance of what we now call and what you're utilizing is natural law. That morality is not subjective. It's based on human agency and that we have a shared common disposition as a species. And if they deny that, then you find every point in that person's day where they're using logic and reason to get by, except for the circumstance where they want to take your rights. And you call them the hypocrites that they are in front of yeah. other people, hopefully. So that other people break that spell that is binding them in this chaos magic situation. To yeah, unreality. So it's a great analogy, chaos magic situation, because that's what it is. And the chaos magicians are uh, gaslighting. Uh, mind control. Trauma-based mind like, control. Yeah, there you go. Trauma-based mind control, which is like mass formation, mass formation psychosis. It's just a more a developed understanding of trauma-based mind control. Because the free-floating anxiety is what one of the first, if not, I think it's the first condition. That's the trauma. And then, you know, at least on a collective level, free-floating anxiety, 9-11. What happened 9-11? Oh, my God. Like what my well-curated cur- worldview is all of a sudden being shattered. And like we have or the World Trade Center just collapsed and 3,000 plus individuals are dead. And now they're talking about a song. And then all of a sudden, there's this one unified narrative being perpetuated by all the news outlets within what an hour of uh, that event hey i'll tell you that in a second I'll, yeah because i remember that. we went over that when we were working together or when i was staying with you guys back in the day like that's William very Sargent, interesting battle for the mind from what's the year 1997 uh 1957 is first published so since 1957 at the very least people like william Sargent have been doing deep dives in the techniques of brainwashing and politics. Just saying that for people who live in a world where no such things go on, I feel sorry for you, man. I feel sorry for you. No, there techniques are, of psychological subversion that transcends the, uh, the science of psychology, which was really just the contrived science that happened in the late 19th century which is a soft science and it's nothing like chemistry or physics. Uh, well, what's the ology part? If you're transcending the ology part, what are you, you're outside of logic and reason. 
Well, I just mean it's the, the, the science of psychology. So the science of psychology started in the late 19th century. The ideas of the psychological subversion go back to, well, Sun Tzu and before, essentially the beginnings and or origination of civilization itself. The writing. We could yeah, talk about Machiavelli. Yeah, yeah, writing. You're right. No, the, the, spell, the, the idea of spelling something out, the cast a spell to sort of like instantiate the mind with concepts that you want people to believe in. This is why tyrants have to control the lexicon. Um, if you control the lexicon, you control the worldview. And if you control the worldview, now, you control the human individual. If we control, uh, let's see, what was the way that McKenna said it? The world is made up of words. Mm -hmm. And if you know the right words, oh, yes. you can make of the world what you will. Now it's kind of yeah. like Jordan Peterson, McKenna. It's like a mixture but, of Peterson and your... Yeah. But McKenna's point was, even though let's discard him as a messenger, flawed individual, uh, shame on him. Uh, the words ring true because Fauci has changed the words in order to stay afloat in that argument. Changed the definition of gain of function. They changed the definition of pandemic, definition of a case, definition of herd, uh, herd uh, immunity, uh, definition of a vaccine for Christ's sake. How many definitions do they have to change before people are like, hey, the only reason that they're not on trial right now is because they keep changing definitions to bring implausible doubt. Because it's it's not plausible because you can see right through it. If you That's look. mind control. You're controlling the concepts. Oh. You're controlling the mind. You're controlling what people, now, the worldview. They're controlling the Here's where I'm having trouble with associate. this, Tony. Yeah. Clearly, Fauci, Collins, and Dazak have communicated back and forth with each other about deceiving the public on this topic. Bad men, maybe. Trial, we'll see. Innocent until proven guilty, but those are three suspects right there if you're a detective. Now, my question to you is this, Tony. How'd they get the media to back these guys without scrutiny? And how do they get that Klaus Schwab dude to come in with like inclusive capitalism in this great reset? Because I know there's no larger conspiracy going on with globalism. And I know the new world order is a conspiracy theory, but I just can't make out how these three guys have cover. And for two years, everybody's freedoms and liberties and financial savings and financial opportunity and ep economic well-being and um, family sanity and well-being and health yeah. have all been jeopardized and, and sacrificed at the altar of protecting the lie that started in Wuhan. You know, to answer that question, one, I know it's somewhat rhetorical, but I would just say, follow the money. Mm. And I wonder where that will Money is us. international. That's hard to do, man. There you go. go over all France and Wuhan, China, uh, and America. And There's only a couple North major Carolina investment and... groups in the world. Oh, and, yeah. Mm. Is that like Pfizer? Is that, are they an investment group? Mm, or is it like investment groups above that, like BlackRock? Even, and like Vanguard. BlackRock and Vanguard and the Rothschild and maybe the investment above groups. Who you know, owns BlackRock Rock, I think and Vanguard? Because they, the they own like the gold. Federal Reserve, right? There you go. Oh. Yeah, these, these, these supposed uh, central banks of the world, these private central banks, not, not only just the Federal Reserve, but all over the world, um, yeah, they're actually owned. Is the Federal Reserve a bank? Group. Do they have do they have That's currency on point. hand or something? That's they don't great. have a, they don't have any oh, at Fort Knox. They claim, but then I can the give you an accurate definition. There. I can give you accurate definition of the Federal Reserve based on form and function. There you go. Based the on the Federal Reserve, definition. the Federal Reserve 
is a process to demonetize the one American dollar into a penny over 109 years. You have to do it very slowly, otherwise people notice it. But if you stretch out the process, they could take the wealth of America and suck it all out like vampires almost, almost like metaphorically. Bram Stoker was using metaphor, of course. Yeah, it was metaphor. Prince Charles and these guys definitely weren't related to Vlad Tepe's The Impaler in Transylvania. So, yeah. They also have um, Frankenstein, obviously, with these chimeric type of viruses. I think Frankenstein was a good guy, but his monster, yeah, not so good. No, maybe, actually, no. He created the monster, right? Created the monster. Isn't Frankenstein's monster a form of chimera? That's my point. Chimeric, yeah. Oh, yeah. It didn't work out. The metaphor of a a monster, where, a chimeric where, monster, and a Dr. blood-sucking demon. Wait, where was Dr. Frankenstein based out of? He was in this place called Ingolstadt? I was going to say Germany. Wasn't it? Before Ingolstadt. Germany even then? Is there anything else, Ingolstadt, that could have been overlay on this? Mary Shelley was hanging out with Percy Bysshe Shelley and... Oh, Bavarian Illuminati, Ingolstadt. Oh, okay. There might be some overlay of of what the monster is that was created. It's a bunch of different pieces put together. There you go. Goes goes around wreaking havoc in a way its creator couldn't have even imagined. We talked about that quite. Maybe she was. Maybe she was a a fan of Weishaupt. Things (laughs) that got framed. I don't know. We'll have to check into it. But that's not in the show card. Those are just interesting facts about the world. Uh, interesting that when she wrote that, it's like, you know, 50 plus years after the supposed events, the Bavarian Illuminati. So, I mean, the fact that this is so is a potential metaphorical continuity being realized. We'll just leave it there. Well, I think this Fauci, I mean, we got plenty more stories on this, but there's a Fauci act. There's a Fauci act section in this show card. Yeah, I mean, at, at this point, it's... I didn't see that clip yet. Well, but it, it looks is, like yeah. we beat the horse paste out of that topic already. Yeah, so actually at this point, the rest of it's just the fallout of the emails and the fallout of the confrontation that Rand Paul had with Fauci. That so Rand even, Paul, did he call Fauci a moron on, on open mic or something? A hot mic? GOP senator who called Fauci a moron is set to introduce the Fauci Act. Uh, let me bring this up, because like I'm not quite sure what... I mean, I know Crystal and Sager or alluded or uh, Sega alluded to it, but a Republican Senator from Kansas is taking aim at the secrecy surrounding the financial records of white house coronavirus advisor. By the way, I'm going to get that on the record in a minute. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, which despite Fauci's claims to the contrary, remain largely hidden from public view. This is okay. This is Senator Roger Marshall, Kansas. Uh, inter- we'll introduce the Fauci accountability for uniquely compensated individuals act, the Fauci act <laughs> due to his concerns about the lack of transparency regarding Fauci's records, according to the Hill. The Fauci Act will require the Office of Government Ethics website to list the pain perks for administration officials such as Fauci, director of the NIAID, uh, National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. The agency also would be required to provide a list of those paid by the government whose financial records are not public. The proposed legislation is now growth of Marshall's clash with Fauci during a Senate hearing Tuesday. Okay, so there, it wasn't just Rand Paul who got some punches in. Uh, Marshall's clash with Fauci during a Senate hearing Tuesday in which Marshall criticized both Fauci's $434,000 salary and the billions of dollars in federal research grants, not millions, but billions, 
grants as agency awards with a little fanfare or scrutiny, according to Politico. Quote, as the highest- He's doling in- out. He's doling out billions of dollars. Am I, am I understanding that correct? That's according to uh, Politico. What kind of payola comes with that? Are you kidding well, me? You know what, Rich? Are you kidding good, me? Like, that's a really good question. Uh, Early on, billions so of dollars, low oversight, low scrutiny. Who wants to go to the front of the line? You just offer more money. Isn't that how it works? Let me see here. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Leaked Fauci financials. There we go. Exposed and his wife's in charge doctor. of ethics. So I know, again, isn't that ridiculous? It's like his so wife's absurd. the detective at the at the police department that's investigating the freedom bank robbery that we were talking about in the metaphor. Even though she's a part of the bank robbery, but she's like the sort of secretary on the outskirts of it. Like she's not directly involved insofar as being on the ground, but she's helping to coordinate it from from you know the uh, back offices. Leaked Fauci financials expose how millionaire doctor profited from pandemic. Finally, after a handful of organizations tried suing Dr. Anthony Fauci in order to have them release the good doctor's financials, along with those of his wife, who is the NIH's top bioethicist, have been disclosed in detail. And they were leaked by the same senator who Fauci called a moron last week during a hot mic moment. So I think that's Senator Marshall. They should get him an Apple box. (laughs) This is, I mean, this whole thing is just can't get more absurd. Hey, they do it for Tom Cruise. Why can't they do it for Fauci? (laughs) I forgot about that. We already knew that Dr. Fauci is the highest paid government employee, earning a salary of over 400000 434 to be exact. His wife, Chris, Christine Grady, earns 176000 as chief of the Department of Bioethics of the NIH. The records published by Republican Roger Marshall, himself a doctor and also the junior U.S. senator from Kansas, showed that the Fauci's hold on, have hold a combined on. net hold worth on. of more than $10 million. My brain's choking on the fact there. $10 million. She's got this position as head of bioethics at NIH or NIAID. It's NIH. So she's and actually- She makes like 150K a year? 100 and almost 80,000 a year. I, I think she needs a raise. Are you kidding me? Someone in charge of bioethics hanging around companies that make almost hundreds of billions of dollars. She's only making 150K. Her husband makes 420 grand or 436, depending on which account from a senator you believe. But that's a lot of money for a government official. And that's Actually, from a satellite paid, agency underneath paid, the NIH. You know, highest yeah. paid non-elected official, her husband is. Why the inequity in the pay scales? I think in order to be someone who's a bioethicist and be, on, be beyond reproach from being bribed by multi-billion dollar gangsters, you might want to pay her more than somebody two years out of school can make selling software. Just saying. That's actually a good point. That's Thank basically... You. Good the, points uh, live here at grantheftworld.com for a sales salary for someone who gets by the 90% other that they will throw away. Major corporations will throw away in their, their sales. Team. I'm going to use that as an example of gender inequality right there. Plus you she's know, taller than him. She can't get more money than him. I thought tall people were supposed to make more money than short people. You would think something of that nature. That's you know, also look it up. I know you're right. No, hundred percent. That's absolutely true. hundred percent. A conscientiousness IQ. That's why I said Fauci should get um, an extroversion are the three big plus like your, your general disposition being tall. And those, you can add that as a fourth consideration, all of which show that you make a lot more money. If you have those considerations, uh, or if you don't get an say. Apple box Fauci to stand on, at least do like Bono and wear like those, kiss heels from the 70s where he's got like four inch platforms on because bono's a wee little man too so you know what so like, you're, you, know, you also left out his pension 
um, his pension is much higher, I think, than even his salary would be. There's there was an article we had, we got this on the record a couple of weeks or probably months ago now, but his pension that he'll get through the federal government gigantic. is extremely huge. Fauci, so, yeah, that little but they already have ten million dollars. Let's go back here. So like the records published by Republican Rush, Roger Marshall himself a doctor and also the junior senator from Kansas, showed the Fauci's have a combined net worth of more than $10 million. $10 million. As a Daily I Mail like explains, Fauci, people who aren't trying to steal everyone else's freedom. Stealing money. Does he fall in that freedom. category? Probably not. <laughs> Don't think so. So this gives into, you know, more of the, more of the evidence here. So people can check that. It's on the show card. I would love to do an interview with him and say, uh, Dr. Fauci, if you don't have less on, you have... Sorry, what? I wasn't paying attention. No, that's a better response than he would have come up with. <laughs> Whatever you say. I was trying. I was looking at the financial report. Sorry. But anyways, yeah, it's... um, it is. I'm glad that people who are good at what they do make lots of money. That's not my problem there. My problem is that guy's... Uh, well, oh, yeah. He, people should make actually, money. If they're being be honest, honest, I don't really have a problem with Fauci. I have a problem with all these people who listen to Fauci and then try to rein their will on other people's lives and bring uh, tumult and turmoil in unexpected ways that are undeserved and for which there has been nothing done, nothing done, except more capitulation, more subjugation. And as I believe Senator Rand Paul said, you can't comply your way out of tyranny. Yeah, I mean, the fact that his wife is a bioethicist and this is his, her husband is responding in the way that he has. He's mentioned many times that, you know, the, the response to the pandemic transcends your right to individual liberty. And we need a, a, you know, some, a, a greater good. We need to act in good faith of the greater good, essentially I have some, a question. Um, sort of paraphrasing what he said multiple times, by the way, this is not a one-off that we played on the show a couple of months ago. He's mentioned this multiple times that the pandemic we're in a situation that's uncomfortable, but we have to give up our individual liberties for the greater good to help out for the, you know, the, the overall response for the public. That sounds to similar to what he said at the Milken Institute when he sat on stage with Rick Bright from BARDA and they right. lamented the actual system that has too many restrictions and regulations. And if they were just this excuse that they could break all the rules, they could make these new scientific leaps that no one else had ever done before. Like they were the scientists in Jurassic park or maybe right. like Gattaca. Maybe mm -hmm. they're playing Gattaca with us. Do we have a clip control room of Gattaca? It's, about, it's the last one in the section there. Something snappy with gene editing or splicing or the sort making of the, yeah, perfect eugenic technocracy, cybernetic transhumanistic type of people. Because that's what Gattaca was about. It's called Gattaca because those are the letters in the DNA sequence that make a word that they could use in Hollywood that they made up. Gattaca. Just think eugenics. Julian Huxley. They're the nucleotides. So they're like the letters, you could say, and how they manipulate. Learn to love your servitude, mm -hmm. Aldous said. There should be like a movie about Aldous and Julian. Hmm. Well, there Between you go. those two, Ultimate Revolution and the World Eugenics Foundation. Society, I think it's a society. Yeah, that, I mean, this, the, that, let's not even forget about his father, or their father, I should say, Thomas. Uh T.H. Huxley, I think, was their grandfather because oh, their grandfather. Uh, I always get that Aldous and Julian's dad's name was Leonard Huxley. Mm, okay. 
And well, then the grandfather Leonard, was Leonard very Hux, interesting. Leonard Huxley, Leonard Huxley's dad was Thomas Henry Huxley, yeah. who uh, part of the mentored, X Club and mentored. right, and he mentored H.G. Wells, who brought yes. that whole legacy forward. And H.G. Wells mentored Aldous Huxley. Aldous Huxley mentored George Orwell at Eton. There I you go. These places, That's were. right? You got the time right. Yeah, we got that clip, LD. Yes, sir. Let's see. Uh, Gore Vidal and probably like his Gore Vidal's finest performances were in that movie with Robin Williams, where he's a homeless dude with honors. He was a good history teacher example in that. And I think his role probably in Gattaca is uh, among his uh, better Hollywood works. He's also a political writer or was, I don't think he's alive anymore. Gore Vidal Gattaca. He might be in this clip, might not be. Check it out. I was conceived in the Riviera, not the French Riviera, the Detroit variety. They used to say that a child conceived in love has a greater chance of happiness. They don't say that anymore. I'll never understand what possessed my mother to put her faith in God's hands rather than those of her local geneticist. Ten fingers, ten toes, that's all that used to matter. Not now. Now, only seconds old, the exact time and cause of my death was already known. Neurological condition, 60% probability. Manic depression, 42% probability. Attention deficit disorder, 89% probability. Heart disorder, 99% probability, early fatal potential, life expectancy, 30.2 years. 30 years. The name for the certificate? Anton? No, um, Vincent Anton. Yeah, that's a good name. I know he'll do something. He'll do something. From an early age, I came to think of myself as others thought of me, chronically ill. Every skinned knee and runny nose was treated as if it were life-threatening. I'm sorry, the insurance won't cover it. If he fell... But I was told that everything was... I really wish there was something I could do. Like most other parents of their day, they were determined that their next child would be brought into the world in what has become the natural way. Your extracted eggs, uh, Marie, have been fertilized with Antonio's sperm. After screening, we are left, as you see, with two healthy boys and two very healthy girls. Naturally, no critical predispositions to any of the major inheritable diseases. All that remains is to select the most compatible candidate. First, we, we may as well decide on gender. Have you given it any thought? Uh, we would want Vincent to have a brother, you know, um, to play with. Uh, of course you would. Hello, Vincent. <laughs> uh, you have specified hazel eyes, dark hair, and uh, fair skin. I have taken the liberty of eradicating any potentially prejudicial conditions, uh, premature baldness, myopia, alcoholism, and addictive susceptibility, uh, 
propensity for violence, obesity, etc. We didn't want, I mean, diseases, yes, but... Uh... Right, we were just wondering if, if it's good to just leave a few things to, to chance. You want to give your child the best possible start. Believe me, we have enough imperfection built in already. No, your child doesn't need any additional burdens. And keep in mind, this child is still you. Simply the best of you. You could conceive naturally a thousand times and never get such a result. That's how my brother, Anton, came into the world. A son my father considered worthy of his name. So from there, Vincent struggles to participate in a society that is basically apartheid, where the people who are genetically modified have all the advantages, and he has to struggle as a mere mortal to compete and hold his place and reach his dreams and goals and these sort of things. And it's a really interesting uh, philosophical, technological merging. I think it came out in like the mid or late. 1990s and uh the film stands to this day as indications of transhumanisms a transhumanism cybernetics technocracy all rolled into one with no room for nature or anything natural or any type of uh high-minded reasonable concepts like individual liberty and personal freedom because as you see those two parents they don't even know if his sperm and her egg got mixed all you know is there's four dots on the screen. Those are your kids. Choose one. We'll kill the other three. And it's going to be the best of you. And no worries. Don't look behind the, the magic curtain, what the wizard's doing. Interesting future they're painting out for people. What would the state seek to remove in between it and indoctrinating the children? Oh, pesky parents. Pesky parents. And did that or did that not fulfill that Gattaca scene right there? That fulfills chapter one of brave new world. I was going to say, I was where the state say grows the kids directly without yeah. any pesky parents. And then they can program them to do whatever they want, make them all docile, but let's have some rough ones over here in case we need some soldiers. Right. I mean, that's their dream. That's not our dream. They have a plan. They're unfolding it. What's your oh, that's plan happening? We've What's had going on. Yeah. We've showed that on GTW many times. I mean, like they're able to gestate fetuses um, inside plastic bags they're able to do genetic manipulation. In fact, this has already taken place with genetic manipulation of children or in an in, in embryonic stage. Obviously. I'm glad the so. Pfizer CEO is not into like genetics and preservation of the favored races and things like this. Fact, he I thinks think your genes a... are flawed and he thinks he can fix them. Okay. Right on. You think God's work is flawed and you're going to fix it for everybody. Sounds very George Soros ish. So, I mean, you know? there was a famous, um, if I remember correctly, this is from the New York Times. That's going to be. I mean, Soros well. considers himself the Messiah. The reference is uh, what, 2002 LA Times article? This has already happened. So, there's a famous basketball player named Carlos Boozer who their son had sickle cell anemia. Um, and unfortunately, um, they, anemia? they didn't have anemia, excuse me. Yeah. Anemia. Yeah. It's a blood disease. So, anyways, the, I think if that's correct, it's blood or bone, I'm pretty sure. Either it's way. Blood. It's blood. Yeah. That's the blood one. Yeah. Okay. The, um, 
they pre-selected embryos that would be a genetic match so they could give a blood transfusion. So like, this is already happening. This is when people try to poo-poo like genetic research. I'm like, no, this actually happened. There was a documentary made about it because they were able to save their son's life by pre-selecting embryos that had the blood type needed so they could give a blood transfusion to the son with sickle cell anemia. anemia, excuse me. And so like to act like this technology isn't already here and hasn't already been used in ethically questionable ways. Uh, although that was to save a life, what other ways in which it could be used? I'm just asking, you know, I'm just, yeah, I mean, and we, we talked about the Senate recently allowing um, these hybrid animal human hybrids to be brought to not just gestation, but to later stages of development. And they allowed it to go through. And we showed, we, we talked about this. This is going back in the summer, late summer, we were showing videos of this. And I forget the Senate hearing where they talked about this, but they're allowing more and more of this research to go through. And like the, the technologies there, they're already talking about being able to manipulate embryos um, um, genetically well before it even gets to the embryonic stage. So you can, you can essentially pick and choose the attributes you want of a child. And so there's going to be, you know, with this falling sperm count around the world, which is, we had, I had that on the show. Many- totally coincidental to a depopulation agenda, Tony. Don't but go you, look in. But don't worry. You can just run to a laboratory and do exactly what, you know, is being sort of ominously portrayed in the movie Gattaca and other dystopian style novel or uh, movies and novels and so forth. And so on brave new world being a novel, obviously, but. You know, I just wanted to follow it up. This stuff is it's, happening. It's actually a cowardly new world that they're making. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, man, it's not very brave. So Seems the bravery went out the door with believing things that are not true. Because I think pussies cling to that type of shit. So, so for anyone that's sort of interesting, interested in that story, I just want to share this. It's there's a documentary by ESPN E60 fearless love is what it's called and uh sickle cell anemia and they talk about um you know the genetic match for carmini essentially genetically screening embryos i mean that's exactly right there out of gattaca i mean so it's a it's not necessarily saying they're manipulating the embryos but they are choosing which ones are going to you know they're going to implant into her uterus and then she'll bring to gestation so it's important to be aware that this sort of stuff exists it's going to be and it's only going to get the the more sophisticated the genetic science becomes the more portentous that means for the its abuse in the future the way they abused chimeric viruses in a laboratory and gain of function research and now we look at what we're dealing with now and what does that say about more deadly viruses because this coronavirus wasn't what exactly it was enough to cause mass panic and fear ramped up by a coordinated effort of the media around the world, not just in America, but in Europe. And Someone Asia. should teach a class on how they ramped up fear, panic, Seriously, and ignorance dude. at the beginning of that shit, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. You're right. Absolutely correct. So, I mean, and that goes along with, you know, we talked about this earlier, Rich, but Pearl Harbor, we still talked about World War One, the sink in Lusitania. We talked about, um, uh, we didn't even mention the Gulf of Tonkin, but then also obviously like 9-11, They've been doing this for a long time. They have a long track record of this. It's not like they ha- don't have this protocol, these procedures in place of psychological subversion and manipulation based on like trauma. You know, this is well studied. This is well understood and they're implementing it. So when it gets to 9-11, when you see this free-floating anxiety, this trauma, and all of a sudden they come in with a unified narrative of Tim Osman, I mean, excuse me, Osama bin Laden and Al-Qaeda, 
and it's in unison. I mean, if I remember correctly, we were watching some documentaries about this where it's like you could see immediately every single news uh, outlet. Okay, so the, the references the from that morning same. are uh, like uh, 9.36 a.m. Uh, Alan Greenspan's wife. What's her name? Uh, she's a reporter for CNN. I'll find it. Do believe. Yeah, uh, like uh, Angel- Allison, I forget her name. So she's the first one to mention. Joanne Mitch? No. Mm. We'll have to think. Andrea Mitchell. Andrea, Andrea Mitchell. Andrea Mitchell. There you go. Andrea Mitchell throws out Osama oh, His Bin first wife was Joanne Mitchell. Okay, my bad. Okay, well, interesting. Right. And uh, so she, she mentions Osama Bin Laden and also <clears throat> the, the manager of the CEO of risk management for Martian McLennan, a guy named... L. Paul Bremer said Osama bin Laden also like around 9.30-ish <clears throat> on the morning of 9-11. Funny fact, L. Paul Bremer later had a rise to fame as the guy who oversaw billions of dollars missing in the Iraq reconstruction war effort. He was actually governor, like king of Iraq, like king in quotes, governor. You see how governors acting in America today? we are of the same language and culture. What do you think governor acts like when you take over a country, you just ganked away from Saddam Hussein, which was their agent for CIA and MI6. Since it was 1968. A That's a good word for it. Yeah. Yeah. They out ganked a gangster. <laughs> they sent that dude crawling into spider holes and his, you know, his, his son's got done up like Swiss yeah. cheese. Yeah, they sure did. Jesus they Qaddafi those guys before they even Qaddafi Qaddafi. Yeah. He was the model. What they then later rolled out with the color of revolutions in the 2010s. So he was a wicker man, something they artificially supported and then they burned down. Yeah. Kind of like the uh, once he out. nationalized the oil, I mean, you can't really do that. You know, once the contracts are up and he nationalized, you're just not allowed to do this. Well, Saddam, Saddam pissed them off when they jacked Kuwait. And then they that had- too. They had the babies in the incubators PR campaign. Remember back when you could tell a lie just from her California accent back then? It was easier to tell. The like, wait a minute. Incubator. Yeah. That's how they talk in Kuwait, huh? That's funny. Yeah, they have like say a perfect sort of American accent. I mean, there's you definitely don't want to look accents up around the country. Hill and Nolton speak perfect English. Yeah, you definitely don't want to look up their involvement with no accent. It might blow your mind. All right, so uh, let's get to the vaccines, lockdowns, and therapeutic section. Can we uh, step up to some Jackson report? I was going to say, yeah, let's let's do the Jackson report because it's, it's already pretty late, and this will cover the majority of the subsections so that we can get into any other material that's worthwhile. Boom. It comes online as just out of touch with reality. Put that taking the time to join us today. You're both courageous. You're heroes. Uh, uh, Dr. Cariotti, do you have uh, a place where we can read, you know, your stories or where we can be following your journey right now? Where's the, where's the best website, your book and the, and the things that you're doing in the future? First off, you guys really want to check out what Aaron just said. It's the same way yeah, that I've been hitting him up uh, on, on, on DM and asking him a bunch. Of- it's like, right, it's at the very end. Just, yeah, it's so that all they he, he goes through them all in his Substack. It's come um, but just, just social go, media. Yeah. Type in Jonathan Isaac on Instagram, Twitter, um, and, and and you'll see what what I, what I've been doing. All right. 
Look, it was really an honor to be joined by both of you. Keep up the good work. Um, I think there's a growing movement. Uh, your, your heroes, your leaders, uh, and I think we are going to really start to see this thing shift because of those of you that were brave enough to speak out. So keep up the good word, and, and hopefully we get to speak in the future. Take care. Thank you. Thanks, Dale. All right. Well, let's get to the rest of the crazy news around the world. It's time for the Jackson Report. All right, Jeffrey Jackson, there's a lot going on in the world. Obviously, athletes are shifting. This whole conversation is, seems to be shifting as we speak. It's a very important moment. So, so what's happening uh, this week in the news? Yeah, Dell, I want to interrupt our program here for some breaking news that happened just seconds ago. Okay. We have the headline here, um, CNBC, Supreme Court blocks Biden vaccine mandate for businesses, backs healthcare worker rule. The Supreme Court has ruled to block the Biden administration's mandate. That's for private employers of 100 or more, but they're going to follow through with the healthcare worker vaccine mandate. So that is wow. breaking right now as we speak and um, more information will be forthcoming. I mean, that's great news, obviously, for all those people in large businesses across this country. Terrible news for those frontline workers, those people that stood in the middle of this firestorm when there was no vaccine, uh, took on the risk. And now, you know, uh, unfortunately, that there is a vaccine. Probably, I would guess most of them, honestly, probably have natural immunity. Mm -hmm. The whole conversation we just had, because if they were in the face of that, all they had were masks that we know that don't work. So many of them have natural immunity. And now the Supreme Court doesn't seem to care. But of course, I'm going to get into a lot of details. Um, Aaron Siri, it's amazing. It's fantastic. We, we kind of hope the timing might lay out like this. He's going to be joining me in studio. So I'm sure in the usual fashion, he's woodshedding right now to get to the, the base. But we're going to go through this case. We're going to talk about the arguments that were made um, and, uh, you know, whether they could have been better or worse. But obviously, we've got the decision, so we've got the right guy to have that conversation. Uh, but moving on, um, thanks for breaking that. Huge, huge. I mean, this is historic. This is literally a historic moment. This is what we've been waiting for since the early 1900s in the case of Jacobson versus Massachusetts. Does the federal government have the right to force vaccinate um, citizens in this country? And when it came to, you know, using employers to do that and using OSHA, uh, clearly uh, for those employers, uh, that is not the case, but when it comes to healthcare workers, unfortunately, they ruled the other way. All right, um, but let's yep. get back to what uh, I'm sure is a ton of news to lay on us uh, in, in other spaces. Yeah, in the shadows of this court decision is really a bigger elephant in the room, and that is, uh, a, it's been a terrible month for the, you know, one size fits all, vaccinate or else crowd, don't question mm -hmm. the science. There's a lot of inconvenient truths, data that has come out. And it's been forcing people, even uh, the CEO of Pfizer, Albert Borla, to come out and start to sound like this on uh, media interviews with the mainstream. Take a look. Okay. We know that um, the, three, the two doses of the vaccine offer very limited protection, if any. The three doses with a booster, they offer reasonable protection against hospitalization and deaths, less protection against uh, infection. I mean, exactly what both Jonathan Isaac and Cariotti were just talking about. We've said it from the beginning. The vaccine does not stop infection, doesn't stop transmission. Anyone that says otherwise is, is either out of touch, like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, or they're lying. Yes, and he said, if any, protection, yeah. if any. And the third vaccine offers very little as well. And let's bring it back to about 
three months ago in September where they were trying to really market the third vaccine. And this is what the headline looked like in Israel. If you'll remember, uh, Israel Research, third vaccine dose produces 10 times more antibodies than second. Well, that sounds great. Well, that's over now. And now they, they, they're they cranking up that rusty PR machine again. And here's what the headlines are looking at in Israel again. Israel Research finds fourth jab boosts COVID antibodies fivefold. But literally, it's imploding 24 right. hours later, literally a day later. Here's the, the other headline that comes out. Effects of fourth COVID shot are good, but not enough, Israeli health experts say. And why is everyone talking like this? What What is this about face going on? We've covered this last week as yeah. well, but now the science is really starting to come out. So this is a Canadian study uh, out of Toronto. It's the effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccines against Omicron or Delta infections. So they included all the Canadians 18 and over with uh, provincial health insurance who had a PCR test. They looked at basically November, December this year. And this is what they found. They write, uh, receipt of two doses of COVID-19 vaccine was not protective against Omicron infection at any point in time. The vaccine effectiveness was negative 38%. Whoa. Folks, you don't want to have a negative in your vaccine effectiveness. You want positive. So this is not good. Wow. It goes on to say at 120 to 179 days and negative 42% at 180 to 239 days after the second dose. Vaccine uh, effectiveness against Omicron was 37%. Uh, seven days or less after receiving the mRNA vaccine for the third dose. Findings were consistent for any combination of two mRNA vaccines and two doses of, uh, this is the Pfizer uh, for the primary series. It forced them to conclude this, two doses of COVID-19 vaccines are unlikely to protect against infection by Omicron. A third dose provides some protection in the immediate term, but substantially less than against Delta. You now, know, that's a fairly convenient conclusion, but that conclusion is actually stating something else. Am I, am I correct? When we see negative efficacy, that means it is, you know, increasing your risk of infection, right? I mean, if it's in the yep. positive, if it's like 2%, it's 2% that's stopping it. If it's in the negative, it means you're getting more infected than the people that didn't get the vaccine. Am I right? Isn't that how we can y look at that? Yes. It Absolutely. And that's a theme that's going to carry into okay. uh, these next stories that we're going to be reporting on. That is absolutely right. correct. So please keep that in mind. People are listening. So let's go over to Denmark, whose data collection is one of the top in the world. And this is the, the study out of Denmark. It's titled Vaccine Effectiveness Against SARS-CoV-2 Infection with the Omicron or Delta Variants. Very similar to Canadian study. Yeah. They looked at the two doses of the boosters. We had This one looks at Pfizer or Moderna, a Danish cohort study. And it says here, we are showing original research with early estimates for Danish national uh, nationwide databases of vaccine effectiveness against the novel SARS-CoV-2 Omicron variant up to five months after primary vaccination series with the Pfizer or the Moderna. Let's look at this chart. I highlighted two sections here. So we have uh, the Omicron uh, column the first section highlighted, you have that negative. There it is again, negative 76.5% at 91 to 150 days out. Uh, even if you go one line above that, 61 to 90 days out, you're only at 9.8% effectiveness. And wow. that is for the Pfizer vaccine. Moderna, not much better. The second highlighted section, negative 39.3%. So you're still looking at the negative uh, vaccine uh, efficacy. And this is a trend 
that is happening really everywhere. This Omicron variant is busting through the gates of and the vaccines, and it's also it looks like it's busting through the gates of the uh, the booster doses. Here's Alex Bernerson. Now, if you remember, he was kicked off of Twitter. Here is Alex on Fox News recently talking about what's happening in Europe, uh, similar to what's happening in Canada. Take a listen. Okay. In highly vaccinated countries in Europe right now where we have really good data, vaccine efficacy has turned negative, meaning vaccinated people are more likely to catch Omicron about 10 weeks, uh, I shouldn't say 10 weeks, about 24 weeks out after full vaccination. Meaning, meaning for reasons we don't fully understand, um, it looks like it, the vaccines are not just not controlling infection or transmission, but actually accelerating infection and transmission. Wow. I mean, this is this is huge, right? I mean, if, if at the one point we've moved away from you're protecting your neighbor, now you're more likely to be infected if you get this vaccination. It's putting you at higher risk. I mean, God knows what the science we're going to figure out about why that's happening. It's something that we've, we've alluded to before. But now we're you know, we've been talking about that, right? We talked about actually mm -hmm. our concern was those couple of weeks right after those shots. There seems to be this dip in immunity. But now this waning event seems to be leading to a higher rate of infection, you know, much further down the road, which is a complete and total disaster. Absolutely. It's, it's gigantic. And that's what that negative efficacy translates into higher rate of infection. And remember, the days of 95% efficacy are over and gone. Right. That horse is way gone, if it ever even existed. Right. So uh, again, Alex Bernison is kicked off Twitter. You can find him at Substack, but there's a lot of great writers on Substack. One of them goes under the uh, the title of Forensic, and he's been looking at the uh he's been looking at the, the uk data recently in uk and uk just like denmark is one of the uh, top world's data collection uh hubs so he looking at his article here vaccine failure across the board this is the latest latest data from england is showing negative efficacy so they looked at the vaccine surveillance uh reports from the week one and then the weekly COVID 19 surveillance reports so combining those two you can read about that in the article this chart was produced so it's looking at relative risk reduction so what that RRR tells you is by how much the vaccine reduced the risk of bad outcomes relative to the control group. And here we see in the left side, negative efficacy, negative percentages. Wow. And looks like right in the middle, that 40 to 49 age group is really, is really having a hard time. percent increased risk of developing uh, COVID-19 infection, which it means, so yeah, you're right. We're, we're the opposite side of this Richter scale on effectiveness. We're not in the positive 95% at blocking it. You're over 95% at, you know, raised risk. These are crazy numbers. And it's amazing to see th that all at one time, it's not just one place. It's not just one writer. You're talking about Canada, Denmark, the UK, mm -hmm. Berenson looking at Europe. Um, it just, it seems like we're just, we must be just moments away from them. I mean, are, is there any charts like this coming out of the United States of America yet? Uh, nothing I'm seeing yet out of the United States. Um, uh, but, you know, as we've known, Europe typically is the first to experience, it usually goes Israel, Europe, and the United States as mm -hmm. far as the pathology of these numbers go. So we could be in the middle of it right now, if uh, judging by how it's been going on in the past year or two uh, yeah. of these situations. And uh, some of the headlines may suggest that as, as we're going to talk about. But let's go to one more chart. You know, the relative risk, we're talking negative efficacy. That might be a little bit too in the weeds 
rates for people. So this is the a, another article by the same writer, vaccinated cases surge. And this shows the number of COVID-19 cases in England by vaccination status. Take a look at this chart. Red is vaccinated, green is unvaccinated. Um, basically stoplight mentality here. Would you want to go red or do you want to go? <laughs> and we're looking right. at, I mean, that red line, that red bar there is almost uh, three, like three times higher yeah. than that green one there. And those are the, that's by vaccination status. So what's being created here is like a perfect storm. You have a vaccination that's blowing through, obviously the first two and arguably the third dose, the booster dose, who knows about the fourth. You have hospitals that are being short staffed because the healthcare workers that did not want this vaccine, and you can see maybe why now, right. are being fired. And you have all of this is couched in this, this fear campaign that's been deliberately created by the media and by governments. And now you're seeing headlines like this in America. Here we go. Weeks after Minnesota nurses warn of staffing crisis, Mayo Clinic fires 700 unvaccinated nurses. Why is that important? Because what's happening here in Rhode Island, COVID positive healthcare workers called into work in Rhode Island. Wow. Now, this flies in the face of any type of idea of science happening in France, too. France says some COVID 19 positive healthcare workers can return to work. How about Quebec? Unions slam Quebec for allowing some COVID positive healthcare staff to work. He's seeing a narrative here. So they're now literally choosing sick, infected, germ spreading, you know, nurses and healthcare workers over healthy unvaccinated workers, most of whom I would assume already have natural immunity and are like, you know, the, the, the strength is so funny. I was about to say the rock of Gibraltar mm. and thought Gibraltar is one of the places <laughs> suffering the highest levels, the most vaccinated place on earth and is now also yeah. the highest infection rates, which proves this point. But I mean, amazing that they are so ensconced in their bias that they will choose sick people to be dealing with, remember, everyone in the hospital. They're putting the hospital at risk versus admitting that the unvaccinated actually are who they need right now. I mean, that's just incredible. You got to wonder when they're going to let go of this narrative because the, the PR yeah. and the optics are terrible. So the unions are pushing back. Healthcare workers are pushing back. And this is California. It's dangerous. Healthcare workers push back on guidance for virus positive employees. And then here we go again. California weighs order canceling elective surgeries as COVID surges. I'm sure that's not going to cause any uh, health issues. Right. Foreign nurses are being brought in. This is hospitals across the U.S. turning to foreign nurses as healthcare workers are fired over vaccine mandates. I mean, it's a continual slap in the face here. And even in the UK, Britain calls in military to help with hospital COVID staffing crunch. And, and you know, it's here, not as simple. I mean, we're here and the Supreme Court seconds ago just said all of those people, all those, those hospitals have been allowing their unvaccinated workers to hang in there. No more. So now this is going to get even worse. And it was one of the big arguments we're going to talk about with Aaron Siri. One of the big arguments was if you do this, if you pass this mandate by OSHA, people are going to quit. They've already stood their ground. They've already said we're going to see a giant drop off in the in, in the staffing. We're in staffing shortages now. Can you imagine we're going to be tomorrow after the Supreme right. Court decision? Now the Supreme Court will be personally responsible for having destroyed hospitals. Your ability to go to a hospital, there's going to be even less people there to take care of you should you have a heart attack, should you have any issues. And then if you add on that what we're seeing in the UK, that it's mostly the vaccinated now that are getting these infections, they're at higher risk, they're the ones filling the hospital. This thing is just, it's a, it's a train off the tracks now. 
Yeah, it is. It is. And let's look at another narrative that has really become crashing down. It's, it's over the past couple of weeks. Now, last week we covered Fauci kind of admitting, oh, whoopsie, we, we kind of already knew that uh, kids going into the hospital were getting tested at the door. If they came in with a broken leg or a car accident, we were adding those COVID tests when they tested positive to the full totals. And then the media ran with that to scare people and saying hospitalizations for kids are surging. Well, we have the right. governor he was basically saying it's not really surgery, surging. You know, there's other comorbid issues or other issues, car accidents, yeah. broken legs. Just because they tested positive means they're in the hospital with COVID. They're not there for COVID. Something we have literally been arguing since the beginning of this. They've con contaminated their own numbers and now they're backing away from it, as we pointed out next week. So is there more of that going on? You bet. It's no longer misinformation. Now we have the first governor who's actually going to start posting those numbers. Uh, hopefully all the other governors in the United States will really follow suit here. Uh, Kathy Hochul out of New York. This is her at one of her recent press conferences talking about what they're going to do. Take a listen. I always ask this question. This has troubled me. What do those numbers actually mean? And I'm very inquisitive and I have a sharp team that answers my questions. Who is being admitted for COVID purposes that they're sick enough to have to be hospitalized for COVID, it's that severe, versus people who present themselves to a hospital are automatically tested as a matter of routine now, which is good. They're tested positive for COVID, but they're in there for other reasons. Think of all the other reasons people end up in a hospital. You know, it's an overdose, it's a car accident, it's a heart attack. So I wanted to drill down into those numbers. I told you that on Monday I would be looking at that. And literally the numbers are early because I wanted to get the information out as soon as we got it. And I have uh, two days metric right now. And looking at just uh, on the 4th of January, we realized that 39% of the people are hospitalized with non-COVID-related reasons. And checking in yesterday's number, that number was actually 42%. Now, that is our statewide average. Oh, my God, Jeffrey. I mean, this is the whole point. From the moment they manipulated the death certificate to say it doesn't matter why they were in there. If they had COVID, you make it a COVID death. They contaminated their own numbers, and now they're backing away from it. You know what, Jeffrey? I Every once in a while, you know, not to let my ego get too big because we're all a part of this. Jeffrey, you are. My entire team sitting back there. But I think it's time for a bit of an I told you so because I told them so. I told everybody in the government so. I told you we're going to do this. What do I mean? Take a look at what I said way back when. Mark my words right now. Let me put this on camera in video. It's about to come out of my mouth and it's about to go on a video camera. I want to be able to reference the fact that I said this on this day right now. You will hear Deborah Burks and Anthony Fauci one day say, well, look, we can't call those all coronavirus deaths because there was comorbidities. They had other life-threatening illnesses they died from, and it was just listed as coronavirus. They died with coronavirus, but not from coronavirus. You're like, Dell, they will never say that. You want to bet? Here's why they're going to say it. America is still going like this. We are looking at having the worst death rate in the entire world. New York is one of the most deadly cities in the world. It failed harder than almost anywhere else in the world, which means someone's going to say, well, who was in charge? Why did America have such a high death rate if Anthony Fauci and Deborah Birx knew what they were doing? Especially since America was like one of the last ones to be hit by coronavirus. They had all that time to know what they needed to do, yet their death rate is through the roof. 
Well, I assure you, that will not bode well at that moment. And when they start getting heat with, why did you do such a bad job? They will tell you, we didn't. The numbers are bloated. Hmm. Literally what's happening, right? They're telling us now yeah. the numbers are bloated. Don't take them seriously. As she said, a lot of those are car accidents and heart attacks. <laughs> and she went on and on, probably say cancer and every other comorbidity we've been talking about since the beginning. Um, I, I wasn't sure. I mean, to be honest, Jeffrey, I think I said a couple of weeks ago, there may be one prediction I got wrong. I'm not sure they're ever going to admit that they yeah. bloated the numbers. But here we are. Here we are indeed. And it's not just in New York. So we have other headlines that since we're waiting for the governors to release the numbers, we have to look at the headlines here. So this is in California, head of COVID response for UCSF's ER department. I've not intubated a single COVID patient during the Omicron surge. Well, that's great, but let's look in the article here. After reviewing the charts of every COVID patient uh, at UCSF hospital on January 4th, Dr. Jean Noble, an associate professor of emergency medicine at UCF, UCSF determined that 70% of the them were in the hospital for other reasons, forcing her to say, quote, the real COVID crisis that our hospitals are facing is a severe staffing shortage that is compromising the quality of care. So 70%. Now let's wow. go back to the New York numbers chart that uh, Governor Hochul put out in New York on her website, the governor's website. And you have here the, the percentage top right highlighted percentage admitted where COVID was not included as one of the reasons for admission, uh, basically meaning they weren't in there for COVID all the way at the bottom statewide, 43%. She said 42. Now we're going up. This is the latest numbers. 43% of the people aren't in there for COVID. Now let's look at New Jersey hospitals right across the road there. New Jersey COVID hospitalizations surpassed 6,000 for the first time since April, 2020. Well, that sounds like a terrifying headline until you read the article. And it says here in the article, many hospitalized patients who have COVID were admitted to the hospital because of other medical conditions. Of the 6,075 currently hospitalized with COVID, 2,963 of them, about 49%, are hospitalized primarily because of their COVID diagnosis. The rest were hospitalized for other reasons and then tested positive for COVID in the hospital. Dealt I think it's important here to bring three uh, founding, I guess we want to call them founding mothers and fathers of medicine, as they'll try to be called now, yeah. Jay Bhattacharya, uh, yep. Sanitra Gupta, Dr. Martin Koldorf. And who are these people? They are the creators of the Great Barrington Declaration. And it seems like we're really moving towards a Great Barrington Declaration future at this point or a present mm -hmm. and admitting this. And what was that? Let's remind people what that is. Let's take some of the quotes from there. Um, the Great Barrington De Declaration, it says, those who are not uh, vulnerable should immediately be allowed to resume life as normal. Simple hygiene measures such as hand washing and staying home when sick should be practiced by everyone to reduce the herd immunity threshold. Now, again, this was written before the vaccine. This was written as the lockdowns were just coming in in 2020. It says schools and universities should be open for in-person teaching. Extracurricular activities such as sports should be resumed. Young, low-risk adults should work normally rather than from home. Restaurants and other businesses should open. Arts, music, sport, and other cultural activities should resume. People who are at more risk may participate if they wish, while society as a whole enjoys the protection conferred upon the, uh, the vulnerable by those who have built up herd immunity. And finally, it says adopting measures to protect the vulnerable should be the central aim of public health response to COVID-19. Now, I the mean, Great this, Barrington... Yeah. 
I mean, and to yeah, just, just to weigh in here, this really has been the philosophy we've had from the beginning. It was clearly stated. We have celebrated the Great Barrington Declaration. I think many of those 916,000 signatures were inspired as we got behind this and told the doctors and scientists around the world that we know, knew to get involved. Um, and, and so you had that policy. It's what I have said that I believe they were right. We should protect. We've never said just everybody just let, let it go. We said we should do what we've always done, which is really protect. If you're going to call it lockdowns, lock down the elderly with other comorbidities, which is going to be is really the conversation. Take care of those that are vulnerable while the rest of us that have healthy immune systems. This is a very low death rate. We need to you know, we need to handle this. And so, um, you know, that's where they were at. I mean, it, and it, it yeah. seemed it seemed to make so much sense. I just read Scott Atlas's book. He was, of course, talking to these folks, trying to get Deborah Burks and those inside of the White House to move towards this plan. Uh, but nobody seemed to want to do it. Right. Right. And why didn't they want to do it? Let's let's really um, correct the historical record here. So let's talk about Francis Collins. He's now the former a director of the National Institutes of Health. And he was in the headlines recently, and it was pretty ugly for America and for the rest of the world. This is what the headlines look like. This was the takedown. Emails show how Fauci and head of NIH worked to discredit three experts who penned the Great Barrington Declaration, which called for an end to lockdowns. Now, this was an internal email that was released publicly by some uh, politicians here in the US. And this is what it read. This was from October 8th, 2020. Hi, Tony and Cliff. Now, Clifford Lane, they're talking about, he's the NIA, NIAID Deputy Director of Clinical Research. It says, see greatbarringtondeclaration.org. This proposal from three fringe epidemiologists who met with the secretary seems to be getting a lot of attention. And even a co-signature from Nobel Prize winner, Mike Levitt at Stanford. There needs to be a quick and devastating published takedown of its premises. I don't see anything like that online yet. Is it underway, Francis? I mean, just hold that up. He admits a Nobel Prize winner might leave it at Stanford has signed on. And instead of doing what everyone in the world thinks happens, which is when you're in the middle of a crisis, in the middle of a pandemic, if you will, all of the, the, the heads of science get together and say, hey, what's your thought? What's your thought? Let's bring it all in. Let's put it all on the table, work through it. Instead, they don't invite them in. They don't say, hey, these are not just, you know, as, you know fringe scientists. We're talking Oxford, Harvard, Stanford. Um, these guys are the top, you know, uh, of their class, as you will. They put together this entire document, and instead of inviting them in, as the United States of America should have, and our NIH has said, hey, let's talk to these guys. We've got Nobel laureates that are agreeing with them. They said, squash this, shut this, you shut this down now, proving we had a health department that had an agenda, not based on having a conversation or open debate or, you know, the scientific method, which is challenge all thoughts. Let's put it on the table. Challenge the lockdowns. Let's see if they hold up against scientists that disagree. Instead, we were never going to listen to it. That's incredible. Right. And so then the reason we're bringing this up partly is then they were attacking the points of the Great Barrington Declaration, presumably because they wanted to maintain an illusion of scientific consensus. Now there's a different tune that's being played. Take a look at what it looks like in the news. We have to learn to live with COVID. What needs to happen is we need to learn to live with COVID. Look, we've got to learn to live with COVID. We know what it is. We know what we've got to do. I think this is a, a, a time where we're going to have to learn how to coexist with this milder version of COVID. I think what we have to do is learn to live 
with the virus. This is going to become an endemic virus. It's going to circulate every year. It's probably going to be a winter pathogen, as coronaviruses are. This is going to become like a second circulating flu. Do we as New Yorkers have to get used to the idea we all may get this? <laughs> you know, you, I could not have said it better. Most people are going to get COVID. All right. And what we need to do is make sure the hospitals can still function, transportation, you know, other essential services are not disrupted while this happens. When is the government going to accept that learning to live with COVID, which we all have to do, means we cannot respond to new variants by stopping and starting sectors of our economy, which leads to businesses going under and jobs being lost? can't continue to shut the government down. We can't continue to put pressure on our tight labor market by forcing people to be vaccinated. We have to learn to live with COVID like we do with the flu. And I would say the new Omicron uh, variant is now somewhere between, in its lethality, less than flu, but more than the common cold. How do we stop going from surge after surge, emergency to emergency, and figure out how to live with a with a virus that's going to be around for the rest of our lives? You know, I suppose all these people mm-hmm. might have spoke up that way had Francis Collins not shut down those of the Great Barrington Declaration that were trying to stalk to the White House. Maybe have we had this dialogue, all the other scientists around the world, like we're hearing from now, would have said, you know what, it's a really good point. You can't hide from a virus. The mask isn't going to work. It's going to eventually find its way. Even if you vaccinate, we try to vaccinate everybody. Maybe we should listen to Geert van den Bosch saying the virus is just going to find a way around. I mean, had we had intelligent dialogue, maybe we wouldn't have had to destroy the world, our economy, lives, you know, school children. I mean, it's, it's, it's outrageous. And here we are, full circle, as though this last two years was just a complete failed experiment. We've come full circle, have we not? I mean, this is, it's amazing. Uh, and it's showing that we can't hide from reality. No one can. We can't hide from the truth. And perhaps in uh, a version of the ultimate irony here, one of those three architects of that tr- attempted takedown of the Great Barrington Declaration, Tony Fauci, came forward and said this in a recent interview. Take a listen. I think in many respects, Omicron, with its extraordinary, uh, uh, unprecedented degree of efficiency of transmissibility, will ultimately find just about everybody, those who have been vaccinated and vaccinated and boosted would get exposed. Some, maybe a lot of them will get infected. So what's the box that we're all looking at now? That box is control, namely getting the level of infection that causes severe disease low enough that we can incorporate this infection, some people have said learning to live with it, that I believe we are possibly approaching that. Oh, my God. We're like in the middle of it. Like, I mean, just just a side note. Did you see how many pictures of himself he had behind him? He has so many pictures yeah. of himself. He's got them on the floor. They're hanging in the windows. They're stacked up in piles. I mean, this guy loves himself. No doubt about it. Oh, that's hilarious. OK. It's like a, um, like a hand drawn picture in the background there. <laughs> But I mean, here we are, right? He, this is the man that said we we're only going to get out of this with the vaccine. And now he's saying, yeah, all of you got the vaccine. Yeah, you're going to catch it, too. As it turns out, I guess we're just going to have to live with it. And that is the narrative. And everybody's on board now. And when you see everyone 
in lockstep with a narrative, you know something's something's brewing. And here's it makes me nervous. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like I don't even want to see yes. before we see these headlines. I, I'm really right now. We're trying to figure where are they going with this? Are they just going to walk away? I mean, this literally just you know we're going to just act like this never happened and we'll try to walk off in the sunset. Maybe retire by an island in the Keys and forget about it. I mean. What is going on here? How does this benefit them? And, and all of this, I mean, unfortunately for the Supreme Court, at the same moment, the Supreme Court is taking away the rights of healthcare workers. Everyone in science is bailing on the ship that the Supreme Court thought they were fighting for. I mean, this is outrageous. This right here, right now, is a time capsule on the high wire in this moment. The Supreme Court just broke this information. And now at the same exact time, all of science was running away from this vaccine. I mean, what an incredible, incredible thing. All right, let's see these headlines yeah. from these people. Yeah, forcing a vaccine on a variant that it's not working on to stop infection at all, zero, if any, uh, says the CEO of Pfizer. So right. here's in the UK. This is what the headline looks like in the UK. Everyone's talking about it. Time to live with COVID and treat virus like the common cold says welcome. That's the welcome trust. Now it says Britain's biggest independent funder of medical research has called for coronavirus to be treated like the common cold. Nick Motes, the charity's chief investment officer, said restrictions were no longer economically justified and it was time to live with coronavirus. He says, I don't think it can mean going back into regular lockdowns because it is just not economically viable. We don't do that for the flu. We don't do that for the common cold, he said. Tell that to Germany. Tell that to yeah. Austria. So here it says in UK, as China and other uh, countries lock down, the UK is learning to live with COVID. Uh, even Biden, as Omicron surges, Biden shifts his message to urge Americans to learn to live with COVID. And here's just a smattering of eight more headlines I pulled wow. across the US and Europe. Everyone's talking about it. This this is where it's at right now. And as you said, what's next after this? I'm kind of I'm kind of looking with one eye open, going, "Oh my God, please, please let this I go mean, someplace, someplace good." <laughs> it's absolutely incredible, and you know you see it, it just it, overnight. So obviously they've got the memo. We're rolling the vaccine. I mean, this is only happening as I think you've proven because not only is the vaccine not effective, it seems to have negative consequences. Having got it makes you more at risk for infection. Maybe they're trying to hide from that. Uh, you know, it's really an outrageous moment here. But as again, once again, we can't, you know, when we look at them trying to like walk off into the sunset, I mean, you have destroyed the world that we live in. Your choices. You took away ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and things that worked. You, you know, packed up our hospitals. You ventilated people. You murdered people. All while we were told the only way out of this was the vaccine. Then you forced the vaccine. You've used the Supreme Court. You've used mandates to force a product that now is causing infection across this country. And now you just want to walk off in the sunset. Now you want to retreat to the Great Barrington Declaration, which is where we should have been to begin with, which is is where we've always been since the dawn of man. You know, again, I think it's time for an I told you so moment because this is many of the reasons why I lost my YouTube channel, why we lost, you know, uh, our Facebook channel was because I decided to dare to say something as outrageous as what basically the head of the, the wellness group there just said. Here it is, folks, all the way back when. I'm, I'm going to take this moment because, you know, for those of you that are brand new to the high wire, we've got to show you we've had this right. We have been trying and we've been we have been suing the FDA. We've been suing the CDC to make them know we know that we're right. And we've been going after government agencies. We've been talking to politicians. What did I have to say? Probably the thing that's gotten me in more headlines than anything else. And here it is. Get ready for it. Sounds a lot like what everyone is saying now. Take a look.
It's a common cold for 99.74% of us, the non-pharmaceutical dependent people. So here's what we do. Let's go outside. Let's take off our mask. If we're not on drugs and we don't need to be on drugs, let's catch this cold. <laughs> it's the line that has got me in more trouble than anything else I've ever said. Here's just some of the headlines. Anti-vaccine figure Del Bitri is using Facebook and YouTube to encourage people to intentionally contract coronavirus. Anti-vaccine leader Del Bitri on COVID-19. Let's catch this cold. Why anti-vaxxers and coronavirus conspiracy theorists are often one in the same. Uh, well, I guess uh, the joke's on them, right? As I've said, and I've said it time and time again, Jeffrey, when these people are interviewing me, I keep saying to them, I know you're attacking me this week for what we just said and what we presented. Shall I show you the science? Would you like to actually look at the science? How about the idea of publishing the science? I know you won't. I always say to them, I know you won't. I'm still going to do this interview because I know that people that have brains out there will say, I know that the media has been lying to me and this paper has been lying to me, but this Del Bingtree guy, they're saying he's the bad guy. And just because he says it looks like the vaccine doesn't work, I'm going to go check out what he's doing. So I say to him, I thank you. I thank you for writing this article because tomorrow we will gain followers. You will lose followers. And here's the point. You know why we're gaining? Because so far, everything you've attacked us on, I say this to all the papers and I can point out the times you've attacked us. In the end, we proved to be right. We were the ones leading the charge on, you know, uh, origin, lab origin and that conversation. Now it's the reigning thought in the world. We were the ones telling you this would not stop infection, would not stop at transmission. And and we were the ones that said to you, if you're healthy, not those that are sick, in order to protect them, the sooner we can get to herd immunity, the quicker we will protect them. I think we would have saved hundreds of thousands of lives had we let this thing really run its course, gone out there, not been afraid, not made ourselves and our immune systems worse with masks, not depressed our children, not driven up suicides and everything else and all of the other issues. This vaccine, I'm sure we're going to now see the repercussions of the cancers and the rises of all these other autoimmune diseases that we've reported this could lead to. But in the end, catch this cold is what I was attacked for. And now that appears to be the growing headline in every news agency. Two years after the fact, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars lost, hundreds of, you know, you know, maybe thousands of lives lost. All of that could have been avoided if maybe we listened to the Great Barrington Declaration or maybe the president of the United States had just tuned into a high wire, maybe just once. <laughs> we would have avoided this. Jeffrey, wow. I mean, is this it? I mean, again, I, I, how many times have we had this show where we're like, this is it, man. It's over. We've done it. We've won. It is so clear. We're the winners here. Hashtag winning. And then next week, it's just like back to get your booster shot. Yeah, well, if parents are using these episodes, which I have heard for uh, homeschooling for their kids, what have we learned today? The scientific consensus was wrong over the last two years. The vaccines data shows are may actually be increasing infections in, in, through the negative efficacy um, and media organizations as they they've started doing are apologizing to their readers and should be doing it some more. So I don't know about you, but it's going to be an amazing seven days of headlines coming up. I can't wait to read them. All right. We'll check in with you next week and see what happened. Thank you, Jeffrey, for all your brilliant work. Thanks, Al. All right. That was the Jackson report. Uh, always great work. And I must say that if you juxtapose, I like what Del Big, Del Big Tree said at the end there. It's like, 
you know, it seems like we're winning where it seems like, you know, the narrative is changing and still yet like next week, it'll be like get your fourth booster or something like that. Juxtapose what he just said there to what Luke Radowski uh, talked about at the very beginning of the show about how 45 or 48% of Democrats believe that the unvaccinated should be forced into camps and vaccinated. So on one level, they're telling us to learn to live with it. On another level, there are, it's a significant portion, even if it's a minority, it's a significant minority of the population that supposedly believes that we should be forced, and this is a Rasmussen poll, by the way, forced into camps and forcibly vaccinated, which is against basic individual liberty and natural law rights. But that's, you know, that's sort of the dichotomy that's been fueled by the fear narrative in our culture, by the mass media and by those politicians that gain power. And I think that's why we have limited time to break their narrative. Because we do have limited uh, time. You're right. What was the verbiage that Francis Collins used in his email? A quick and devastating type of hit piece? Is what he's talking about? Quick and devastating. It's almost like a blitzkrieg, right? Right. It's almost right. like a blitzkrieg. Don't look at the science. Don't look at what those three guys, you know, not three guys, uh, the three three doctors had to say from the Great Barrington Declaration. Don't look at it. Don't weigh the merits of their arguments. Immediately go to assassinate their character, to label them as fringe, to get their information away from the narrative, which is so weak that they have to censor Oxford, Stanford, Harvard, uh, doctors and scientists that's that's pretty weak. This is the this is these are the tactics of a weak enemy that I'm sensing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and no, I, that's I think we better true. break that narrative quick because they only have they have a time clock clicking before they're out of power, and they will never ever have a chance to get the drop on us again. So, right. yeah, they made you know, their was... move. They made their bed. They killed millions of people. You know, it's interesting is I first heard about Jay Bhattacharya. Now he's the one at Stanford, the epidemiologist, and he was one of the ones that penned the Great Barrington Declaration. I think I heard him on a um, podcast called Uncommon Knowledge by Peter Robinson. And he's sort of, it's sort of more conservative type of um, fireside chat, you know, and then he's sitting there talking about what we first need to do is test. First, make sure the tests are even legitimate valid right valid yes and that this Jay shouldn't be used in this situation and Fauci, Fauci was not to be trusted but what what does he know correct because at a high enough cycle threshold you can it's a self-fulfilling prophecy you can find anything you want and you can justify anything you want with it and so you know he said that first and secondly that then we need to apply this testing to see like what groups are being impacted the most and of course then he actually did some legit he did some studies that it was one was funded by the MLB, if I remember correctly. He was trying to find which population groups had been exposed to COVID. This is back in early 2020. I'm talking first and second quarter of 2020, mm-hmm. right after we went into lockdown. And he had discovered, you know, various different things. I think at one point, the more affluent population centers had not had or not been exposed to COVID. More of the poorer sections have been. So it's already running through a lot of the inner city you know, sections of our country. Um, but a lot of the people that can have the money and can run to the little nice neighborhood far away from the cities, you know, they weren't essentially getting affected. Um, but then you have to look at like the issues of the death rate and whether it died with or from COVID he made all these mentions and that's why they penned ultimately the great Barrington declaration, because alongside Oxford and Harvard, they were noticing these epidemiologists were noticing a similar pattern, a similar trend. This isn't even talking about what what uh, it was a, he was a, uh, Rockefeller Newt, mathematician. Witkowski. Witkowski. 
Yeah, Newt yeah. Witkowski from Rockefeller University, I think. Rock- it was. Yeah, it was, yeah, something like that. He's one. Of, he's part of one of the Rockefeller Foundations. He's a mathematician that also pointed out the importance of just letting it run through. Now Sweden adopted that. Sweden had a very, um, uh, it ended up working out sort of uh, paradoxically much better than it did in states like New York state mm-hmm. or California, California. Yep. or, you know, states that locked down quite heavily in Europe. And so it was important states or I should say countries in Europe. So, you know, when you juxtapose all that data, it shows that like this, this extreme lockdown measure and to Mark McDonald's point last week, you know, that all the conditions, the mental conditions that arose from it, the conditions of suicide, which is tragic. The fact that people lost their jobs um, the fact that cancer screenings, this is a huge thing. This is something Paul Justin Watson is pointing to because so many people, and I've, I was reading some anecdotes recently too about it. They missed their cancer screening. They, a lot of people had cancer in remission. You never really beat cancer if you go through the normal treatment protocol um, of chemotherapy, but you can get it to a point where it's in remission with the po- possibility of coming back. So unless you have regular uh, screenings for that, you know, it's a possibility it will come back. And a lot of people miss those screenings because they canceled those screenings because the world was locked down for a coronavirus. That so hypothetically, so in a reasonable world, outcomes. Yeah. Hypothetically in a reasonable world, the five or four exercises they ran on this specific situation would have yielded information for protocols, therapeutics, and a way of having continuity for other medical services and well having be- plenty of PPE ahead of time. Because right. Bill Gates told you in his TED Talk in 2016, the world is facing this. Did he help to keep all this stuff open? No, he didn't. He increased his wealth, just like Bezos and these other characters. Well, dramatically, too. Dramatically. Yeah. And then he came out as the guy in the, like the pink and purple sweaters telling you, here's a little coronavirus and it's important to get your vaccinate. Where's he lately? Has anyone seen him lately? He's like, wow, Fauci's taking a lot of shit. I better stay out of the pu- public spotlight. Cause if they find out that Gates and Fauci had a decade of the vaccine, 10 years precisely before this thing happened, people might start to wonder what is Very, the connection between Bill an Gates and Peter Daszak? Does Daszak know uh, Epstein? Uh, Mr. Dazak, have you ever been to Epstein's Island? Have you flown on the Lolita Express? Those are fantastic questions. Only a couple left, a couple dots left to connect in that puzzle. I don't know if they exist or if that's just uh, you know, uh, coincidence. Those are fantastic questions, and I am very interested in anyone that could find information associated with that because I've not. Obviously, you know, they're. I heard that birds of a feather flock kids together. That's what I heard with the Epstein crew. Oh, that's fucked up, but it's true. You know, you made a point there, though. Uh, you know, in general, you always have to be careful. You should, you should always Always be careful. careful. Bill, be careful. (laughs) Gates. That's his name. You said something that's important though. Like in a rational world, these, these, uh, simulations that have been run spars and vent two hundred one, and so forth and so Rockefeller lockstep, they would yield protection of we, the people. They would correspond to reality. Aristotle's definition of truth. Mm. Again, the idea of our ideas, our concepts matching up to that which exists. Now, the problem is they don't really match up. It seems to be a whole other narrative associated with that. So in other words, it seemed to be more about control than about actually doing something that would be most rational to an evolving and novel situation. In other words, they didn't try to, as Peter McCullough points out, you know, utilize effective therapeutics. Even something as hydroxychloroquine ivermectin early on, it's Even not DARPA going to harm. It's not going to hurt people. The, the thing we have to remember this is it doesn't really, these 
pharmaceuticals have a very good toxicology profile associated with it, meaning they don't really harm people unless they are used at extremely excessive doses, dosages. So they could have at least attempted it, you mm. know, and they were very cheap. They're, they're but uh, they did very, if exactly my, yeah. And that's, that's one of a host of, you know, we have vitamins, we have, we have the NAC and N-acetylcysteine, which are, is actually some studies. And it seemed at every that every turn that they the took effective out. therapeutics uh, off the radar, made them illegal, made them you scarce, made them executive order, not just in this country, but Emmanuel Macron. Yeah, the Rothschild banker over there, he took these things off the market and made oh, them immediately because it was Didier Raoul who was talking about his uh, the effectiveness of chloroquine. He's a French doctor. He's a French yeah. doctor as connections to Santa. It's either Sanofi or Biomedu. So it's just you know when you look at these, it, it seems to be there's a coordinated effort. Now you look at Event Two Hundred One. They talk about specifically controlling the narrative. I mean that's a one of the. It's a good hour or two. And then Crimson Contagion that. and Spars. They also talk about people resistant talk- to the the vaccine gene therapies and things like this. Yes, and they talk about the importance of like a central control of the narrative. Almost like as an analogy, like an AP or Reuters, you know, where you get that then publishes something and then all the other local news agencies pick it up. It's yeah. sort of similar to that, where it's for the world, though. Like There's Mockingbird, world like Operation Mockingbird, because Mockingbird repeats, Mockingbird repeats. Media, everyone says the same thing. Or Citizens, wink, wink. That, yeah, that's interesting that that goes on. And I'm curious how Fauci, Collins, and Dazak get the media to do that. It's almost as if those guys aren't the real puppeteers almost like they're puppets and that there might be other people pulling the strings on this whole thing. That's what Crowder, as much as I like his work, he never seems to get, he thinks they're the he doesn't seem to get that. No, he he thinks they're the puppeteers and they're only the puppets. Yeah. And he's, he's kind of bad on that. Pimples uh, like that too, to be fair. British something world federation history as well. He's very light on that Anglo-American establishment oh, kind of merger with yeah. Balfour declaratives. Oh yeah. yeah, when it comes to Israel and Palestine and the Balfour Declaration, he has him and Shapiro. Oh my God, it's so ignorant. But anyways, you know, what was the goal of the Zionist representation at Paris, 1919, and why were they involved in the first? How were how were the Zionists involved in World War One to have a seat at the table to get reparations? Can I ask that question? Or no, was probably, ever a country probably not to begin with? Probably Just not a territory owned by the British that was unfairly carved up before the war was even over. So they had to win the war no matter what, but the Germans were one up on that. And yeah, they, why uh, was Arthur Balfour involved in the first English printing of Mein Kampf? He's also in the Balfour deck. It seems like odd friends to keep these. Anyway, history. It's it's like that. Make sure to keep the influential, especially if you weren't told the truth about it, it makes you go, Hmm. (laughs) Hmm. How did Lord Grey do that to Lusitania? <laughs> right. right. Colonel House, if the Lusitania were to sink because of the Germans, would you guys get into the war? Hmm, I think so. An hour later. One hour later. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's just so ironic because you look at the German U-boats had completely shocked the world. There was a new technology that no one was aware of. And so they were able to control uh, the seas, specifically the Atlantic and, and they're able to control supply chains because of that, that would, you know, affect yeah, English the war channel, effort. the English channel yeah. specifically. So they had to have an excuse and we were, it was a big um, deal to the British cause they were a Navy nation. Cause you got a little, little Island and all, all of a sudden these people who don't ac- have access to the sea, Germany, they got the submarine wolves, uh, wolf packs out there. 
And what's ironic is, you remember the coordinated effort by the media back then? You know, oh, the babies, the Germans are doing horrific. Babies on bayonets campaign. Yeah, babies That's on bayonets. Good like old fashioned propaganda. Yeah. You know, someone, was it last week? Someone mentioned Lord Kitchener. And I meant to say, you know, that Uncle Sam wants you poster campaign from World War One. That's a anyone? PR. Anyone? That's a, sorry. Do you know where it comes from? It came from Lord Kitchener. If you Lord look up Kitchener. Lord Kitchener wants you, you'll see the same poster. The British had it first. Lord Kitchener's second war, by the way, is called World War One. For those of you playing at home and haven't seen Corbett's conspiracy movie on that. I lost uh, it. I forgot the Kitchener angle. For some Lord reason, I Kitchener's always think that war. one was like, a lip, well, Lippmann came way later, but I thought that was a Bernaysian sort of. His war. first war was under Rhodes in South Africa. The second war they called World yeah. War One. Or was that, no, was, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. It was Lord, was it Milner's? Milner's second? Wow. Oh, I, I messed it up. It's not Kitchener. Kitchener was in yeah, South Africa, confused. but it's Lord Milner's yeah, second Milner's war is World second. War One. That's Here's I, the I get like that. So you're saying this is, this is Milner? No, that's that's Kitchener. Th this is Kitchener? Okay. Milner, yeah, he worked under Milner. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. That's where Uncle Sam came from. Where did Uncle Sam originate? Check that out. Yeah, Lord Kitchener wants you. There were cartoons in the 1800s, notes, but that campaign made him Uncle Sam as much as Santa Claus and Coca-Cola campaign. What Santa Claus looks like comes from Coca-Cola ads, and Uncle Sam wants you comes from Lord Kitchener. So the uh, the picture here. Let's just get this on the record. So the kit the picture in comes, my country tis of the is, is God save the king or queen. So you have Lord Kitchener wants you. Uh, mm -hmm. That's Lord Kitchener on the photo. This was an advertisement, but Alfred Lee. Let's see who this guy is. Alfred Lee was a British graphic artist. I don't know if there's anything substantial here, but um, this looked like he was part of developing the artwork for it. Oops. But if we go back here, um, it depicted Lord Kitchener, the British Secretary of State of War. Above the words, wants you, Kitchener wearing the cap cap of a British field marshal, blah, blah, blah. So stairs and points, the viewer calling them to enlist in the British army against the central powers. The image is considered one of the most iconic and enduring images of World War I. The hugely influential image slogan it also has also inspired imitations in other countries. So now, 1914, that's in Britain to get people into the war to fight the evil Huns. Yeah, who was queen victoria's great grandson or whatever the deal is because yeah, they're all even... grandchildren of victoria right say even and then British three years later connection to like the habsburgs which is three like years later right German... in time for america to get in the war they got uncle sam wants you to go over there and fight people who are mostly like related to people in america let's see here if i can find yeah, so if I remember correctly, Ber the reason why I always get this confused with Kitchener because like Bernays had a hand in the Uncle Sam one. Uh, that's funny. Okay, Bernays counterfeited it appears. Yeah, PR council create the PR council creates news. Bernays set up the frame public relations. I respect old nineteen twenty eight publishes. Uh, maybe not. I thought Bernays. Well, anyways, I'll have to go through this. I thought well, he had some connection uncles. to one of those. Uncle Sam That's wants you. Get those confused, but it doesn't really I matter. The point is, the there was propaganda. Army. I think they used his theory, and that uh, that's probably what it was. Because I remember there's some connection with the "I want you" poster and his theories on PR and propaganda, which is very interesting. But obviously, that came later. Especially the "I want you" is more specific to the World War II situation. But 
either way, World War One is World War Two is just a continuation of World War One with a small ceasefire in between for like a decade and a half, well, two decades. We have sections on mandates and lockdowns, vaccine and vaccine injury, COVID nineteen, Joe Rogan breaks the internet, therapeutics and masks. I think we might have to skip all those mm-hmm. just to get to intermission. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I mean, that's that's sort of why I suggest we do uh, the Jackson report because Jackson report kind of covered in a very general fashion all of the elements that make up these subsections under the main section of vaccine lockdowns and therapeutics. Um, for those that are interested, Tuesday night town hall, I'll go over key news articles that unfortunately we had to skip now associated with those subsections and we can get into some other news that we had to skip as well. Um, so we'll save that for the Tuesday night town hall. It's at seven o'clock PM Eastern time. Also, uh, Liberty radio with James and Phoenix, seven o'clock PM Mondays. Um, for those that are interested, they do, they intermix a little music as well as topics that we miss quite often on this show as well. So just due to timing and uh, yeah so with that i hope um, for those that are interested we'll cover a lot of the news that otherwise just didn't uh due to time we didn't have a chance to get to so all right so my audible is uh there's four different aud- intermissions <laughs> yeah i couldn't make a lot just yeah i also need to include a clip from this behind the scenes of the davos conference documentary. i think that's most important i want to play five the first five minutes and then hit around nine minutes and then 22 minutes were the other places in the first half hour that I remember that I was like, Ooh, and I looked at the time. Can we just let it run 20 minutes and just, you can uh, accept that. I want, I just want to, I don't know too much about it. I just started watching it. But what I sensed was as a documentary filmmaker, I see two narratives being intermingled and it's like world economic forum versus Greenpeace. And they're both deep, deep capture. So even though they act like, oh, we got to, you know, get these corporations and they're scared of like the corporations watering down their commitments. That's part of that ruse. It's like uh, Kissinger and Brzezinski, you know, communists, anti-communists. They're working Mm -hmm. for the Rockefeller brothers, both of them, anti-views of each other, bookends, vice grips on history. So they have controlled opposition out there. So now watching it as controlled opposition positioning of the entire frame of reference that you're supposed to know about. Nothing more, nothing more, nothing more. All right. They're going to try to tell you like, here's how to look at it. That doesn't tell you um, a club of Rome population control, Klaus Schwab, Bilderberg group front end, you know, to make it all pacifierable to the public, these sort of things, uh, you know, collective ownership and the, these other little terms that they have, stakeholder public par- capitalism, stakeholder capitalism, public private partnerships, yeah. uh, inclusive capitalism, inclusive all these, capitalism. You know, all their greatest hits, all their greatest hits. Uh, let's take a look behind the scenes of the curtain back to 2018 before the COVID ski hit the ground. Let's see. Uh, then president, uh, Mr. Brown, orange man, whatever color, things going on with he's bad he's there he's with klaus schwab they're good buddies so it's not just joe biden is friends with klaus schwab the predecessor of the american empire front end on the british empire was there so let's check it out let's watch with an open mind we might be able to learn something they there's you're going to see a lot of very expensive suits very, very well tailored. It's a, uh, you know, uh, nice, nice accommodations. Looks like people who would run the world type level situation. We should take it seriously. Let's check it out.
faz. Dear friends, welcome to the 47th annual meeting of the World Economic Forum. Oil-producing countries of the Arab world decided to use their oil as a political weapon. Nehmen wir Gorbatschow ernst, nehmen wir Gorbatschow beim West Berliners flocked there and scaled the wall that scarred their city. In fact, if you buy a new PC, the internet is a few clicks away. And I brought the major industrial leaders of the world together in this forum. I thank you. International tourism was not, however, born on 9-11. Breaking news here, stocks all around the world are tanking because of the crisis on Wall Street. And we are demonstrating against the self-proclaimed elite that tells us that they're going to solve the problem, but the problems are getting bigger. Now, YouTube, this guy speaks German, but he's not Hitler, okay? And we are going to have uh, Forrest Whitaker narrating. Oh, very good. Parts of it. Let's see. Golf carts in the snow. Ah, Red Dawn. There's a graphic a text just saying in the 50 years it's the first time a film crew was allowed in and it was filmed over the course of two years. If we didn't feel the need to talk, the need for dialogue, we would live in a global dictatorship where everyone had the same opinion. Meaning that, das heißt, not to just talk, reden, reden but to let others talk too, is an absolute necessity for the social cohesion of our world. Klaus. Mr. President, 
Bienvenue. Bienvenue. Tout le monde vous attend. Oui. Oui, vous allez voir. J'avais promis. Oui, vous. Vous avez promis, non. C'est bien. Non, non, non. Je suis très content. Il est. Oui, c'est vraiment. Très Merci à vous. Merci beaucoup. What is important is not only talking, but also listening. I believe this is the starting point, this feeling that we need dialogue to understand each other. Oh, well, you've got an even bigger United States president, so... Yeah, I hear you will meet him. Yes, yes. It can't be past this. Everyone's feet on the carpet. Yeah. Hello, everybody. Hi, everybody. How are you? Spectre headquarters. Pretty swanky place. Yes, sir. Lee. Yes. Um, I just call you. Why don't we try? as a follow-up, to engage uh, Netanyahu also into such session. Exactly. That's why I wanted to connect with you. And if that's the case, I'd like to pursue that with Mirek. I just invited him also for the dinner with the Chinese. And I, I feel Netanyahu would like to be with, uh, let's say, a Nobel Prize winner and so on. And that would solve the issue to a certain extent. I think so. Okay. Thank you. Huh? About Tina. Die, um, die Einladung für das Dinner mit äh, Frau Merkel, ja. das sind auf sehr persönlichem Briefpapier sie. Und nicht okay. oben dran, das, äh, das sieht nach ähm, ja, Wald- und Wiese-Meeting Wald- und Wiese-Meeting aus. Okay, ähm, ich glaube, es ist aber keine E-Mail und das ist so der Standort, wo es Ja, trotzdem, das sieht also sehr schlecht aus. Okay. Ich, würde, ich würde eher sagen, dass man es als ein Attachment macht, so eine genau. E-Mail, vor okay. a private dinner with the uh, Chancellor of Germany and so on and so on. Super. Okay, danke. Super. Merci. Ja. 
Oh, this is good. What's he drinking? Merci. Your blood, Re sir. <laughs> so it's just tomato juice. The purpose of our meeting today is to get a sense of where we are for Davos. So my patience with this community is is very small, but I'm ready if they're get it and they're ready to have uh, all hands on deck and really have the conversation, you know, whatever we need to do. There's no other place like it, thank there God. There is no other place like it, thank God. So many of them are there at one time. We have that conversation every year, right? The, why the hell are we going to Davos? Because it's just a room full of the bad guys. Yeah. We spend a lot of time and money sometimes trying to communicate with the bad guys, you know. We send ships, we uh, climb their buildings. Actually, we can't. Yeah. do it with that, this collection of people. This collection of people are amongst the, the, the most significant leaders on the planet. They are the last generation of leaders on the planet that can change the course and, and avert this catastrophe. Therefore, we have to do it with them in that, that sense we've got no permanent enemies, no permanent allies, that, that, that desperate, untidy... Yeah bid to, to, to make friends with them. Where do we sit? How awkward do we feel? <laughs> I get nervous about, Not you know, giving them so much power. They haven't done a very good job, but I'm ready to go in and have all kinds of truth to power conversations and make people feel very uncomfortable. <laughs> truth to power. Greenpeace. Wo sitzt der beim Nachtessen? This person hangs up on him. Jack Ma. In prison? Oh, shit. Every year Davos happens, 3,000 of the most important people in the world coming together in a very small, confined space for a very small, confined period of time and being uh, constructed into a program that delivers across a huge and ambitious range of different topics. Some of that can be revealed now to this audience. I think what is important with the media also is probably the question about the participation of President Trump and Macron. How many government members do we have cabinet level? So uh, 333, but then from 100 different countries. 333. My father was a close friend of Ludwig Erhard. And of course, I was influenced by his concept of the social market economy. Meaning that a company not only has commercial, but also social responsibilities to everyone who has a share in it. I think his dad worked in right? The clients, the state. That's what you call stakeholder concept. And then suddenly, communism. I had this idea. Why not create a platform where all stakeholders meet each other? Hey, LD, pause it for a second. Business leaders, unionists, And when you think about this, when we... How did you get the guy from Stanford Prison Experiment to narrate this documentary? Because when I watched it, Klaus speaks in German and it's all subtitled. <laughs> there's a, there's a couple different versions they offer. Oh. Yeah, there's there's one with subtitles and then one with I find it interesting that a guy who plays a character in Stanford Prison Experiment is doing the narration for Klaus. Um, 
We call that synchronicity a causal sort of <laughs> winks from nature, if you will. I'm not giving it relevance meaning. or merit or substance. I'm just saying that that's interesting. Well, that's interesting. I will say, uh, do you notice the pattern of what they're doing here? It's very clever. It's very devious. It's very uh, subtle. Where they're sort of setting it up. Hegelian like, dialectic? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, they're setting it up, right? I mean, they're acting like, oh, well, we're going to bring in the press. And that's very, very... To the like, thesis, the synthesis at the end? Pretty much, yeah. They're setting that's it what up the like IRA the MI6 so agent at the Greenpeace said. That's what I mean. Yeah, the Greenpeace. Yeah, see how they're setting it up with these media outlets that are acting like, you know, oh, no, we're very much against... It's us versus the aliens! Part. Get them, Scotty! No, and Scotty then, was Scottish, huh? I was mixing up the Irish and the Scottish. Then they pan to like Klaus sitting there trying to have a conversation, phone clicks. Oh, you know, this is what he has to deal with, you know. Which came sort of first, nonsense. Scotland reconciling with England as to form Great Britain or uh, the penchant for opium and mm-hmm. Scottish shipping? Opium plus Scottish and banking, yeah, there, yeah, yeah, banking, Scottish, yeah. Scottish shipping and the, banking plus Irish which, labor. Like they didn't equals, innovate, by the way. That was East Venice. India company. So yeah, yeah. and equals East India. I I often wonder if the British East India didn't take from other chartered corporations, and they're just like we Jardine can do Madison. Better. They had a better, Jardine uh, Fleming. Do your homework. <laughs> Ian Fleming's family, billionaire bankers, that merged with opium magnates. Just yeah, just, yeah. With anyways, I'm sure it doesn't have any meaning on our <laughs> present reality. Or maybe it will, and you'll find it in intermission. Maybe that's a foreshadowing. All right, so let's go back to the forum, das forum. <laughs> das let's forum. listen to Klaus, and just so everyone knows, you can listen to Klaus say it all in German, where it I sounds know. a lot like you're in some history class listening to some like history from Germany speech. But Klaus is from Schweiz. There's nothing to see here. Yeah. Blofeld. Who was the one that and we should we should cut this together with some James Bond skiing I know, and Alpine. Kind of, you know. What was that old James Bond film? The one where he has like a love interest and ends up getting married to it, but dies at the end. It's a foolish. Oh, that's uh, he has a big on her Majesty's Secret one. Service. Yeah, on her Majesty's Secret Service. There's a big skiing scene in that one with Bond whatever. number two. It's Bond two. Well, I think yeah. I was the only one he did. I think I was the only one that only had one Bond. Yeah, he was. He did one film, and, and he's actually a cool dude, even though he wasn't like good in that movie so no. much. Yeah, uh, he's yeah, he's actually a decent guy. All right, so. Uh, Life is not a Bond film. It's not Ian Fleming produced. There's just, we'll see more of that later. <laughs> seeing it more in real time. I'm just saying there's a history of what's going on. And it's, you know, the caricatures of Spectre and Blofeld and MI6 tracking those guys down. It's a little bit divergent from reality. They might be one of the same. They build up right. those characters. They build up. They fund. They, they tear them down. It's like they a big use them as proxies. Man. Yeah, exactly. For things they can't do themselves. Maybe even. It also insulates the them if you know they get outed or exposed in any way. All right. Let's go back to this. Uh, you know, it's like softcore corporate porn. Watch these people fillet each other at Das Forum. To one. And that was the idea of Davos. Back then, there was a book written by a Canadian, The Global Village. I said to myself, wouldn't that be ideal to create a global village of global decision makers? Bilderberg had not existed in his mind. 
Herzlichkeitsbeton den Vierhundert Einnehmer für zehn Tage hier in Davos. My intention was never to make this my life task. But then so many people approached me during the meeting and said, you've got to repeat this. This is such a great value for Europe. Keep doing it. And in the meantime, I was hooked with my whole heart. And ever since, it has never let me go. But then I had to mobilize the people to participate. I had no clue about organizing a conference. I then placed an ad in the newspaper and received a number of replies. One of them was from a woman. I thought she was a little young, but she claimed she spoke four languages fluently. Her name was Hilda Stoll. I met her on April 1st, 1970. It wasn't an April Fool's hoax. I then hired her, and on the occasion of the first annual meeting in Davos, we got engaged, and we got married a year later, in July of 1971. Hello, this is The Briefing. I'm David Eads. Our top story... Selling America to the world, President Trump is set to give his keynote speech at the World Economic Forum in Davos. My message is peace and prosperity. That's what we have. And we have a tremendous crowd, and a crowd like they've never had before. actually told me this is a crowd like they have never had before in Davos, including all of you people like they've never had before, so that's good. I assume they're here because of Klaus. Oh, we hope so. Thank you very much, everybody. So are you going to be investing in the U.S.? Uh, yes, we are. I'm the CEO of Bayer. We are working heavily on acquiring Monsanto. We're going to invest about this guy with the glasses. You're going to love Monsanto him. Yeah. If you were the priest of a church, you would want to make the sinners come visit you on a Sunday. You wouldn't want to lock them out. Or would you bar the sinners out? Probably the contrary. You would say, I'd rather have them coming than those I see every Sunday. My name is Mark Tucker from HSBC, and we're the largest foreign bank in the U.S. We have a balance sheet of $2.6 trillion. It's a great honor to have you. All right, hold on. Pause, 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 pause. You're breaking my brain. Breaking my brain. First off, I was wondering... That's a brilliant Hegelian play there they made there with Trump. Oh. Dude, first off, he's like the definition of clueless walking around. He has no idea what he's walking into. Doesn't really care to know. He's like the happy, he's like the happy ignorant type dude. And then the next part was, I was wondering what it would sound like if you took Hitler's speeches and had Forrest Whitaker read those because it's kind of the same thing. And then the next thing was, I almost, uh, uh, HSBC, 
Hong Kong, know, Shanghai right? Bank Corporation. Did I not just say Jardine Matheson a few minutes ago and Ian Fleming and the whole East India Company subjugate opium. the world with the opium monopoly, British Empire idea thing going on? They're sitting at the table. He's being introduced to him. But yeah, LD's right. The guy in the glasses next to him, when he's like, everybody here is a client of mine. And he's got these gangster the glasses Smith on. Type of that dude is, like he's that. just, yeah. oh, dude. So yeah, I just wanted to point out HSBC. Uh, got caught for drug money laundering. Uh, they gave a hundred thousand dollars to Hillary Clinton. Had James Comey on the board as a pal, you know, because of the drug money laundering. Their East India Company front company, drug money laundering, drug trafficking, all that sort of stuff that's going on for two hundred years. And and if you guys are going to take away the banking of the My Pillow guy who was a like heroin addict who recovered or whatever his thing yeah. was, you know what I'm saying? If you're going to take away that guy's banking abilities. How about take it away from the fucking people who have done it for centuries and stop sucking their dicks? Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm just saying, I'm all for oh, the Mike rules. Lindell, that's right. Apply them, apply them evenly. Cowards, cowards, you think, don't so you apply them evenly. You're so, right about HSBC. That's uh, you got to. John Cruz. I interviewed the whistleblower from there. Go to my oh, YouTube yeah. page. Been... Look up John Cruz. The original foundation or like founding, I should say, was around the drug, the opium drug trade. So like in making sure they could sort of whitewash the money. They, so, pay, I mean, they like, paid they, like a $2.8 billion fine that went missing. It like no one knew where it went. Well, they paid it, but it? no one knew who got it. I they, yeah. Cause I asked the dude in the interview, I'm like, explain that one. He's like, yeah. Right. So these <laughs> people are like, they're openly just doing it in front of people and people like Trump have no clue. He's like, Oh, HSBC. How you doing? National yeah, I golf with some day. of you guys, right? Who March third, nine eighteen sixty five. Yeah. Jeez, there you go. That's I was just looking at the time when it was set up. British colony, Hong Kong, March third, eighteen sixty five. Canton that was until they mm-hmm. set up a place to work the opium facilitating of fleecing during the century of humiliation in China after the, the century after the two opium wars, by the way. There were two opium wars over there before HSBC opened up. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah, century of humiliation. And that was exactly during that time period. It's hilarious. It was about the night, it was the 19th century. So, what coincidence. Notice there too, also on the forum, the documentary, like he sits there and they have an overlay of Klaus Schwab talking about sinners coming to it. You can also look up, there's a book called The Opium Monopoly by Lamott, L A M O T T E, printed 1908. Check out that book. There's a whole bunch of books in this topic. Like I have a ton of books in this, but there's like some, there's a lot of good evidence of that, which we're not told here in this English speaking culture because of the English speaking culture across the ocean. They have a huge impact on the Meiji restoration too, which is sort of the modernization of Japan. Just a little. I mean, last samurai. That's like the first thing. After the civil war, what's last samurai dude with the apple box. Tom Cruise has to go over there and train them. He's going to war with the modern techniques of warfare and the samurai. And that actually was based. So that's very loosely based because obviously Tom Cruise was not the last samurai, Um, but it's loosely based on a very famous, naval battle that took place between samurai and the emerging sort of um uh, empire of japan at the time and they didn't want to i forget the how it all went down but the samurai had a chance to win that ironically and they chose the path of greatest honor and so they essentially exposed themselves during the battle in a way that isn't 
in line with their sort of ethics of battle. And that's why they lost, if I remember correctly. Because I had a friend in college went over this whole story with me because he took a big history course just on this. He does a whole course just on this very famous series of battles that took place during the, I guess, the beginning of what was then the Meiji Restoration. Now, the interesting thing, James Corbett has talked about this, is that the Meiji Restoration has fingerprints of, like, well, they don't tell you in the Tom Cruise film is like the rock Rockefellers and Morgan interests and all these different various interests that were associated Astor probably, but there was the major banking families that obviously penned then the, uh, the federal reserve act. So they had a major influence but then it was all, you know, and then fast forward also Epstein, not Jeffrey Epstein, um, Jay Epstein, Gatto's roommate, he talks about Edward, one, Edward J. Epstein. Edward J. Epstein. I always forget yeah. his first name, Edward. He taught, so one of his books in the very introductory section of the book, he talks about how, uh, the De Beers diamond cartel is able to completely change the narrative of the way the Japanese traditionally do marriage and associate it within less than a decade. They were able to associate marriage with diamonds and that enormously. And like, so like you have the confluence of the banking families, you have, I don't know if it was De Beers or some other sort of um, trying to think of the other front company they were using at the time as well. But it's interesting because I remember reading that I was at your place. This is back in like 2011. And I was reading that. I'm like, my God, all it took was a little bit of PR and they were able to overturn a millennia long tradition. Yeah. That's all in, in um, Japan. Peace Revolution episode 28 or 29 Diamonds, yeah. the Jewel of Denial. Yeah. And that comes from Epstein's book. Which I don't have. I forget over there. which one we talked. It's it, not you there, have but it. the the video version is the Diamond Empire, and I have the audio from that in the Peace Revolution episode anyway. But his original article, first off, you can go to edwardjepstein.com, and he has his article. Have you ever tried to sell a diamond? And from that, got getting published, he got the book deal and went to South Africa and embedded with the. Oppenheimer family. That's Oppenheimer. That's the other one I was thinking of. Oppenheimer. And then he's and like, he comes back and writes his book. Company set up. And he's like, hey, everybody, these things are worthless. And these people are pulling a scam on you. And he says it in just the right way that he becomes, you know, he's New York Times bestselling author, not censored. But he's he's telling you some pretty accurate facts that take away the illusions and the narratives. The problem is that people don't read. So facts like that can be out there and people are still like, oh, here's two months salary. Here's three months salary, clear colorist rock that we can make in a lab for pennies. Let me, you know. And it's shining up from the original carbon estate and in, in which it was compressed. Here's when I typed in opening monopoly. The very first thing I popped up. People got convinced in this country that diamonds equivalent, like a worthless stone is equivalent to love. The same way that they got, you know, convinced that circumcision was a good idea by the Kellogg family. Yeah, right, right. Let's see here. But yeah, so that was the first thing that popped. I just found that sort of ironic. Forgotten plague, opium and narcotics in Korea under Japanese rule, which of course that's after the Meiji Restoration. So, or I guess it's yeah, would have been after. So it's it was, interesting. It was so you're thinking that was after Meiji Restoration and before Fat Man, a little boy. <laughs> I always thought those were weird names for the atomic weapons. Too. I know, What's dude. What's going on I, there? You're right about that. It's boy. in between the two. So the Meiji Restoration happened in like the late 19th century. Yeah, 1860. Yeah. Right after the, yeah, yeah, right after. Right after the American our Civil American War. Civil War. Robert Barron's got something to do. Got to got to industrialize China and Japan for future wars in the 20th century. 
And I remember like, it's an interesting scene in um, that last samurai, but it's like they're, they talk about in the beginning of the film, bringing in, they brought in warriors, you know, consultants essentially in military practices from the West, namely America, but they were bringing in like entrepreneurs from like German, like engineers from Germany, you know, architects from France or somewhere else. Like they're bringing in all these different people to modernize because, you know, it's globalized, a manifest, globalized manifest destiny style. Um, so it's uh and that although they it's don't it's really... in the kipling uh poem white man's burden yeah that's yeah. the empire saying america yes. don't be all standoffish come out and fuck with these other countries with us and overthrow and make them in our image for us and, and we use have to your remember... industrial might and your your civilian power to engage the the new commonwealth on the world and this is also at the same time, God, I mean, the X club was in 1864. So you have the same time where they're fine. They finally have the scientific quote unquote justification that they need the scientific theory of evolution to justify that they stand up atop of this sort of like biological pyramid that they're, they're constructing in this sort of, they justify uh, a lot of prophecy. sinning with the science. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. I, I heard late earlier tonight, Fauci was saying like they were concerned because people like Rand Paul could could hurt the science. Science being chased down in the streets. Their own scientists that he that Fauci consulted was hurting the science. Right. Because yes. he was saying 60-40, oh wait, 50-50. You know, this is I'm uh, concerned about doctors who think you can hurt science. You know what I'm saying? It's amazing that we have this free floating concept called All the right, science. Roll, roll. Can we go back to Klaus and Das yes, Forum? Sorry for getting on distraction tangent of substantial reality. From HSBC, and we're the largest foreign bank in the US. We have a balance sheet of $2.6 trillion. It's a great honor to have you. Congratulations. 2.6 trillion. Yeah. We're one of the largest uh, healthcare companies in the world. Uh, no today, bars. we have about 22,000 employees in the US across 21 sites. Uh, we invest about $14 billion every year into the United States. Mr. President, thank you very much for having me tonight. I serve the people of ABB. We have business in more than a hundred countries of the yeah, world. Pause. And bought some iconic ABB. brands in the U.S. Yeah. Novartis, fourteen billion dollars in the United States. Like that doesn't buy you any sort of influence at all. No, dude. So but it's a multinational gangster. pharmaceutical corporation. Okay. Yeah. Like, and Trump's yeah. is sitting there, like, yeah, invest in me. You know, love the me. the real gangster is sitting right next to Trump with those glasses. Wait till you hear him. <laughs> Wait till you hear him, man. He's like uh, a guy who thinks I'm he's in a sorry, movie. Man, he's like. Uh, Cuomo and uh, the other dude, uh, De Blasio, talking yeah, like their the former their mayor, no. Goodfellas or Casino and Pesci or Pesci and Fat, whatever the De Niro, yeah, yeah, SFCs. I got right, you. Yeah, when they're sitting at the bar and they're talking like, "Hey, we just did this huge heist." I think like, they're you gangsters. Can't be going out buying shit like this. Bro. You're gonna see. Yeah, let's see the gangster. Stable. <laughs> A motor company it needs a little bit of investment in terms of technology, and Did we have to write technology. I know you got it. You always get a good press. <laughs> I know who I deal with. He always gets a good press. <laughs> number one global beer brand is Budweiser, right? And our biggest market is the U.S., where we employ 18,000 people in more than 50 sites. 
Thank you. Great march for us. That's fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Hey, Mr. President, I'd like to thank you, first of all, for having me, but also for spurring on all this growth. These are all my customers. I know. <laughs> it's just a real tribute to the momentum that you've created in the global economy. So I thank you very much. Yes. SAP is the leading enterprise software company. I'm very proud to share with you that when you think about the Army and the Navy and the missions they run to protect the world, they run on SAP. You have done a, a really spectacular job. I guess pretty much everybody at this table is your customer, so exactly. that's not so bad. Exactly. So I want to congratulate Thank you, Mr. President. <laughs> Thank you. What company did he say he was? Well, SAP. I own SAP. In 1973, <laughs> I went to Brazil, out of Germany. where yeah. I made the acquaintance of a well-known theologist. Dumb Elder Kamara, a so-called liberation theologian of the Catholic Church. Very he my credo, what? And I was very impressed by our conversation. Very spontaneously, I invited Dumb Elder Kamara to Davos. I thought he had a message. The message from the favelas. It became a big topic with the participants, and I had to face a range of boycott threats. The question for me was, shall I stick to my invitation? Dom Elder Kamara came to Davos. He gave a speech which, of course, didn't please everyone. When a multinational corporation is transplanted to a country that produces raw materials, and which also caused a lot of companies to opt out. Is not the tendency merely a quest of paradises for All right, hold on a second, hold on. God, he's acting like the good guy. This World Economic Forum, in its Davos manifesto, had Prince Bernard of the Netherlands, who was a former Nazi SS officer, and it also had Aurelio Pache of the Club of Rome, who was like a population control Malthusian type character. That's right. So you're telling me that People weren't offended at the Nazi SS officer and the population control guy, but when the the guy from the Exorcist the shows up, priest, yeah. everyone left. Okay, that sounds like some rhetoric, but let's see where it goes from here. The moment was very significant at least for me and my wife. It was a crucial test in the history of the forum. Should we cancel the whole venture, or should we stick to our values? What values might they be Well, no helicopter for her, Greenpeace. Good to see you. How are you? Very well. I'm very happy to see you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, buddy. Ah, Kofi. Oh, wow. Benny. Hi. How are you? Welcome. Thank you. Oh. Sophia the robot. Yeah. 
dystopia had a party, this would be it. Welcome, Theresa May, Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. we leave the European Union, the UK will continue to be a global advocate of free trade, seeking to bring new partners to the table, and of course, after we have left the EU, developing new bilateral deals with countries across the world. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this press conference that's dedicated to answering the question, how can we move to more sustainable consumption? A couple of years ago, we launched a report that we will very soon have more plastic than fish in the ocean. Starting from that, we've built together an effort, yeah, a multi-stakeholder effort to tackle that problem. I'm very happy that we're joined by David Taylor, CEO of P&G. Okay, first off, to his left. Uh, we're pleased. pause. Yeah, pause. Oh, man. These people. I know. I know. All right. Let me just solve the problem, and then I'm going to go walk around a little bit. So the, the problem is there's going to be more plastic in the ocean than fish. Hmm. What is plastic made of? Oh, it's made of petroleum. Oh, and why do we have that? Because the people with petroleum, they prohibited hemp. And we could have made hemp plastic as biodegradable for the past 100 years and have absolutely no fucking pollution in the ocean whatsoever, except the people in the Davos meeting, their predecessors said, Fuck hemp. Let's go with plastic. Petroleum plastic, Rockefeller, Standard Oil plastic, DuPont plastic, BASF plastic, Nazi plastic, plastic, plastic pollute, plastic they keep giving it and they won't let you make. Has anyone seen a hemp plastic bottle lately? Henry Ford made a car out of hemp, beat the shit out of it with a sledgehammer. All of a sudden he was a Nazi. No more hemp allowed after 1938. Bad, bad, bad. And we're yet left today with the polluters. For, the polluters man- in control telling us they're going to stop polluting if we pay them some carbon <laughs> credits and they'll make the sun go out or whatever the, their promise. It's ludicrous. doesn't make any sense. And I'm not going to act like it does. And they so, mandated it in uh, Virginia in 1946 or 44 to grow Hemp for victory. To, Search yeah. her hemp for victory. Yeah. Yeah. And they drink, Jack so that was, the emperor wears no clothes. There's uh, you know, it's interesting about like the rope and the other materials they used for the army and the Marines in the world war two. I mean, that's why they needed the extra material. So there's a number of other, there's a, there's a couple other ones that would work as well too, whether it's hemp or some other uh, crops. I mean, there's a number of actual, especially now in modern times, yeah, tech or, uh, um, various plants that can be used, whether it's hemp or something else. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting fact that we don't use that. Of course, it profits the synthetic. If this country pa- was free, we'd have hemp and we'd all have decorticators and we'd be able to take our hemp to the, the town and they'd give us money for it and put it into the market to be industrialized. It'll grow everywhere, anywhere, pretty much. Everyone could have cash crop. You could literally get money from trees. The colloquial so, so many term. yeah i mean yeah, and then well i won't get into economics but yeah i, I mean that's keep yeah. letting them roll but i'm just saying all this stuff they're about to tell you is a bunch of bullshit they're not really going to fix it the self-fulfilling and shame on them 
they make up the the problem and then they try to fulfill you know with their their preordained conclusions the prophecy that they are proselytizing to the ignorant masses and that's how power works let's sure. check it out to be joined by Ramon Laguarta, the chairman-elect of PepsiCo, Jennifer Morgan of Greenpeace. Jennifer, please. Our current economic system, which is based on this endless consumption, the disposability and the ongoing extraction of fossil fuels, is broken. And it just can't continue this way. So Greenpeace supports the intention Constant behind fossils. these efforts. But there's a real risk that projects like this become a bit of a distracting side show to generate positive PR while major companies continue business as usual. So prove me wrong on that one. I don't feel like we're all on the same page there yet. So I'm actually very excited about this. And I do believe members of the industry see the compelling need to work together to find solutions across many different many different ways. Is PNG committing to set a reduction target of plastics across your entire supply chain? I hear Pepsi is interested or looking at that. What we're trying to do is design the bottles so that it has the minimum amount of plastic. However, the equation is not so simple. So, you know. Um, no, it's very complex. So when you start thinking no about glass and returnable glass, then you say, okay, well, then I'm gonna drive a lot of miles back into the factory. So we're, we're looking at all these combinations of packaging that will really reduce the amount of packaging we use per, let's say, per kilo. I don't have time much more for public-private partnerships alone. We've got 12 years left on climate to avoid 1.5. So please work also to get the right policies in place. Thanks. Mr. President, after you have been so warmly received yesterday here in Davos. It is now my great pleasure to welcome the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. I'm aware that your strong leadership is open to misconceptions. Therefore, it is so essential for us in the room to listen directly to you. Please welcome the 45th President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, to the stage. Thank you, Klaus, very much. It's a privilege to be here at this forum where leaders in business, science, art, diplomacy, and world affairs have gathered for many, many years to discuss how we can advance prosperity, security, and peace. I'm here to affirm America's friendship and partnership in building a better world. Like all nations represented at this great forum, now is the perfect time to bring your business, your jobs, and your investments to the United States. Her şey yolunda inşallah. Her şey yolunda. Sizler için hazırız. Kardeş hava dışında. <gülüyor> so, welcome. Thank you very much. As usual, great preparations. I think the forum 
as a platform, as an alternative place to bring the capable, resourceful people together and uh, search for you know, better ways of governing, better ways of uh, creativity, is really uh, proving itself very useful. So that's why we are excited to be here. And I will, you know, in my capacity, make sure that Turkey actually yeah, is yeah, part of this yeah. process as okay. well. And in terms of the projects that you're interested in? For me, of course, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and blockchain. These are the areas that okay. we will uh, focus on. Yeah. So uh, I would be more than happy to try to make these links stronger, yeah. uh, more effective. Yeah. And as you know, we have been waiting for this strategic partner yeah. uh, availability. So if you could you know, <laughs> uh, help us on that process, yeah. that would be yeah. great, because I want to bring more of my people. My name is Dominic Wari. I'm the head of public-private partnership here at the World Economic Forum, and we are the international organization for bringing the public and private and civil society together. What you will hear from this panel is a remarkable moment which is so pressing and so important for life on Earth, and you'll witness the coming together of the governmental community and the private sector to deliver solutions to save life in the ocean. Chief Sustainability Officer Coca-Cola, Chief Sustainability Officer of Unilever, Perez from Coca-Cola is here, and Jeff Seabright from Unilever. Yeah. Prime Minister Trudeau was set to stay. Set to stay. Ocean's protection is an issue that touches us all, and we very much like to highlight and get uh, the global community to show more leadership on is ocean's protection, particularly around plastics and pollution. Thank you for coming to move us forward. Hope that you consider yourself engaged, and it is ours. Good news about this session is that every person in the room is an ocean person. The next UN Ocean Conference is 2020. What can we deliver by then? What's the most important priority to deliver for that conference? All right, go. A lot of foundations and family offices are really passionate to do this, but they don't have a, a means to allocate. The last four years, we've seen a, a real revolution in thinking about the economics of climate change. So we actually can do it. It's actually good for business. It's good for the economy. We now need to do exactly that same thing for the ocean. We're in this period, WAF calls it fourth industrial revolution, where we have sensors, genetic engineering, AI, and drones. And what's interesting about all these technologies is they don't improve linearly, they improve exponentially. So something that looks like it's gonna be impossible in 10 years actually gets done in four. So progress happens way faster than you think. If you look at the big problems we have with the oceans, all of these have technological solutions. You can track plastics, you can scoop up plastics, you can track fish, you can track people who are hunting in places they shouldn't be hunting. You can use blockchain to track the tuna as it goes to market to make sure that people are buying the right tuna and keep fish supplies in line. But at the same time, the people outside of this room, the people who are doing the illegal fishing, the people who are rogue operators, have access to the same technologies. So you have the good guys have drones that are getting way better, and the bad guys have drones that are getting way better. So there's a really interesting arms race. And it seems, in general, that technology in the oceans has not really, the good guys haven't really won the last 20 years.
Alright, speak. Yep. People are... They're not just tired, they're angry. What was your first thought when you heard President Trump had accepted to come here? Of course, I was very pleased to hear that he will join us in Davos. My hope is that it sends a message that the US wants to integrate as a positive actor into the global economy. I read the risk report, as I have most years. It's terrifying this year, but this is the situation that we're now in. And that's why we are happy that everybody comes together and becomes aware of the risk. You have to integrate much more the demands of those who have been left behind. We have to make sure that there is a clear improvement of the lives of those who have been left out in the globalization process. This is very divided, not so divided. Where are we in the divided world? Where are we in the fractured world? Very divided, less divided. I would say uh, this is too simplified. You came up with the phrase fractured world. How fractured are we? I, I think we are here, and what we want to do is here. You see? That's what we want to do. So that's... Here we are, and here we want to go. Good to see you, sir. Good to Thank see you, you Richard. joins us from the World Economic Forum in Davos. You really had the sense this year, on the one hand, Donald Trump, on the other hand, Macron and Justin Trudeau, there really was a debate at Davos this year. There was a lot of self-promotion going on, as I was saying, from a lot of world leaders. They know that companies have money to invest and they want to make sure that money comes to them. The, the tone of this year's Davos meeting is quite different from previous years, and that's partly because the global economy is doing well. They, do, they don't have any major pressing issues to worry about, although several people I spoke to said this week they really should worry. We should be more worried about climate change. We should be more worried about how technology is going to change the world. Pause real quick, LD. So I just have to get, they talked about climate change. And when was that produced? Do we know? Look that up real quick. So they're, they're recording it in 20, 2018, 2019, I think. Let me, let me check. Okay. Reason why that's important is I'm going to just get this on the record right now then. Cause they just say climate change, you know, well, there's nothing really to worry about, but some people are worried about climate change. Well, this is uh, what the great world economic forum claims climate change. It's the greatest global threat in 2022. No longer to worry about a pandemic, it's climate change. I think they're getting ready to transition us. In addition to climate change, the WEF's well, Economic Forum 17th edition of the Global Risks Report 2022 listed social division, cybersecurity, vulnerabilities. Of course, they just ran Cyber Polygon in July of this or last year. And the pandemic recovery is a top long-term global risks. So, of course, it's the same old sort of tired bro minds, as I like to say. 
So climate change. Anyways, I just wanted to bring that up because they're they, and I wanted to ask you as to when they produce that, because of course, back during 2016 to 2020, during the Trump years, you know, global economy is doing well, but people are still worried about climate change, climate change. So of course now come 2022 on the heels of a pandemic and they're getting ready to transition us to climate change being the number one threat moving forward and to as Rightfully so, the individual pointed out these emerging fourth industrial revolution type of technologies, you know, uh, drones and microchipping and genetic gene therapies, right? And this is already here. This is already taking place. So just uh, you can see how this is all becoming. I keep using this term self-fulfilling prophecy, but they're the ones who prophesied, prophesied that this would happen and then they have to find ways to fulfill it. And they certainly have or certainly are trying. So. Anyways, go back to that. And yeah, real quick, the initial release mm -hmm. was October 28th, 2019. So I think they filmed it 2018, 2019. Okay. But, yeah, uh, good. Yeah. Yeah. Makes, makes sense. Yeah, because now they'll probably transition. Go for it. So I'm Carl Henrik Svamberg, and I'm the chairman of BP. Uh, and I'm here and we're celebrating 50 years of the World Economic Forum. I think we're all so incredibly impressed what uh, Klaus and Hilde has achieved. It's a remarkable uh, uh, gift to the world. Uh, and this is a world that also faces uh, serious challenges. Because a lot of people feel that too little is coming to them and too much is coming to the few. The inequality of this world is not a good one. And a little bit further to the left, you have then the yeah. headquarters of Swiss Re and Zurich. Well, they have a Chardonnay and caviar. <laughs> we'll get together there. I'm Paul Bulkham, chairman from Nestle. I'm working for Hoffman La Roche, the pharmaceutical company. And I'm chairman of the board of Jones Lang LaSalle, a global real estate services company. I'm uh, the U.S. ambassador to Switzerland and Liechtenstein. So I represent the president of the United States and the American people here in, in Switzerland. The time that we spent with President Trump here at Davos, we had some fantastic opportunities to really negotiate and converse in a way no other place really can. This elite group that goes to Davos in a year, continuing the system and doing nice projects around the edges, they're a fundamental part of the problem. They're not creating a dream, they're, they've created a nightmare. It's not credible. I don't know how they can sleep at night. It just doesn't fit. It's like this bubble that exists there of individuals who are used to having power. It's a mega groupthink. And the thing that I find so dangerous about it is it the rhetoric and the narrative around it is that it's about making the world a better place. But I think it's like 99% status quo. And maybe there's 1% around the edge and, you know, that's trying to improve things. But I, I don't see real evidence that they're willing to do the hard work. It takes hard work, diligence, precision, commitment, day in and day out to solve climate change. It's not a fly in, fly out type of thing. I don't see that there. Eine andere Welt. 
Das ist der einzige Nachteil von unserem Schalle, dass es vielleicht nicht hoch genug liegt und wir oft dann auch im Nebel drin sind. Und wir sitzen im dichten Nebel. Welche Unternehmen dürfen denn überhaupt strategischer Partner werden? Nestlé ist ein strategischer Partner, obwohl die wegen ihrer umstrittenen Wasserpolitik in der Kritik stehen. Dürfte denn zum Beispiel auch Monsanto, der Saatguthersteller, strategischer Partner werden? Ist es. Ist es schon? Nicht strategisch, aber Partner. Ist Partner. Go back to Forest Whitaker, so it's easier for people listening. Well, that's, that's the frustrating also thing. Warum machen Sie das? Weil Sie haben ja, also Sie haben ja, Monsanto hat ja die Philosophie wirklich oh, right auf Kosten von allem so viel Geld zu machen wie möglich, egal was passiert. Also wie, wie passt das jetzt zusammen? Also sollen die überzeugt werden im Dialog? Oder können die überhaupt überzeugt werden nach dem, was sie auf der Welt anstellen? Um, die haben ja zum Beispiel diese Hybridsamen, die man nur einmal verwenden kann, den indischen Bauern verkauft. Ja, ich mhm. kann das verstehen. Ja, also ich kann das verstehen. Nur, ich das verstehe. Und ich habe auch sehr viele Gespräche. Not be watching, but listening. Essentially, they're asking about Monsanto and they say, and other biotech companies. And Klaus goes on to say that Monsanto is a partner, not a strategic partner, but a partner. And now he's criticizing, or this interviewer is criticizing Monsanto because of what they've done to Indian farmers with this, the Roundup ready crops and so forth and so on. Not this Roundup, by the way, there's other uh, herbicides and pesticides they use. That's just one of the more famous ones. And uh, how much. The, the devastation and destruction that is done, not just, in, he's using the example of India, but it, it's larger than just India. I mean, there's issues in the Ukraine and uh, other issues in regards to this sort of crop and different environments and different ecosystems. So anyways, you can go back to the video because now Forrest Whitaker is going to narrate the class's answer. Ich kann das verstehen. Ja, ich also kann das verstehen. Nur, ich das verstehe. Und ich habe auch sehr viele Gespräche. Ich habe conducted many conversations uh, with the CEO of Monsanto. Von Monsanto. Um, ich glaube, es ist nicht. It is not all as bad as it looks. There is also. Es gibt auch einige. Ich bin nicht einverstanden mit dem. I'm not in favor of their products, and they are seen as controversial. And some people would say they also have a positive impact by increasing the productivity of the agrarian sector. This is a great deal for farmers because farmers are starving for innovations. Our purpose is really to bring better solutions faster to growers so that they can increase yield and with that contribute to feeding 
a rapidly growing population. The Europeans are way more skeptical and, quite frankly, suspicious about what companies like Monsanto, Mr. Grant, do. Uh, genetically modified seeds have been called a health menace by the French. The Germans call it frankenfood. Like How are you going stopped. to get around that, Mr. Grant? And we think that this transaction really lifts the game for sustainable agriculture for decades to come. So this, this is a win for growers as well as a win for share owners. Yeah, they did it on crops first. It's just what, uh, now they're doing it's, it on people. I want to avoid the word educating, but we want to confront people with their responsibility. And we want to make them contribute to a better world. The problem we face is when people see the CEO of Monsanto in Davos, they mistake us as an organization that identifies with these people. And they don't see the layer below, the intention of the whole effort. How many of you have heard of a game called Go? It's a board game. The number of moves on that board is 2.08 times 10 to the power 172. I took my first AI course in 1987, and this was seen as the ultimate goal. In March 2016, three young men who had formed a company called DeepMind beat the 18-time world champion, Korean guy Lee Sedol. They had data from 100,000 games played online. And they built this engine that looked at all these games and taught itself how to play Go. So there was no human programming involved. So this was the first time when machine intelligence surpassed human intelligence. I think the world has always had these crisis situations. Sometimes they were converted to, to even wars. So right now we live in a in a crisis mode because I believe many people are concerned about the future. Uh, we are living a, a time of very radical change, uh, driven by technology, and with that change comes a level of uncertainty. It's a wake-up call moment in my mind. We, uh, we have a tendency to see things too late. We have hope that others will solve it. And I think what the forum is doing is trying to create transparency so we see issues earlier. I have the pleasure to have a dialogue with the head of DeepMind. Why did you start DeepMind? Um, my principal inspiration was the opportunity to process vast amounts of highly unstructured um, information and turn that into knowledge. At the UN, where I was working, we really struggled to reach any consensus on the causes of deforestation, let alone what sorts of interventions were likely to make a material difference. I think artificial intelligence represents one of the best opportunities I think we have for making progress at the rate that we need to. Just this week, we've been managing the heating and cooling. In a three-day experiment, artificial intelligence managed to reduce the amount of energy required to cool the building by 50%. You create a situation where the robot develops its own algorithm, which we cannot understand anymore. We are already slaves of those algorithms. Is that correct? Slaves. Pause it. These systems Pause it. Pause will increasingly it. act independently and autonomously. Okay.
I just have to get this America. I watch a lot of chess videos, lots a lot of watch a lot of grandmasters, uh, Ikaro and uh, Nakamura and you know Magnus Carlsen and those types of guys. Anyways, DeepMind Alpha Zero was developed by DeepMind, an artificial intelligence and research company that was later acquired by Google. It was the first engine to use reinforcement learning and software to train its neural networks. I think this has become the number one chess engine in the world, I think. And one of the th very scary things about Alpha Zero is it doesn't play at all like a human. Um, it's not more sophisticated than a human. Humans tend to like to sacrifice, Pete, like trade a bishop for a bishop, a knight for a knight, a queen for a queen, that sort of thing. It's willing to sacrifice and do very avant-garde style moves in order to gain, because the goal, it, the only goal it understands is to win. And it'll sacrifice every piece on the board as long as it wins at the end. It's a very, like, very different way of thinking than way, the way a human typically plays, for example, chess or go, um, which are in, in and of themselves very complex games. And what these uh, grandmasters will do is they'll use these engines in order to actually train themselves. So when Klaus says we're a slave to the AI, that's somewhat true. I mean, a lot of these grandmasters now will use these engines to sort of pick apart and try to gain like sort of gamemanship one up against their competition by thinking more out of the box in a way a human normally would react in a gaming situation. So in other words, it's cybernetics, the technology is conditioning the way in which we're then uh, going about in this, in this context, playing a game or whatever it might be that we're doing. So it's very disconcerting, but to see that deep mind where they're talking about it there in this documentary, uh, just reminded me, I'm like, man, that sounds really familiar. I'm like, Oh yeah, alpha zero. And there it is. Uh, they did it for Go. They did it for Go was, I guess, their first model, but then they obviously applied it to chess as well. And um, yeah, it's an AI learning tool that's scary at its level of sophistication, uh, what it can do. And obviously, a AI engines have since, like, what, was the, what was one of the, the blue something? Deep Blue, I think, was that the first one that was beat Bobby Fischer? Well, I forget whichever one it was early on that beat the earlier Grandmasters, um, so stating it would never be done. But of course, both Go and chess only have so many moves that can be made. So with computer intelligence, it's very easy for them to run prob probability models based on the, the, the pieces that are left on the board to dictate what would then be the best move over time. And this is exactly what grandmasters use when they look at these engines. It shows what a move does when they make a move, who has a better chance of winning and who doesn't based on all these probabilistic models. It's just all probability theory. Um, being very quickly analyzed and processed because computer processors are much faster and more uh, efficacious than obviously the human mind. But the human mind is still what came up with it in the first place. So there's still that sort of meta that the human mind can engage in that the processors themselves or the engines themselves can't. Anyways, ran over, go back to the... Yeah, uh, just Deep Blue, looks like Deep Blue was uh, up against Kasparov. Kasparov, oh, the Russian, okay. I think he's Russian. We cannot Kasparov understand is a very interesting guy. Yeah, Gary Gallagher. Sorry. Hey, Tony, was, do we want to cut to one of those other so clips boring. that matches up with this? Yeah, you can pause it real quick, LD. Let's go and take a look here. So we're kind of doing like this. A four, that's like a four-hour documentary. Yeah, we're going to have to So people got the gist there. of what they were up to before COVID. As far as uh, we can go to this, um, who are the globalists, this World Economic or uh, I'm sorry, an American Uncovered news report. It was actually from your feed. Is that decent? Or um, we could go to that and then, or we can go to Alex Jones talking about Ian Fleming. So let's go to AJ. Let's learn about Ian Fleming. Okay. Yeah. Play that one there. Abby. 
Um, oh, I'm sorry. It's in the middle. I'll highlight it there for you. Yeah. And uh, just a uh, hat tip to Peter Duke, the photographer. He's the one that put that DOS forum on my radar and said I needed to get a, a use a VPN. Fleming gave interviews. Sorry, yeah, did I need a VPN to go get it? And uh, if you're in the GTW server, uh, I posted a link so you can check it out. All right, check out the rest of it. Take them and you find them all or so. We're going to keep it on sale. Get your vitamin mineral fusion now and support the InfoWar 360 win at InfoWarsStore.com. Nobody connects the dots like InfoWars. Nobody has had a bigger effect and more devastating victories against the New World Order crime syndicate than we have. And again, I don't say that when I report to you thumping my chest. I tell you, we are bloodied. We are under attack. We are in the darkest, deepest dungeons of the enemy fighting them right now. And only your prayer is keeping us in position. You're like the gravity in the universe that God's created that holds a star in place. Without your continued support and, and spiritual support, we are not going to make it. And that means all of us together. But I, I cannot stress to you enough how incredible a moment this is that I understand it's hard to deal with. I'm getting chills all over my body. I mean, folks, they are literally mass murdering people with soft kill weapons in front of us all over the place right now. And again, that's the that's the that's the smaller weapon because the evidence is arriving that if you know about this early enough and take ivermectin in cycles, it can basically block it. And of course, the military knew that this weapon was being developed. And of course, they were looking at what treated it. This is before it got released. Because they knew that the globalists were cooking this crap up and I'm not lionizing the military. That's what the documents show. So there's going to be ways to mitigate this, but do you know what it means when they are launching it and, and, and when they've rolled it out and when they block the treatments and block the truth and when they engage in this whole exercise to see what they can get away with, it's a test by this multinational crime syndicate. And everybody thinks about the world as the Chinese, the Russians, and the Americans. That has very little to do with it if you actually get to the higher levels. And Ian Fleming was the number two in OSS, and he was number two in MI6 after that, and he was involved founding the CIA, and he wrote the James Bond books. The James Bond movies are cheesy and stupid, and I'm not talking about those. The books. And the books are all about globalists creating bioweapons to exterminate the whole population, and then or 99% of it, then they reemerge. And it's all about powerful corporations playing countries off against each other to consolidate control. And Fleming gave interviews saying, this is how the world really works. He goes, the rich and powerful meet at private estates and other areas, and they plan the future of the world. And he wrote books about it. James Bond isn't really fighting the Russians, is he? Or even the Chinese. It's always Spectre playing them off against each other. And Spectre's real, folks. Blofeld, the cat, look at look at Klaus Schwab. It's all Klaus Schwab's the head of the Bilderberg group. And the dude before him looked just like him with a bald head and a white cat and everything. See, I used to think Hollywood was incredible with their fiction when I was younger and didn't know stuff. And then I met the Gaudis in New York once and it, they acted just like gangsters in a movie because the movie's about how they act and not the other way around. And it's the same thing with these globalists. They literally have bald heads and cats. 
I mean, you just cannot make this up, okay? And so we have the actual supervillain who has this alter ego of this loving businessman that says you're going to own nothing and have nothing and like it, trying to crash the world economy, and our military is about to go into a war with the Russians. And there's globalists in Russia, and there's globalists in the U.S. working together to get us into a fight with each other. That's how Spectre operates. I'm going to stop right there. We have a very special guest who's got firebomb repeatedly. Tommy Robinson's going to be joining us 15 minutes into the next hour. He's got incredible exclusive breaking news, and his new film is going to premiere soon. We've got exclusive clips of The Rape of England, the new film coming up 15 minutes of the next hour. And then I'm going to start part one today. I've been having to talk and do a lot of research and just get my ducks in a row on this because it's so unbelievable. I'm going to be revealing tomorrow some of the industrial level espionage being carried out against us, which just lets you know the next level of the attack is beyond censorship and beyond trying to get grand juries to indict people and beyond. No, it's it's beyond that. And again, people say, well, Jones, how are you handling the stress of them doing all this to you? <laughs> We're all in the same damn ship together, and it's sinking. And I, my children are on board this with you. What, what, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing well. <laughs> Do you understand, though? You're not doing well. And we can fix the damn ship, folks, but you've got to admit it is sinking. So I'm sitting here looking at all this incredible news. You see this entire stack of news right here is government documents, government reports, congressional release documents, Everything. I'm going to cover it in the first 15 minutes of the next hour. Canadian university reports, British government reports. In fact, guys, I can't find it in my stack. The British Medical Journal report, the one that's waking up so many people, that the vaccine turns off your immune system on the first shot, gives you a negative immune system on the third shot, uh, absolutely linked to infertility cancer. That was in my stack. I forgot to have that. I took it home, I think. Uh, so, so. I want to go over all this and explain what's in the Fauci documents, because we already know what was in them. It already came out eight, nine months ago. But now Veritas got the documents, and now Congress said, no, those are real. Here's these. It's the same documents. I haven't talked to James other than text messages. He hasn't told me uh, who gave it to him. But, I, I mean, it came from Congress. That came from Congress. I'm going to leave it at that because I have other sources. So good luck, FBI, trying to indict him for having secret Pentagon documents because it came from Congress. And I can just tell you that. Now, uh, let's just pull back here a little bit and, and just let this settle in. We're going to look at what's really in these documents coming up, and we're just going to hit five points because there's hundreds in them, but, but, but five of them. They created the virus. They Months before it was released, they prepared the vaccine makers to begin manufacturing it. And then to act like they just suddenly, you know, a week into it, had the new vaccine. Total proof of premeditation. They approached the Pentagon to try to frame President Trump to get him on board with it. In 2017, he said no. One reason they flipped out at Flynn. And a bunch of other key points that I want to make on that subject. But separately, I'm going to tell you this right now. They are financially trying to shut down our capability to even receive money from you. And that's why I'm all in and I sold my house and I'm doing all sorts of other stuff to get all the capital I've got for the big fight going into the future in this year with 300 days today out from the midterms. We're 300 days out now. They're going to pull the terror attacks. 
They're going to pull the cyber attacks. They're going to pull pipeline shutdowns. You, you name it to try to mess up that election. They're going to have more viral releases and say, we got to have mail-in ballots again. They're already doing it. It's very easy to know what they're going to do because they're pre-programming it in the news. This is the most important part of our lives, your life, my life. This is the most important part of the fight. This is when we've, everything else has been skirmishes up to this point. This is the big main geopolitical battle. And so I am spending a half my time just getting funding with the satellite uplinks, the bandwidth, right, the crew, the run, the operation. All right. I wanted to share Sydney Riley. We were talking about uh, Ian Fleming earlier. Jones just mentioned Sydney Riley. Now, Sydney Riley was a British MI6 spy. So MI6, he worked under Admiral Hugh Sinclair, Mansfield, Smith, Cumming. That's the original C, right? In James Bond, it's M, but in MI6, it's C. And it starts with Mansfield, uh, Smith, Cumming is the original C, in MI6. Sidney Riley also did some work uh, under Sir Robert H. Bruce Lockhart and Sir Robert H. Bruce Lockhart's son wrote this book, Robin Bruce Lockhart, Riley, Ace of Spies. Now, this book is remarkable because on the back, there is this quote from Ian Fleming. Let me read Let's read from the top so we don't spoil it. Don't miss Riley's own version of what happened. Britain's master spy, his own story by Sidney Riley. Let's see if I can get that mark off there now. Now back in print, here is Riley's own version of his incredible adventures and ingenious plots. This man who almost changed the course of history as we know it, mysteriously disappeared in 1925. His story is continued thereafter by his last wife whose taste for espionage and adventure proves equal to his own james bond is someone i dreamed up in my imagination he's not a sydney riley ian fleming so what fleming is saying is though sydney riley is one of the people caricatured into his work that Sidney Riley was an actual real spy who did real things as opposed to James Bond, who's kind of like a debonair spy on the town, going to casinos and eating caviar. I want to read to you a passage because we just talked about who C was, right? MI6, C is Mansfield Smith coming. And I believe he used to sign his papers with a green pencil marked C. So in this book, <clears throat> this passage... Starts on page 46. Riley crossed over to Paris, where he learned that Darcy had indeed come to France and was negotiating with the Rothschilds. But in Paris itself, there was no trace of Darcy. It was said that the French Rothschilds were much interested in the oil concession and that the secret talks were taking place in the south of France. Riley welcomed the idea of pitting his wits against the leaders of the Jewish banking world. In this, his first foray into big business, he was determined that he, the half-Jew, would get the better of the holy Jewish Rothschilds. His fertile imagination visualized a big financial reward from the British government for saving the Darcy oil concession. He saw that the British handing over to Russia, the concessionary areas in North Persia, Russia, oh, actually BP, 
Isn't that British Petroleum? That was the Anglo-Persian oil company that we just saw that guy at uh, the Davos meeting, the CEO of BP, the Anglo-Persian oil company back in the day. Russia too would be grateful. That would be the uh, Nobel brothers oil empire under the Rothschilds. The emperor himself would congratulate the illegitimate son of a Jew, right? So this is in the words, not my words. This is Robert Bruce Lockhart writing the story of Sidney Riley. Uh, Rothschild mentioned there almost immediately Riley learned that there was indeed a gathering of the Rothschild family at Cannes, where they maintained a, yard, a large yacht. Leaving Nice, he moved to a small pension in Cannes and soon made his way down to the water's edge where he gazed seemingly uh, innocent curiosity at the various yachts. For two days, he watched the comings and goings aboard the Rothschild yacht, which lay alongside. And then it continues on. There's a whole bunch. There's other pages I have marked in here. But the idea of this uh, Ian Fleming type spy, the, the prototype, Sidney Riley, the ace of spies, uh, being uh, in Con and Monaco and Nice and rubbing shoulders with the Rothschilds and yachts. I mean, the James Bond movie caricature is not that, that far out of place. You see? So I have a number of books back here. I have a whole shelf of books on Ian Fleming and the origins of CIA and uh, OSS and MI6 helping to precipitate all of those situations. And it's, it's a, I have long, a quick question. an interesting history, but that's a piece of evidence I have not presented before. Sidney Riley. The Sidney yeah. Riley connection. There's this book called The Real James Bond. I haven't looked into it. I think it was written by Jim Wright. Um, there's a quote from it that I've never been able to sort of substantiate or contextualize. And I wonder if you could help me out with this. It's what, and this quote starts off. So this is the quote, whatever happened to him actually outshines anything I've had my James Bond do end quote. And that came from me and Fleming, but I wasn't sure what he referred, what him referred to. And I don't have a copy of that book, but I was wondering if that had anything to do with like Sydney Riley or types of people that were similar to the Sydney Riley. Well, I can show you a couple other uh, models that Ian Fleming, here he is right here, used to create his James Bond character. Yeah. Now, let me see. I would have to look. Let's spread this out a little bit. Let's give you a quick tour of Ian Fleming here in the History Blueprint. First off, he's got a lot of stuff up top. There's a scroll bar because of this, right? Check that out. He's got yeah, a lot. He's got a lot, a lot above him. He's got some stuff he did below him. That's fine. All right. Hugh Sinclair. He also worked under Quex, right? As did Sidney Riley. Uh, Admiral Henry Godfrey. He also worked with him uh, directly. He was at the Anglo-American Intelligence Summit in 1942. Uh, he was. Oh, Eric Cuddle <laughs> and Nassus. Wow. Right? Yeah. That's crazy. I didn't know about that. He was part of the auxiliary units, which was the special operations executive, uh, later British security coordination, Baker Street Irregulars. These are the British spies sent to America. You can read the, the Irregulars by Jeanette Conant for more information on that. Um, Bletchley Park, that's code breaking. That's uh, British Admiralties where he worked under. He's a British agent. But there was a film called British Agent 1934, uh, that played into uh, the James Bond character later. British Empire, British fascisti, because his dad, yeah. So he has a history 
Uh, let's see. What was his dad's name? His brother was Valentine. Let's get to it. British Royal Navy. He was in it. British War Office. He was in World War II. Camp X. He went through assassination training. Uh, that Camp X is in Canada. Cecil Rhodes, Milner Roundtable Group. Not that he was a member of it, but all the people he's working for are part of that connected that group. Yeah, the Milner Group. Uh, Cull and Company Banking. That's interesting. De Beers influenced. Uh, De- Here's one of the spies that made up James Bond. Dusan even uh, Popoff. Dusko Popoff. Dusan Dusko Popoff. Double agent. His code name was Tricycle. He also had a code name of Ivan at one point. Looked like uh, Eaton College, where he uh, matriculated along with his buddy. What's his name? Evor Bryce. We'll find him at some point. Uh, let's see. GCHQ 1901. That's the code breaking unit that ties back with Enigma. Uh, John Cecil Masterman, the director of MI6 during World War II who aforementioned was the guy who wrote the memoir and said they knew about Pearl Harbor in August, 1941 Uh, joint intelligence committee. That's the United kingdom. He passed the kill test. They have a K test at camp X. Basically uh, it's shown in that movie, the Kingsman where they got to kill the dog, kill the puppy or something like that. Yep. Right. And like Eggsy won't do it or whatever. Because that's like an homage to Fleming because they said he didn't pass the K test. But he's an at, he was at an assassin training camp and may or may not have passed the kill test. Lord Halifax, uh, that's who he worked under when he was a spy in the United By States. By the way, that also goes back to MK program and stuff like that. That whole, uh-huh. like, uh, I mean, it's obviously the British thing is earlier, but the the, the operant conditioning part of the... the he worked under stuff. Smith Cumming, C., uh, Max Aiken, Lord Beaverbrook, and uh, Beaverbrook was involved with the Irregulars. Uh, let's see, SIS, that's MI6, Military Intelligence, aforementioned Naval Intelligence, uh, Ornithologist. Okay, so James Bond is the name of an ornithologist, a bird watcher. Yeah, that's where he gets the name of the character, not to mention Earl Grey and ornithology. So there's people, the, these aspects or homages to in his background if you go over on the scroll bar real quick uh lord lothian robert Fleming, financier well hold on the lord lothian that's uh part of who he's working for he worked for halifax and lothian while he's a spy as an irregular mi6 agent in america along with roald dahl who wrote charlie and the chocolate factory and uh, Ian Fleming wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. So there's a whole bunch of child book writing, jungle book kind of Kipling characters in this story. Psychological warfare executive, uh, Robert Fleming and Company, uh, Scottish banker, billionaire family line, made their money in opium laundry of money, just like HSBC. Robert Fleming, the financier, made Robert Fleming and Company. That's his grandfather. Sidney Riley, one of the spies that influenced James Bond. Uh, Sir Robert H. Bruce Lockhart, one of the MI6 guys he worked under. Sir William Wiseman, Winston Churchill, uh, SOE, Special Operations Executive. That's the group of uh, special spies they made during World War II because Nazis are bad. Not to infiltrate the United States, but because Nazis are bad. Stuart Menges, even though it's 
written Menzies. I think he pronounced it Mengies was another MI6 uh, director. Fleming family of Britain, they're merchant bankers. You can look that up. They're listed in Forbes. Uh, Valentine Fleming was, I'm trying to think, was it his brother or his dad or was his dad and his brother have the same last name or same first name? And he was also part of the Z organization. That's a SIS MI6 organization. That's just like where he's coming from, right? Then you got James Bond. He was part of the 30 AU, the 30 assault unit. Um, Adam Fleming, let's see, that could be maybe a son of his. Good friends with Alan Dulles, good friends with Ben Hecht, uh, American kind of writer, propagandist at the time. He wrote Casino Royale. Actually, I have one of the James Bond I have one right here. Hold on. While you do that, yeah, Valentine Fleming was uh, the British Conservative Member of Parliament. He was killed in World War One. He was the father of authors Peter Fleming and Ian Fleming. Oh, Peter's his created, brother, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Created the James Bond character. And here's um, from Russia with Love. My cover fell off this, but uh, this is one of the paperbacks, and this is a uh, 1957. So that's an Ian Fleming before the movies were made because Dr. No was 1961. James Bond thriller. All right, back to the blueprint. So under here, you've got Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, one of his books, CIA, which he helped to create. Diamonds Are Forever, another book, Dr. No. Uh, Fleming Family and Partners, the FF&P. So after, like around the time of Ian Fleming, um, they go Fleming family and partners and then Fleming bank from Robert Fleming and Ian Fleming's grandfather merges in the 1970s while they're making James Bond movies, the Fleming family of opium money marries, or I'm sorry, mergers. They marry the companies with Jardine Fleming Jardine. So Jardine Matheson becomes Jardine Fleming. Jardine Matheson was like the HSBC counterpart back in the day. So it's not that far. It's like one degree of separation of these globalist banker, drug trader type of elite world uh, controlling type of folks. Goldeneye was an estate and an operation. There was an operation Goldeneye right here. So before there was the movie, before there was the book, there was the operation in World War II. And then there's the Goldeneye estate. Uh, let's see. William uh, Wild Bill Donovan who got knighted after, after these, these sessions, he was carrying out what Fleming and MI6 had uh, directed him to do. Uh, oh, Bill was insane. What he did during world war one. Ivar Bryce is um, Ian Fleming's roommate at Eaton, who also has an interesting intelligence background. Uh, what else did we have? It says here that uh, Adam Fleming the son of a billionaire. So like it says here, yeah, so right here. Fleming was the son of Sarah Nee Hindmarsh and Robert Fleming, nay. a wealthy Scottish. means like maiden name. Nay. Okay. And Robert Fleming, a wealthy Scottish banker and founder of the merchant bank, Robert Fleming and co Fleming was educated at Eton college and Magdalen college, Oxford. He married Evelyn Beatrice St. Croix Rose. Uh, that's a weird name. In London on uh, February 15th, 1906, they had four sons, adventure and travel writer Peter, father of actress Lucy Fleming, novelist Ian, author of the James Bond novels, Richard, whose son is billionaire Adam Fleming. 
and Michael. So the Adam Fleming is sort of a billionaire Adam Fleming. You know? So he, he created Smirsh and Spectre. Uh, right? Smirsh was James Bond series villain, and Spectre is also counterterrorism, revenge, and extortion. Special executive for counterintelligence, revenge, and extortion. That's what Spectre stands for. I didn't know that. I mean, I wrote it down at one point, but I guess I didn't pay attention to that because I didn't think of Spectre as an acronym. Uh, yeah. So a lot of interesting things. He was involved in Operation Overlord, Operation Mongoose, OSS. There's a whole bunch of very interesting. He met uh, with JFK, right? There's the reference right there in 1960. It's also Aristotle and NASA. And it goes Jackie. Which is where Jackie like Kennedy that. went Jackie afterwards. Jackie Kennedy, yeah, you got it, right? Yeah. Right. Well, that was our foray into uh, this guy's books. Ian Fleming, based on type of uh, spies like Sidney Riley, who talked about the Rothschilds in the book. I don't, I don't know what to say about that. Guess Robert, Robin Bruce Lockhart, son of the MI6 guys. Maybe he's a conspiracy guy. I don't know. Yachts and con. It's almost anti-Semitic to say such things. <laughs> My goodness. Half Jews and whatnot, according to them. So, yeah. Reading words in English. It's, you know, it's not surprising considering the influence that the Rothschilds had over British banking by that point. You need to get the money somewhere to finance all this sort of clandestine operations. So. Speaking of which, I'm going to go to um, Arthur Bow. Because I said that thing earlier about Arthur Balfour mm -hmm. uh, being in on the English translation of the mind Kampf oh you book. said the yeah, mind Kampf, yeah and i, I thought passed over that. I like, did i have that in here because i remember doing that research i just don't remember if i put it in the model or not so i'm looking around let's see edgar dugdale this so it says yeah an, yeah you're close because yeah. i know that i no know the official name. reason was given for doug dale's request for anonymity in the british edition but his wife was a prominent zionist and the niece of arthur arthur balfour and they wished they wished to avoid pub publicity excuse me that so balfour's niece called barnes and barnes so good balfour's niece yeah because i remember doug dale and the doug dale connection to balfour but uh yeah i didn't have that over here Oh, actually, I do. Look at this. I'm sure Edgar Dud Dugdale. Yeah. Mein Kampf, 1925. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. They say Blanche, him... Blanche Balfour Dugdale. Blanche, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's what it says here. Frederick Warburg. Huh. I, Frederick Warburg, I think he's involved with the Federal Reserve. You know, I got a good story. There were three Warburg brothers. And this might be in Ron Chernow's book right here. I'll grab it in a second. I'll check. But the story goes like this. It was like the election in 1908. And um, there was Max, Felix, and the other Warburg brother. There were three of them. They had each bought an American political candidate such that no matter who won, the Warburgs were winning. Right? And they were front for other financial syndicates let's just say it like that and i'll give it to you in their own words in a second but it's just an interesting concept because if that's what it was like in 1908 what do you think it was like in 2020 or 2016 oh, look who or 2012 the party or tw 2008 or 2004 yeah. or 2000 right. or 1996 or 1992 or 1988 or 1984 or 1980 or 76 i mean it went jfk got in like that too 
just saying, maybe it's always been a thing. Oh, they've been doing it. Powerful for, interests. Oh find God. a little pawn puppet person to put in the executive office so that the special interests can get their needs met. Woodrow Wilson was that to a T. I mean, we had Brandeis, the Supreme Court Justice at that time. He's an ardent Zionist. You have a colonel, Edward Mendel House. And of course, he's his handler, Woodrow Wilson's handler. And I mean, so like when we think that puppet presidents, all you know, let's go back to... Well, the Bull Moose Party started in 1912, but if we go back to even before that, when Teddy Roosevelt was president, I mean, even he was nothing more than a puppet. I mean, all these individuals, though, were brought in to all right. buy bankers. Sorry, I, I, I thought I had, I thought I was going to have some evidence for you, Tony. I have that book, actually. All right. In and, my library. And, and I'm disappointed in this Ron Chernow guy. My goodness. 20th century epic told with authority, on the word, sympathy, actually. panache. Washington Post, the National Book Award uh, winning author of the House of Morgan, Ron Chernow, the Warburgs, the 20th century odyssey of a remarkable Jewish family. So I, there was a page in here, I had it marked, and I think it's because I, I identified these anti-Semitic comments made by Chernow. Um, when the French abandoned Hamburg in 1814, the Warburgs and other bankers replenished uh, the local silver stock. These transactions brought them in close contact with the Rothschilds who excelled in metals trading. In a letter of August 4th, 1814, the Warburgs displayed growing confidence and assured the Rothschilds that they could handle the metal deliveries, their delivery men, their delivery boys, as effective as any house in Hamburg. So they're trying to ingratiate themselves to this, uh, this firm of the Rothschilds. I haven't heard of them before, but if a Rothschild fails, it will be quite all right for you to go broke too. Is the idea <laughs> brought down from Carl Rothschild. So <clears throat> turn out controlling the, the metals trade. I mean, that goes back to the Fugers and beyond. Might want to, might want to cancel this turnout character. It's the Cougar. I mean, that was his way. He gained incredible power over 1910 Aldrich Paul and four others, expert uh, other experts sneaked off to discuss bank reform at a secret hideaway on Jekyll Island off the Georgia coast. Oh, that's funny. That's three years before the federal reserve act where they did that. They did that three years before that. The official word from Ron Chernow in the definitive history of the Warburg family. All you got to do is read page 133, right? That's what that says, Tony, right? No, we know exactly right. it says the, the creature from Jekyll travel. Island, they snuck off to Jekyll Island to pass the Federal Reserve Christmas Eve, 1913. Well, hold on real quick. But it this says, is 1910. They're having secret meetings, secret yeah. hideaway. Yeah, I mean, look at what it says. Bankers had to travel incognito, Tony. Yeah, it says a favorite haunt of Wall Street tycoons, Jekyll Island was deserted in November, and thus was a natural choice for for them. I mean, it's just interesting. Yeah, they were, in other words, they were using Jekyll Island years before um, the hideaway. Teddy Roosevelt sat back. Why not give Mister Warburg the job? Well, Mister Warburg funded Teddy Roosevelt, so that's my point about Roosevelt. Teddy oh, Roosevelt. Wait, yeah, here's a good page. Page one forty. Paul Warburg, he was the Warburg I couldn't remember. Remember, there was Felix Max and Paul. I was going to say Paul, but I was thinking that might came later, but I was wrong. Paul's was right, son, actually, Paul Warburg, also said world government is going to come whether you not like it or not. That was a real quote in the later, two generations later. But this is page 140 of the Warburgs. Paul Warburg denied being a Rothschild agent in America, noting that August Belmont and company performed that service already. 
He surprised the committee by saying that while he was a Republican, he had contributed to Wilson's campaign after Teddy Roosevelt entered the race. Brother Felix, he added, had supported Taft. Oh, my goodness. When Colonel House said the 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 controversy acquainted a wider public with his signal merits, Paul replied dryly, quote, while you may be right that the notoriety that I've received may help me in some parts of the country, I sincerely wish it had never come to me. Personally, I rather resented it, end quote. On August 10th, 1914, Paul Warburg took the oath of office and began to serve on the Federal Reserve Board, 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 board. One reason he had compromised, uh, he had compromised about appearing before the committee was the outbreak of World War I on August 1st. The issue of his German birth and recent citizenship, which had seemed so abstract and distant when he first raised, would now haunt him for the next four years. Yeah, huh. an Ashkenazi Jew. So at the well. time of World War One, we got this dude from Germany running the Federal Reserve here. That's interesting. I missed that in history class. I, I should have read this book in high school, maybe. This is Ron Chernow. This is Ron Chernow, everybody. Yeah. You ever read his books? I got all his books. <laughs> He's a fascinating writer. Yeah, I have a writer. bunch of them, yeah. yeah. I have the I one on the Morgans as well. Yeah. I know you have. I mean, I got them because you had them. And so when in reference books, I have them actually in my library, but I'm not running the ground. I'm just saying, if a dude in a Cabela's hat can figure that out, maybe the real smart people aren't the people running the place. Because the people, the puppets running, they don't seem that smart. But there's some smart people playing on the other end of this chess game. And the game, as I see it, is stay alive and remain free. Mm -hmm. because they're trying to kill us and take away our freedom so i'm gonna do the opposite of that seems like a good idea well look at how well organized the world economic forum is at bringing in world leaders not only bringing in world leaders from you know presidents and dignitaries from across the world but they trained many of them macron (laughs) was part of i believe his like early young leadership was a rothschild banker yeah but if it wasn't macron a couple of other uh dignitaries and um you know, prime ministers and presidents. Like what is Sidney Riley and Ron Chernow and everyone else seem to know that you don't know. That's the thing. Like, you know, it's all right there. Their vision of the future is total control using technology. That's all it is. They just want total control using technology. That's it. We're done. That's like, we don't have to make this super complex. Movies like Luke Radowski's t-shirt has just meld them together until... (laughs) little venn diagram and there you have it it's a declension of hell that's what it is so yeah which circle are we headed to next i just yeah, saw seriously. it looked like uh watching that all that fauci stuff that we got to like the eighth ring of hell <laughs> maybe when we get to see dazak dealing with his sins we'll see the ninth ring and then there's an exit right and we get to see beatrice again wasn't that dante got lost dante, in the woods looking yeah. for beauty yeah, looking for beauty, which is an interesting throwback to some Platonic ideas. But. Bring back some Virgil. We need to see our way through. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, I think that was enough of the Jones. We covered the Ian Fleming British intelligence influence over American intelligence connection. You know, it's like blaming the caboose all the time and leaving the engine out of it. Or for those blaming, that are blaming the coal car and leaving the engine yeah. out of it. That's, That's what I analogy. see. Yes. America's the coal car for the Commonwealth steam engine, and it's 47 votes in the UN to R1. Come on now. Yeah, 47. See through Commonwealth, it. 47. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, 
the oh shit i was just gonna say something now i just lost my train of thought it's too late tonight. if you have a union jack in your flag or the queen on your money and you get an extra vote besides the united kingdom i mean the united kingdom gets a vote and then all the kingdom commonwealths get votes that vote along with the kingdom seems like it's rigging the game a little bit almost all like it's votes. rigging the game but the rockefellers created it for them here in america to give it legitimacy that's right see how that works out World Health Organization is part of UN. UNESCO is part of UN. Julian Huxley in, far, in charge of UNESCO. All are, right. Malthusian eugenics in charge They're of They're all part of the same round table vision that was laid out by Rhodes and executed. Uh, and know, before Rhodes, Milner. it was articulated by the irregulars are referring to the Baker Street irregulars, which come from Sherlock Holmes, which was written by Sir Arthur Cronin Doyle. And Conan Doyle wrote that he would like to see America back as part of the empire. I have. Oh my goodness. He wasn't the only one, dude. There were so many major intellectuals at that time that wanted to see an Anglo-American reestablishment. Like, yeah, because Rhodes didn't originate it. He just brought together the plan. Yeah. Right. So right here, taken off a Pilgrim Society, 1895, 1945. One of these is going to show that quote. I said at some point we have to do a deep dive into the Pilgrim Society. Maybe I'll do that next week. Let's do like this. This is really important stuff, actually. Earl Grey, Elihu Root. Let's see. Uh, I'm looking for Sir Arthur Conan Doyle quote. You're talking about the UN or Scholarship say, Foundation. Don't forget about the Privy Council. Nothing to see. Nothing to see. Let's see. more road scholarships so there's definitely a connection between this pilgrim society and road scholarships because the first two references there seem to connect those together where is that conan doyle reference that's up oh, here doyle, it is right here London i got London it page times, 75 yeah. in december 9th i'm sorry let me take a sip because you know it's 3 43 a.m yeah. when we're doing this you've read your kipling you had c.s lewis um you had a bunch of figures that were instrumental in wanting to bring back this sort of partnership between America and Great Britain. All right. So this is from the Pilgrim Society and Public Democracy. I'm sorry. This is from the Pilgrim Society and Public Diplomacy. This is under a chapter heading of the founding of the society, page 75, number 58. This is a, it appears to be a footnote at the end. Mm -hmm. In December 1895, shortly after Grover Cleveland's message to the United States Congress regarding the Venezuelan border crisis, Conan Doyle had written a letter to the London Times in which he said he wanted to see, quote, an Anglo-American society started in London with branches all over the empire for the purpose of promoting good feeling, smoothing over friction, laying literature before the public, which will show them how strong are the arguments in favor of the Anglo-American alliance. See The Times, 7 January 1896. Uh, going down further. Pilgrim Society, Conan Doyle was a member of both the Anglo-American League and the Atlantic Union. See the list of names, including Lord Grey, Grey Papers. I have the Grey Papers behind me, first edition copy. Let's see. Adventure of the Noble Bachelor, a Sherlock Holmes story. Uh, when Holmes admits that, quote, uh, that he was one of those who believed that the folly of a monarch and the blundering of a minister in foregone years 
will not prevent our children from being someday citizens of the same worldwide country under a flag which shall be a quartering of the Union Jack with the Stars and Stripes. Well, that's kind of like the cover of this book. Would you quarter it with the Union Jack and Stars and Stripes? Maybe the Union Jack is overriding Stars and Stripes. Stars and Stripes is in distress. I don't know. Let's keep reading. Maybe we can learn more. Published in 1892, the story involves a marriage between an American woman and a British lord. This speaks of the trend of the elite transatlantic marriages in this period, kind of like the royal wedding of uh, American and a British guy, Prince uh, Harry. While the Holmes quote is demonstrative of the desires for some sort of Anglo-Saxon union that were held by people like William yeah. Steed and Cecil Rhodes. Huh. See Arthur Conan Doyle, The Adventure of the Noble Bachelor and The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, uh, originally 19, uh, copyrighted 1892. Yeah. yeah. There you go. Vision of Rhodes and Steed. Which Rhodes, Pilgrim Society, Will. Anglo-American Studies. Look, Anglo-American Relations. This is Edinburgh Studies and Anglo-American Relations. This is a which, textbook let's from take college. It forward. Like, they transformed... That's what sort go. of transformed into the ideas of like the League of Nations, which then later on became the UN. Here, it looks more familiar. It's to people really nice. Pointed at them, but the point is like it was about a sort of like world union, but of course the Commonwealth would be at the head of this world union. So it starts with the ideas of Anglo-American like reunion, let's call it that, but it ends with sort of this sort of world union, with of course the Anglo-American sort of the, the various Commonwealths of the world being at the head of this union. That's the point. All right. So let me zoom out. So it's definitely transmutated a couple of times. So now it's just about control of individuals using technology, using uh, these round table groups that transcend national borders, supranational, using supranational concerns such as pandemics or climate change or otherwise, in order right. to justify their belligerent actions in regards to their manifest destiny of control and power. Yeah. And these are the people doing it. They're described in this book. Right. In this book, oh, yeah, in this book, in this book, that's a better subtitle. They're described in this book right there for the first 30 pages. Give you a little summary, then you yeah. read the rest of the book, get the details. You want the down and dirty? I mean, it's the round table English speaking idea. It's UN, it's the Kissinger, it's the, it's the CFR. Yeah, you got the, it's all the stuff we talked about. Yeah, it's, it's all the roundtable groups are a perfect example of how you can, without having the name of a government or having, you can just use these organizations in order to influence national policy. My dad Lord. once said to me recently, like, the world will never have a, there will never be a world government. I'm like, you're living under it right now. What were, everyone took their advice from the, or the national policies are based on what the World Health Organization was stating, right? Like yeah. it was this, like, that's how this, this situation or, or, or the world economic forum pushing for this sort of like issues of climate change, number one issue. And then all these industrial actors behind them that get invited to these forums sit there and say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We go along with that. You know, I forgot that Lord Kitchener also pioneered the use of concentration camps. Yeah. I was going to say, wasn't he the Boer Wars, but yeah, I keep, I get names. So fucking, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. And then, uh, I finally got a copy that signed. Nice. That's uh, very good. 
As the system collapses, we shall see what the strategy of imperialism yields for these jokers and tokers of the opium. And that's saying copy was to recognize that Rich had a help, helping hand in the research. <laughs> I think that's what it said there. I, I wanted to build a ramp in, uh, for that massive step that he was providing for people. Well, kudos because you did a great job. Um, it's a fantastic. I was just rereading it this week, and it really, it really is. Uh, I don't know. It encapsulates so much of what what you talk about. Obviously, it's kind of the main thrust of your research, and uh, a phenomenal book list at the end of that forward as well. It's a great wow. introduction. It's a great. It's even better than. Even the Anglo-American establishment can be very difficult to read if you're not familiar with the names and players. But that the I know we need like a Ken Burns length really, documentary yeah. series, like twelve hours, like Aaron and Melissa would do. Yeah, on really just like do. Milner's need kindergarten, to it. yeah, Milner's round table, working groups, all the way up to Klaus Schwab. Because the Anglo-American establishment book, when I first read it, it was just name after name after date after name, and like so, you have to then research the connections. Imagine and the how groups quickly felt. A, he didn't have the internet. He I probably know. didn't know a lot of those names. No. And this whistleblower is just like, and then this guy, and then this dude. It, it took him like twenty years to under, untangle that. Exactly. That's right. Hmm. That's exactly right. Yeah. Time before the internet. Imagine what are people that. going to do when they can't use conspiracy theory as the excuse to avoid all these facts? By then, I'm matching the law of microchips in people's brains and you. Ah, and that's think the, about it. There you go. There's the race. Can we get the word out before they get the chip in us? <laughs> well, I mean, at this point, it's more like do people even care enough that like the context is so far removed from normal everyday experience and history as well. The history that most people are taught that it's so hard for people. It's so hard to form a, a causal connection in people's brains an associative connection. Cause like, look what you did. We had to take, you had to take well over a decade of your life doing nothing but research. And I was just a part of like two years of that, just experiencing what that was like, just to get up. That's to the like knowledge. climbing a mountain that doesn't have like the, the ladders and the yeah. ropes and the, the anchors. Climbing out That's what research Everest, does. Yeah. Like if I'm sherping it up and down, well, that allows there's, there's a base like, camp. Now you get all warm and cozy. We take you up one level at a time. Everybody right, comes yeah. back safe. We got all the notes and references already worked out. There's no taking chances. I mean, everything that I'm pointing to, I can pull the book and there it is. There it is. Yeah. Now I won't be able to do that for the rest of my life. At some point, my ability yeah. to grasp those facts will diminish. And that's what they're waiting on. They're like, let's keep this guy quiet until he can't. And then I'll you know, be in the Alex Jones zone where it's like, I used to have the, those exact facts and now it's just all hyperbolized. I don't want to get there. That's yeah. what happened to, you know, Jonesy does it too much. But if I it's talk about it reasonably... Yeah. And not every day for five hours. <laughs> That's the thing. Yeah. It's, he's talking I about can keep my facts straight. I can not blur the lines between uh, the reality and the fiction. And I well, can it's a keep different a personality type too. I mean, you're references. much different than Alex Jones from a personality. Good. Type he, somebody needs why, to be the tip of the spear. I, you know, started working with you in the very beginning. Cause like we were just about the, the, the facts about the evidence. You're very calm, cool and collected. And that, appealed to me and i think it appeals to a lot of people like that's that's the value add is that we're going to just cite the facts the evidence provide some commentary on it that's legitimate and corresponds much more to reality than the hype the one of the things that has compromised jones over so many years is the hyperbole 
right? That's the issue. It's not that he's been wrong, but like he's noticing, yeah, the FEMA counts, but then he's talking like the next big event is going to bring in the, it's like, no, we're 20 years removed from that. So it's so easy to marginalize Jones based off those, you know, wayward proclamations and judgments and statements you know, it's, that are true, but they're just like, he's, he's corresponding them. It's too no close different together. though than like a nut where you got to husk it and take it, take the thing from the shell <laughs> and throw the shell away. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you know, are, are you one that eats the beans in the pot or do you pull the beans out of the pot and throw the pot away? Or do you like edamame either way? <laughs> I'm just saying like separate the wheat from the chaff, keep the, keep what works for you. And don't, you know, I don't have to store all his hyperbole. I'm storing the documents that are discussed by people like Francis Boyle, who went on there, Johnny on the spot. The government wasn't telling us this guy who was like a little quiet professor at the University of Chicago, Illinois, Champlain, someplace like that. He's a law professor. He wrote the anti-terrorism bioweapons act of 1989. Boyle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So he's like uh, Ralph Barrick and Xi Zhengli and uh, the Nosium technique. And he went through the whole thing. Wuhan lab. I was incredulous. I was like, what's this guy talking about? There is no Wuhan lab. Oh, oh sorry. There's two. There's two. Yes. Right. There's not just one. There's two. So every time I was like that, there's no way there's a lab near the wet market. That's too coincidental. And I'm like, shit, there's a lab near the wet market. That's too coincidental. So all I have to, like that's what did instead it for of me. being yeah. i never say conspiracy theorist but i'm incredulous and i check stuff out and i think if people didn't have that phrase to fall back on they could be incredulous and check stuff out because that's what i noticed it's happens. just lazy thinking you could call it the conspiracy it's not thinking. theory fallacy if it's you the want absence to. It's of just, thinking yeah it's the absence of thinking well said yeah that's that's the point that's the point of the label and that's why it works so well as a sort of psychologically a psychological tool um, to be able to cause red herrings and build straw men around arguments that have nothing to do with the point that's being made. And it was in this case, the context was JFK and the assassination of JFK. But then it was able to extend out to all these various theories that many of what, and like even what poisons the well even more is that there's some legitimacy and then there's a lot of epistemological cartoons all mixed in. And epistemological cartoons are just like, you know, they'll mix in some alien stuff or, you know, X, Y, and Z, it could be flat earth, train theory, it could be a whole bunch of like stuff that's very hard to verify and stuff that's, you know, or outright scientifically just been debunked over the now the course of centuries, actually millennia, if we want to go back that far. And so like they, when you intermix like true evidence with then stuff, that's just stories, you know? Well, it's and, just so easy. They mix, they take the true, they take the evidence and then they mix it with true and not a Shabbat pressure. And then yes. no one knows what's going on. Exactly. And that, that really marginalizes things. So it's like, and then they have co Intel pro, which is actual program, but like we can sort of just using that as the program they once ran counterintelligence agents that are like, we'll tell you 95, 98, 99% truth. It's that 1% they change, which is why you always have to be so careful and you have to be consciously vigilant and conscientious of the narrative that's being, you know, laid out in front of you, which is what it's, it's very difficult, especially in a scientific age where most people don't understand even basic science. So then you can't even critique the science necessarily, or if you do, it's, it's so messy now. And that's why, you know, I try to, I try to get people to cut through those weeds and say, let's look at something that's, let's look at where we can find solidarity that maybe it's something that even transcends aspects of the science that people get bogged down in rabbit holes in or aspects of like other co-intel pro narratives that are being forced out there and try to find like, what's the number one issue here? 
It's they're removing your individual rights. They're removing your ability, your agency, your ability for choice, your volition. They're telling you what to think, how to act, how to believe. Like we can disagree on aspects of the science. We can disagree on aspects of a whole host of issues that are related to epistemology and philosophy. But the one thing I can see for sure, and one of the reasons why I sort of like came out of the woodworks, because I was seven years, I'm into my philosophy and, you know, I appreciate all the history I've learned and the, the conspiracy working with you. But at the same time, I was sort of focused on my philosophy. But the thing is that I'm like, it's too conspicuous now. I may not be able to continue my philosophy, philosophic research because my individual rights are being taken away over a pandemic that they have planned for over the course of like well over a decade. And now they're trying to, inf inf or trying to force therapeutics on me and other people that are of dubious nature with no long-term evidence of their efficacy and effectiveness and safety. And, you know, I'm just like, then you can, all, all of a sudden I think, well, this is all part of the plan of what I researched and what we were researching together over a decade ago, it's 2022. Like I started working with you back in 2011. So it all just made sense. It was like, oh, it's now all coming to a head. It just, it took a while for it to manifest to this level of obviousness or conspicuousness to, to, for me to realize. And that's the reason why I participate. We may not agree on everything. I mean, we, me, me and you tend to agree on most everything, but for individuals that like when I, in town halls and stuff where we've had really intense disagreements, the one thing I think I can find solidarity on the fact is that we recognize our individual rights are being taken away. And like, that's the number one thing. Like we are losing our ability to participate in a market, to participate in the free flow of exchange of goods and ideas ethically with one another. And that that's being limited more and more. And they're telling us and gaslighting us that we have to then bring in this like technology, technological control grid for your benefit, for the greater good. And we have no say in that. And that to me, I mean, at what point do we just say like, we don't, because the narratives can be so hyper complex and because people can get so lost in the, the weeds and the rabbit holes with all the, the, the counterintelligence narratives and so forth, what I just mentioned, it's important to find the essence of the issue that's at hand. And you've made mention to this a zillion times tonight, especially when we're in the Fauci section. You're losing your rights. You're losing your ability to be a free, autonomous individual that is uh, correspond or can engage with other free, autonomous individuals peacefully in order to exchange goods, ideas, and to be a part of a, a society based on your own volitional choice or not. And they're taking that away. And I think that's the one thing. That's the reason why I've, like I said, I came out of the woodwork, so to speak, and I participate now in this. And this is why I also think it's important to do it now because I don't know what the future is going to hold. You're saying there's a race against time. That's absolutely true. It's like to, to revisit so much of what you told me 10 years ago is really illuminating, especially in light of what we're experiencing now. It just, it brings it all to a head and just shows that like, I wasn't as crazy as I thought I was at times. There is a correspondence to the reality that you were acknowledging and being able to provide evidence for. And now it's all coming, like I said, it's manifesting in front of our eyes. And so that's really important. And that to me is really powerful because now you can share that with the rest of the world. We both are, but this is your domain, the history, the, the artifactual forensic histor historical facts that you presented to me 10 years ago, it brings it to such a light because now it's so conspicuous. It's so obvious. We can literally name the names. We can name the players. We can see what technology they're utilizing in their quests and the concepts such as stakeholder capitalism, all this sorts of nonsense that they're bringing forward. And that to me just says everything about your integrity and about what you're trying to do here, because 
there may not be a time. You know, Del Bigtree keeps referring to his idea, his his own show as a time capsule. Well, this is a time capsule that encapsulates a time capsule then, because it's not just his show. We're taking as many shows as possible, and then we're this also is like a getting bottle on of a time, time capsules. It really is because all those books you're also getting on the record. Cause if we don't, if there's never a situation where we can get a book or documentary series out there, I hope there is that sort of coalesces all this information into one digestible unit that can be understood. At least you're getting on the record, all the material and all the resources you used in the past and showing key sections of that as to what, how you sort of we're able to elucidate in your mind what's going on and then present it to someone like me who just came in out of nowhere from tripping too hard and being like, I think our reality isn't what it seems to be. And that, you know, that just, uh, and, and I was like, do you know how there. to read? Check this out. Yeah. Luckily I knew how to read and all of a sudden I was like, boom. So, so speaking I think it's of, really important. Speaking of bringing this all to a head, here is something I know for certain. Okay. Write this down. There is no cure for male pattern baldness. What is my evidence? Klaus Schwab and Jeff Bezos. Thank you guys all for tuning in. It's been a great show. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but that's my proof. We will go to uh, thank yous to the super chats, etc. But if there that's was a, funny. if there was a male pattern look, baldness, is there something with a needle gene and male pattern to, baldness? Like, is there some you want me to take gene therapy there? from people who can't cure baldness yet? Come on now. <laughs> come on Aren't they you know going? there's trillions of dollars in that cure if they could do the mrna stuff and make klaus have hair or jeff bezos have hair you would not be dealing with covid right now only angry bald men in the world economic forum realm uh can do those things to the rest of us what was epstein's little buddy nygaard what was his name nygaard something because he at one point was like he was having his girlfriends like give over fetuses for like genetic experimentation and wanting to do blood transfusions with like, I mean, this does a Peter, Peter Nygaard. Yeah. 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 The Canadian Finnish fashion executive. Oh yeah. He's like the uh, international version of the Epstein's, but yeah, he was doing part of some, there's they're, they're trying to your point, Rich. I mean, they're the transfusions of young blood, right? Keep yourself young. The, um, the genetic therapies, this is the problem. Like they have the gene, they have an understanding of genetics. They have a model that works at least that they can manipulate to some degree. So at some point, you know, but at the same time, they need to, they need to utilize it. They need to utilize this technology across a large population sample size, and then collect that data and see how they can manipulate even further to gain that, what they want out of it, which is seemingly some sort of transhumanistic future where they use gene therapies for like, a, as a fountain of youth, Ponce de Leon. Yeah. Sort of like envision, you know, vision continuing forward. Wasn't he? I'm just ones? saying those guys aren't like Telly Savalas or Yul Brenner bald. You know, they're not men of character. They're yeah, doing man things. They're like cowardly lions who shave their manes <laughs> or had their manes <laughs> shaved. Either way, it's a Burt Law reference. What's up with the molding Germans too? Life magazine, Bayer May 13th, and 1957. Look it up. All right, LD, who do we have to thank for tonight's festivities? Our World Economic Forum watch party. All the right. peasants it's... looking in through the windows. Please, uh, may I have some more? It's a growing list and uh, maybe find a... I thought about, I thought about maybe uh, starting to thank people the next week for the previous show 
because uh, the donations roll in sometimes after the show. I don't know. Uh, also, like, could we call could we call our Rockfin supporters our executive producers of the show? I've been Rockfinians. listening to. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been listening to No Agenda podcast, and it's interesting how they do it. Like, everybody that helps support them. Um, I don't know that you can call the Rock Finningtons that, but you could no, call Grand, pe- Grand Theft World actual members who are paying. Yeah, membership. the subscribers are yeah. executive producers. We don't get like anything yeah. hardly from Rockfin. Yeah, That's we get tips, sure. and we but appreciate as far as, like, those that do share thing. As not, yeah. you know. And we appreciate yeah. those that give tips on Rockfin, but it's really the the GTW subscribers. And we we work to produce as much content as possible at the GTW Town Hall. A lot of exclusive material only available beyond the Town Hall. If you become a subscriber, a lot of work that Rich has done that he hasn't released, um, we're trying to make available as well. So, you know, yeah. Thank to, you for the people watching on Rockfin. Rockfin's uh, thing is aside from you guys. So, tips, cool. Right. Rockfin, Ray tokens, sharing among how they do their thing. I'm not too. All right. Well, uh, nevertheless, thanks to our our producers, our, our Grand Theft World family. Um, and thanks to the Rockfin tippers this week. Rolled, rolled. He rolled. Rolled Sorensen. He got in there like four times. Thank you. Uh, oh wow. T. Can Augustine, Larry Horse, Fabrizio, Dallas Avad two times. Matt Green, Laurie, Bent Reg, and Gain of Fauci. And. Um, Oh, thank yeah. you all i was gonna thank i was gonna get i was gonna give an in the morning to no agenda listeners we got we got a comment on the felix channel and i thought that was pretty cool it's a itm it's it's a thing with them we could have something similar like uh in the evening of course well, it's we're in the already morning in the now. morning <laughs> it's yeah. in the morning sun's coming up it's uh yeah it's like uh, making fun of the the morning zoo thing but, uh, and yeah. during the whole thing, we've had like this snow ice blizzard going on. Yeah, outside, I can hear it outside. So. My house is yeah. Like, so I'm gonna have to like get the plow on tomorrow. Do some snow blowing. Sounds like great Monday oh, after. I'm just thinking about that, dude. The last thing I want to do is that. But yep. I woke, yeah. took a nap, oh, woke up before the podcast, looked outside, and I was like, "Oh, you got to be kidding me!" I have a feeling it's gonna be one of many. It's been a very cold winter, and it's just the beginning of winter for the most part. 220, 221, whatever it takes. I don't care. It's going to happen So with excellence. Now, for those, um, the next couple of weeks, uh, Richard, you'll oh, be don't in. Spoiler, don't spoiler okay. alert. Yeah. No. Okay. Next couple of weeks are going to be fantastic on Grand Theft Well. Going to be more deep dives, more articles, more stories, more Tony. Yeah, more me. That's right. So you more are going LD. To be experiencing warm weather while LD and well LD is not he's fine. He's out on the West Coast, but possibly I saw people down. stuck in North Carolina today in the snow trying to get from here to there. So, you know, yeah. It's it's a tough time of year to travel. <laughs> Let's see. Slow and easy does it. Yeah. All right. Thank you guys all for tuning in and not dropping out. Uh, can we play some JP Sears to play us out? Do we have uh, that? We have the, uh, the narrative is crumbling up. 16 reasons why. So. Right. I thought it was going to be, the, there was, there was one, it was like him versus him the other day. I wasn't sure which one we were going to play. Well, this is the one that Joshua said we should play. Well, this one is a little longer, so it's like 15 minutes, but 
um he wanted us to play this one so i figured we'll we'll honor that request even if it being as late as it is oh it's four in the morning then we play the other one and it's shorter the shorter one sorry joshua <laughs> oh shit it'll be in the intro clip we could play whichever yeah it doesn't matter whatever you got up there it's fine all right thanks we'll see you next week thank you everyone Have a some good way night. somehow we'll see you next week peace started playing the wrong music <laughs>
CDC Director Rochelle Walensky evades a question about people dying with the virus versus deaths from the virus. And she evades it with the grace of Alec Baldwin playing with a gun on set. Do you know how many of the 836,000 deaths in the U.S. linked to COVID are from COVID or how many are with COVID but they had other comorbidities? Do you have that breakdown? Um, yes, of course. With Omicron, we're following that very carefully. Our death registry, of course, um, takes a few weeks to and is, uh, takes a few weeks to collect. Um, and of course, Omicron has just been with us for a few weeks, but those data will be forthcoming. Super forthcoming, Rochelle. She's bright enough to figure out how to not know the answer to almost any question she doesn't want to answer. On the brighter side, Walensky has become a leader in the women's equality movement, inspiring women everywhere to know they can be just as much of a lying tyrannical scumbag as a man can. Oh, and there she is too. Moving along. The top science fiction author in the country right now, the CDC, has been instrumental in writing so much of the now-failing narrative. Accordingly, the CDC has changed their super scientific recommendations when someone tests positive for how long they need to be isolated for slash psychologically damaged for, changing their command from 10 days to 5 days. Hashtag lack of social connection is the first step in mass formation psychosis. Now watch this boring clip of CDC Director Rochelle Walensky. Consideration in not requiring a five a negative test after these five days because there aren't enough tests to go around in this country. You know, we make these recommendations in the context of science, in the context of ongoing epidemiology, in the context of what is feasible in collaboration with our public health and local um, and state public health partners. Um, and through that discussion um, and through dis discussions um, within CDC with our own subject matter experts and with the FDA, um, we made the recommendation, you know, these tests are actually not authorized for the purpose of um, evaluating contagiousness. She said, um, five times in that short answer, um, 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 which typically means someone's having to think really hard about what to say and not say. But when someone is speaking what's called truth, it's much easier because there's simply nothing to hide and therefore nothing to filter out with the um net. Oh, and also, what was that last thing she said? You know, these tests are actually not authorized for the purpose of um, evaluating contagiousness. Got it. The tests aren't authorized to evaluate contagiousness. Brilliance of the narrative is really off the charts on this one, as we're continuously told we need to be nasally raped repeatedly in order to control the spread of this uncontrollable disease, which is called contagiousness, while doing so using a test not authorized to evaluate contagiousness according to Rochelle Walensky, who is very qualified for her job, by the way, because she is not a man and may or may not be white. I can't tell. Even CNN now says the CDC is a punchline, which is kind of like an obese person calling you fat. Check it out. Recognizing the CDC has turned into a punchline. It is so sad, but it's true. The CDC has turned into a punchline. And in Let's Keep the Truth from the Public News, the FDA asked a court for 75 years to keep Pfizer's safety data concealed from the public before they have to reveal it. Nothing fishy about that. That's like if your wife asked you, are you cheating on me? And you say, I'll answer that question in 75 years. There is nothing suspicious about that. But for some reason, the public thinks the FDA and their pharmaceutical cohorts are trying to hide something when they see them trying to hide something. 
very paranoid. Nonetheless, a judge has not granted them 75 years. The FDA has been ordered to reveal it all in eight months. Still too long. But let's get those sales up while we can before something is exposed that they'd rather keep hidden for three quarters of a century. And a major factor that's causing the narrative to decompose has been the truth that's been exposed on the Joe Rogan podcast recently. With two of the most credible doctors you can find, that we didn't want you to find, Dr. Peter McCullough and Dr. Robert Malone single-handedly causing a shift in consciousness about the narrative. Dude, are the Clintons gonna take care of these guys or not? With freedom of speech, open debate always leads to the best, most truthful ideas winning out. The only purpose of censorship is to hide the truth so a worse idea built on lies can win. And because free speech has been replaced with censored speech, Dr. Malone's appearance on Joe Rogan's podcast was so important that Congressman Troy Niels submitted the transcript to the congressional record so that big tech can never restrict people from receiving the information. This just in! The Supreme Court has just blocked Joe Biden's fax mandate. It's all crumbling down. A few months ago, those who try to control the narrative threw Joe Rogan under the bus, smearing him for successfully using alternative treatments instead of him being blindly obedient. Big mistake. What they actually did was wake up a f***ing dragon. Joe Rogan, who is a man of the people, now seems to be more dedicated than ever to exposing their lies with the light of truth. It's kind of like the authoritarians took Liam Neeson's daughter. It spelled the beginning of the end for them. Now, instead of the few who control the narrative controlling the people with the narrative, the people are controlling the narrative based on where they're putting their attention. How so? Recent stats show each episode of Joe Rogan's podcast gets 13 times the viewership of CNN, making it the number one source of news, well, in the world. For some reason, people would rather hear truth and sincerity than lies and deception. Doesn't make any sense. But what that means is the news source that people are now trusting the most is a first of its kind, never seen before thing called a trusted news source. Why do people now ignore CNN and trust Joe Rogan? Well, according to Dr. Jordan Peterson, it's because he doesn't lie or talk down to his audience or manipulate for his own narrow advantage. Little do they know that Mr. Horse Dewormer himself is trying to manipulate people into doing their own thinking and following their own hearts. What a deranged maniac. Why can't Spotify censor this guy? Nothing good ever comes from free speech. What else is a sign that the narrative is crumbling like a fully compliant soccer player on the field in Europe? Fauci almost accidentally told the truth about his partnership with a certain group of people. Watch. We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Would everybody quit saying the quiet part out loud for God's sakes? <laughs> in other news, YouTube has deleted a video of Dr. Satoshi Omera speaking about the benefits of a horse deworming drug. They did so because they want to protect the public from his perspectives as YouTube believes he is not a reliable source of scientific information on the medicine. And in other news, Dr. Satoshi Omera was awarded the Nobel Prize in Medicine in 2015 for his scientific work that led to the development of a horse deworming drug. And for completely unexplained reasons, people now fully see what the censors are doing. The narrative was diagnosed with osteoporosis when Facebook admitted in court that their fact checkers' facts are not facts. 
They are merely opinions. And Twitter, the social platform engineered to keep the narrative alive and kill the truth, is being put on life support. Twitter's stock price is down 50% from a year ago. For something that sucks the value out of society, it's still way overpriced. Should you sell your Twitter shares? To find out, just keep an eye on what Nancy Pelosi does with hers. How are the people feeling about the major politicians around the world that have been pushing the narrative for two years at the expense of the people? As you can see, people are still loving this tyrannical French politician as they're continuously showering him with love as they're pelting him with dirt and seaweed. While we're on France, Here's 100,000 freedom fighters standing together against the mandates that the narrative propagates. For that matter, here's video footage of freedom fighters gathered all around the world together that we've absolutely tried to keep hidden from you. <laughs> They're either protesting against the mandates or for more mandates, we're really not sure. But we'll try to have that data for you soon. Right, Rochelle? Those data will be forthcoming. Very soon. Thank you, Rochelle. And then there's this guy in Australia. You may only leave home for three reasons. Same energy as the way Harvey Weinstein would hit on a woman. Too much, too fast, too predatory. Kind of makes you obvious, good sir. Therefore, the more authoritarians like this talk, the more they wake people up. It's kind of like an earthquake of dishonesty making the structure of the narrative crumble. AOC was caught in the act of not believing her own narrative about wearing masks avoiding traveling, and about Florida being a death trap because it's not locked down. When she was spotted not wearing a mask after traveling and still being alive in Florida somehow, she's confused about why people don't believe her narrative that she also doesn't believe. I guess it's because people would rather date her than believe her. And most powerfully, here's a brave Canadian woman speaking on behalf of, well, all of us, to authoritarian dictator Justin Trudeau. You've sold us out to globalism. Okay. You are not working for Canada. You are working for your globalist partners. I wonder how much they're paying you to betray Canada. What do we do with traitors in Canada, Mr. Trudeau? We used to hang them, hang them for treason. And you're doing that very same thing to us now. We know what you're doing. Oh, also, remember Project Veritas's bombshell report at the beginning of the program? Well, for good reason, Project Veritas founder James O'Keefe has come out and said this. So we're meeting with uh, various senators here in Washington, D.C. after the Anthony Fauci hearing this morning and the Department of Defense documents that we released showing that he apparently lied in his testimony. Um, let me just say that I'm not suicidal. I love my life. Not suicidal? We'll see if the Clintons have a different opinion about that, James. In conclusion, is all this backtracking about the narrative because the narrative is truly crumbling? Or because it's part of a strategy to back off and confuse and then push with more fear and control to gain even more traction in people's minds? Or is the left backing off their outrageously unbelievable narrative to give the impression that they have things under control and that they're sensible because the midterm elections are approaching? You be the judge. The narrative and the lovely people behind it who are definitely not held nearly enough as children, are driven by the love of power. And about that, Jimi Hendrix once said, when the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. Jimmy then died of a drug overdose. But nonetheless, with the narrative apparently falling apart, are we at a point in time when the power of love is indeed overcoming the love of power? You be the judge. But what we do know is the authoritarians who are in love with power are all old as shit. So they're gonna keep pushing hard and fast because they can't afford to be patient because they're all gonna be dead soon if we could be so lucky. Good night. 
conspiracy is the story of history. It's the story of plunderers taking care of people who produce. They claim to take care of them through government, which doesn't give you anything. It doesn't take away first. So it's not creating something out of nothing. It's very real what they're doing. They're taking your rights or taking some people's rights and adding more to someone else's rights. If you haven't heard about our Grand Theft World community membership, here are a few of the things you've been missing. A mobile app where you can access replays of the Grand Theft World podcast and show notes. Access to the Grand Theft World community on Discord, where we crowdsource news and resources, and you can contribute to the show. The opportunity to participate in the Grand Theft World bi-weekly town hall. Exclusive content from Richard Grove, including behind-the-scenes footage and future access to unpublished material. 93 episodes of the Peace Revolution podcast, and the Grand Theft World newsletter delivered straight to your inbox each week. If you want to stay ahead of the great game, visit us at GrandTheftWorld.com, click or tap the button in the top right-hand corner, and join a vibrant community of researchers blazing a new path to truth. We'll see you there.